so successfully, I'm sure no one will begrudge you a little time off. But where are you going to on this trip? That I am keeping a secret. Is there anything you would like to say to the citizens before you depart? Yes. It is my earnest hope that the solar system may continue along this path of peace. This path that was laid by the signing of the Non-Aggression Pact of 3975. Now, in this year of 4000, we can feel justly proud of that pact. Welcome to Who Worth Watching, where we're going through this iconic show from the beginning to determine what's still worth watching for a modern audience. Today, we're starting on the epic, mostly missing story, The Daleks Master Plan. I'm your host, and if I'm ever shoved out of an airlock, I will just hold my breath until I'm rescued. <laughs> my co-host is Guy, a man who truly believes he'll get to sit on the throne next to the Daleks one day. Yeah, they seem like stand-up guys. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Guy. Hello, Ron. So I, uh, there was this great class in my high school. I don't know if you had the equivalent. It was a science fiction class. And mm. so first of all, of course, I was big into science fiction. But so that was half the reason to take it. The other half was basically you just got to watch movies and then write essays about them. So it was a very easy <laughs> yeah. class. <laughs> but one day, uh, oh, so we watched 2001. Mm. And the teacher in the class explained to us, you remember there's that famous shot where he ejects himself from the smaller craft into the larger space, and it's in the vacuum of space, and then he ends up closing the door and getting into the spaceship. Hmm, I, uh, I haven't seen it in years and years, so I'll take your word for it. <laughs> well, so the teacher explained to us that <laughs> air pressure on Earth is what keeps our molecules sticking together. <laughs> huh. When you go into the vacuum of space, the lack of air pressure causes your molecules to separate. Uh, anyway, this was oh. a very, very wrong explanation. <laughs> like, if you imagine, because it, just imagine if this were true, like the air pressure on Earth is what's keeping your body together. If you, like, moved your hand quickly or something, you know, pieces of you would be flying off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're in the vacuum of space, uh, some parts are liable to come off sooner or later. I think. Yeah. But, uh, right. But of course, that's a whole, yeah, yeah. A whole different explanation for that. <laughs> when I was in high school, science fiction, for whatever reason, I I didn't get the opportunity to take a lot of elective courses. It was hmm. mostly sort of laid out for me. And uh, science fiction was one of the very few that I got to take as an elective. And the teacher was really good. It was a fun class. And it sounds like hmm. it was on the same template that you mentioned, you know, we got to read stories and watch movies and it was uh and the teacher made it very interesting too so uh just a good class <laughs> all around i remember one of his test questions was we had read uh fahrenheit 451 right which is i think i've read that book more often than any other book in my life the question was is montag a good or a bad man <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we are dealing with a massive story, one of the longest in Doctor Who's history, uh, and it's your fault because you talked me into doing reconstruction. <laughs> so, so this is 12, but technically a 13-episode story because right. the one we already covered, Mission to the Unknown, is really part of this story. And it's a very, again, I don't think there's any other case that I'm aware of in Doctor Who history where you start a story 
then have another story in between and then continue the story. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting way to set it up. They uh, they gave us a little teaser and then went right back to something completely different. And Now, to their credit, even though not a lot happened in Mission to the Unknown, they completely reference and, you know, use what happened there. I mean, the characters there are important and the things they did mm-hmm. are important, so, and they don't forget about it or anything. Sure, so now we've got... Cassandra's handmaiden and all that stuff. So, yeah. So, in and in, in between the two, right? The the crew had gone to Troy and done the Trojan horse and picked up this new companion, Katarina, and that will be an interesting thing to see what happens with her in this story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's Katarina, Stephen, and the Doctor, and you know, I have not seen this story before. So I'm I'm experiencing it as you do, and I know nothing about it. Although there is this important character who shows up, Sarah Kingdom, and she is significant enough, even though it was a lost uh, story, that I had heard about her and read about her. So when her name came up, I was like, oh, I know who that is. Yes. <laughs> well, very good. I, uh, I, I, she's interesting where, where she shows up in these episodes, so... Mm. Uh, well, that'll be that'll be neat to see where where they take that character. Then today we're only covering one third of this story. We're just yeah. spending most of the next month uh, talking about this story. So. Yeah, it's a full twelve episode arc yeah. plus the plus that bonus one that you mentioned. Yeah, and I've only watched the first four, so yeah. I, the rest is still going unknown to me. Okay, well. Let's start off with episode one, The Nightmare Begins. Okay. Well, it starts off on this planet, Kemble. And this is the planet that we saw in the teaser episode, uh, you know, before all the digression going to Troy and the Trojan War and all that. And this is that same jungle planet. And I thought for a moment that this was a flashback to that but it's it's two guys roaming around the planet trying to communicate with other worlds or earth central command whatever they're trying to do but you know they're not having much luck making radio contact and i had the same reaction because especially with the reconstruction where it's a hard time kind of discerning their faces it did Mm -hmm. seem like they were like maybe it was a pickup of the end of Mission Unknown, where the two guys are out there and then the Daleks find them. And right, kill them. after the first guy had died and right. the other two were trying yeah. to get But eventually you figure out, no, these are two different people who are actually out looking for them. Yeah, the this, is, this is the rescue party sent for the guys that we saw in the earlier episode. Um, and these guys are also trying to make radio contact. So they're, they're also uh, stranded here and they're one of them is rather pessimistic. Uh, according to the script, which I should mention, once again, we're using, or I'm using the script from net, good reliable source of nice transcripts of the Doctor Who episode. So. Yeah, and I will say, well, I mostly do not do those. I just, I do my own transcription. There was uh, one or two points where I honestly, and because sometimes part of the problem here is all the audio on these reconstructions, uh, we've talked about this way from the beginning of our podcast, they come from people who were recording the audio off of their TV, right? Oh, yeah. 
So sometimes the audio is perfectly fine, but sometimes the audio is really indecipherable. So there were a couple of points where I had to go to the script yeah. to figure out what was said because it was just too low and I couldn't hear it. Yeah, and and plus the actors are British, and that makes it <laughs> harder for me, a little bit harder to. Yeah, they don't they don't speak the it. same language. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a nice resource. In fact, it, it occurred to me that it might even be fun if there's anything we can't find proper reconstructions for, we could try to do just a you know podcast on the scripts. Um, well. And usually in most of those cases, I mean, I think there are reconstructions all the time, but there's also often audio books or audio, you know, versions of things. So that's oh, an option too. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I know I, I did some brief reading about the reconstructions and uh, I guess a lot of the reconstructions that people set up, the BBC would sort of go after them and, you know, it's, I don't know if they issued copyright <laughs> strikes or what they did, but... Uh, They've been driven to various, you know, places on yeah, the internet. Yeah, and we will probably have links in the description of the reconstructions we used, but, you know, if we had to, we, we could have to pull them. On the other hand, some of the ones, like, even that we're going through today were actually included in DVDs that the BBC put out, you know, where they'd make it like a background material of, here's a reconstruction somebody did for, for this thing. So, huh. you know, it's, who knows, it's always an uncomfortable situation. I mean... This is, even though I have many, many criticisms of George Lucas and where he took Star Wars over time, mm. one of the things that he was really good with is when people first started to come out with Star Wars fan fiction and stuff, you know, the company by default would sort of go after them, right? And pretty quickly, Lucas realized, you know what, if these guys aren't making money off of this, they're just promoting our product. Mm-hmm. And so as long as people weren't making money, they let them do it. Yeah. Now, every once in a while, someone would, you know, they'd write their little Star Wars book and then they'd put it on a site that they charged for it. And then, you know, Lucasfilm would go after them. But if you didn't do that, they wouldn't do it. And I, and I think that's the smart way to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of the whole reason Doctor Who came back after it got canceled, like 10 years later when the modern Doctor Who started, it's because all these fans were generating all this content, right, mm. that kept it going mm-hmm. in between. And if they'd all been sued, Doctor Who probably would have died. It wouldn't have come back. You mm, know? Yeah. But it's nice to, I, I enjoyed these reconstructions. I was surprised that they had uh, quite a bit of live action footage in various places. I, yeah, there's a couple episodes that survived, and sometimes there'll be 10 or 20 or 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's uh, it's fun, and we 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 started before we started the main show here. We we had a little preliminary conversation, and we mentioned that the creator of these reconstructions um, occasionally would animate faces. Which nowadays we've got all kinds of crazy stuff. You've got you know, phone apps that can make it look like you got rabbit ears and like track the movement of your head <laughs> and all that stuff, but. The creator of this reconstruction is working with older technology, and some of the some of the animated faces where it, it took a still f- photo of a face and made the eyes blank and the mouth move and stuff. And some of them have a, a, a kind of an uncanny valley aspect. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's really bizarre when you have the same sequence over and over again of the guy kind of opening and closing his mouth or moving his eyes. You know, is it? 
But then you look up, and I think it was done in like 1977 or something. That guy. But I will say, uh, all, pretty much every one of these is done by a different person. So one of the challenges you have when you're looking at reconstructions is that it's not necessarily the case that one person would have done all the episodes. There's mm. a lot of work involved. Right. And so you'll go from what you go with, whatever you can find, and one may be done in a very different style sure. than the others. And we see that as, as we go through here, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it is a, it, it's mostly a pretty entertaining experience. You have the sound, which is a good basis, and then the reconstructions add some good visuals and actual actual production stills and so forth and uh you know some live action footage like we said and uh it's overall it's as satisfying as they could make it you know <laughs> with yeah. what was available so the sound quality we mentioned isn't always great and that can make it hard between that and the and the lack of live action you know that can make it hard to know exactly what's going on sometimes particularly when there's silence with action going but overall you know it's still good and uh that the scripts site that i mentioned at checkotea.net uh that you can always check with that and fill in what you're not able to pick up from the right from the digital side anyway to move on here <laughs> these two guys are named brett and kurt and like their predecessors they are stranded on Kimball trying to signal Earth so that they can get off of it. And Kurt is despairing. He's uh, he's pretty sure they're going to die. He knows the Daleks are out there looking for them right now. And Brett, the other one, he's telling him, you know, we're just going to press on. We've got to get through to Earth first, he says, or the whole solar system is finished. Mm -hmm. So So they're trying to communicate. And meanwhile, we see this little command center many, many miles away. The, it says millions of miles away in the text here. It could even be trillions for all we know. Apparently, what happened in the live action is that there was a call coming in from these guys, and it was flashing on one of their boards. But these two workers were talking to themselves or among themselves, and uh, so they didn't notice it right away. So there's one named Rold. He's telling the other one, Lizen, he says that he wants to see the Venus-Mars games, but she wants to see <laughs> her hero, Mavic Chen. And at first yeah. I thought the Venus-Mars games were probably some kind of sport. Then I remembered women are from Venus and men are from Mars. So I think he wants <laughs> to watch porn. That's my theory anyway. Also, it's kind of weird because... This takes up a little bit of time, but these never these characters never come back or anything. They're not yeah. they're not part of the story. At least not in the first four episodes. That's but uh, we've still got eight to go, so we can't <laughs> say for sure. Yeah, yet. good point. But they're arguing about who gets to control the remote. Uh, <laughs> timeless battle. Roll decides that if they tune into channel four hundred three, they'll get the news, and that will cover both their requirements. He says they'll, the news will report on both the sports scores and what the Mavic Chen is doing. And Mavic Chen, is, his title is the Guardian of the Solar System, and I'm not, I'm not sure how he fits into uh, solar politics, but considering that in the teaser episode, the ship was labeled with the UN 
markings. The the Guardian of the Solar System may just be the future's version of the Secretary General of the (laughs) UN. I'm not sure. But I'll point out here, it is a bizarre cosmology thing where literally most of the representatives, you know, alien representatives who are joining the Daleks in their evil plan, they represent one or more galaxies, right? Mm -hmm. And a galaxy is this immensely, immensely huge space, right? Right. All of what we're in as a galaxy in our solar system is the tiniest, most infinitesimal part. And yet they refer to the solar system and Mavic Chen is the guardian of the solar system, which is like the most insignificant thing you could possibly be in the context of galaxies. Yes, that's true. (laughs) Although to play devil's advocate here, um, we will find out as we go on in this series that there is an element that's only available in our solar yeah, system. Yeah, that's true. You know, so, um, yeah, we got some resource and, advantages. I'm just saying, you know, yeah. referring to him as the solar system would be like referring to something as the state or whatever. It's like, what does uh, that yeah. mean? But, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but well, our star is called Sol, though. So when you, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, generically, you say solar system, you mean any any group of planets orbiting a sun. But technically, Saul is our son. And I think that's what they're <laughs> referring to here. Um, maybe it's like the, uh, you know, someplace rare and precious, like the like the Switzerland of the galaxy or something. Maybe it's just <laughs> that important. Because, I mean, the, the Daleks keep trying to conquer it. There must be something good that's about true. it. That's true. They do <laughs> keep coming back to this insignificant little backwater. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so who knows? Maybe it's sort of like in Star Wars, right? Everybody keeps going to uh, what's Tatooine. <laughs> yeah, I mean the entire series is like Tatooine is the most out of the place, you know, armpit of the universe, and we're going to spend every single episode there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, some places are just where the action is happening, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so they're going to watch the news. And um, one of them wants to see Venus-Mars games, whatever that may be. And the other one wants to see Mavic Chen, who is the guardian of the solar system. He's going away on vacation, and he's going to give a brief valedictory of some sort before he goes, you know, a final interview before he wanders off into the beyond for his vacation. They bring up the, uh, the station. And they have a little side digression here, and it's not clear what's going on because I I wasn't able to quite follow what's going on. But it seems as though they're briefly talking about the patrol we just saw that's out looking the rescue party on Kemble. They talk about that just for a couple sentences, but then they get interrupted because the uh, TV channel is starting to show Mavic Chen's interview, which mm-hmm. is the big deal. There's quite a bit of interviewing that he does, but uh, the crux of it is he's going on a trip that he's keeping his destination a secret for uh, because he wants to avoid the reporters and interviewers and stuff. So while he goes on, the two workers are talking amongst themselves and they're talking about spaceships they admire because because Mavic Chen mentions that he's going to be traveling in his spar, which is uh, supposedly the most luxurious form of uh, modern-day space travel available. Rold says it has elegance plus ultimate technology, <laughs> but his co-worker Lysen says it hasn't got the speed. And when we see the spar, uh, it it's goofy looking. It looks like a big 
crown with pointy crown tips on the top of it. So, <laughs> I don't know. It's... I also say when it comes to Mavic Chen, it's there's something weird they're trying to do there, sort of ethnically, in that he kind of has eyebrows and the way he writes with his pencils, we'll see later, is kind of Asian. Mm. But he's also not quite blackface, more kind of brown face. It looked like, yeah. you know, they sort of covered him up. It was, he, and, you know, he yeah. looks like a black and white version of an Asian Oompa Loompa. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it yeah. looks like the the light hair and the, the, it looks like it could very well be orange skin if it was in color. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think this isn't that problematic. I mean, there are other times we will see in Doctor Who's history where they do some kind of unfortunate, you know, racial and kind of blackface kind of things. In this case, though, because it seems to be sort of a mix of different ethnicities and different things, I don't I don't think it's even to modern terms really offensive. It's just a guy who's an alien who has a different sort of look, you know? Yeah, yeah I mean, he, he does look, he looks pretty much human. You know, I, I, mm. I think he may be supposed to be human, but yeah, he... He looks just odd enough. It's like, like I said, he, he looks like an Oompa Loompa. It doesn't <laughs> look like a natural complexion that we're used to seeing. Um, and, and there is, he does, his face has a vaguely Asian look to it, but nothing you can really. Right. And he doesn't do some weird voice, right? And I think that's part of a big part of it. Oh right? yeah, he doesn't do the the Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at yeah, Tiffany's type yeah. thing. Yeah. So then it just feels like okay, this is just a guy who has a different appearance and everything. And yeah, so so that's why I think it's interesting. Like yeah, yeah, it's possible to do these things without being offensive, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, yeah, some people always are going to get offended at something, <laughs> but yeah, it's you can you can try to be good about it. So, Chen, as the interview goes on, he says, uh, It is my earnest hope that the solar system may continue along this path of peace, this path that was laid out by the signing of the Non-Aggression Pact of 3975. And he goes on to say, this is the year 4000, exactly, a nice round number. <laughs> so, so it's been, this Non-Aggression Pact has been in place for 25 years. And as we're going to find out soon enough, he plans to screw it up. <laughs> but clearly, in this interview, he's sort of taking credit, right? I mean, he's yeah, sort of like, oh, yeah. I made everything great. I'm going on vacation. You guys don't mess it up. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's not doing anything to reveal his sinister plans in the interview. <laughs> At the end of the interview, Lizen, one of these two people that we've been watching, she says, "Was that a flash?" And the other guy says. Uh, there's nothing I can see. I think that Flash, again, this is one of those things that is a little ambiguous because they're reconstruction and all, but I think the Flash was supposed to be an indicator light that a message was coming in from the castaways. It also appeared to me that, I mean, because at the end of the interview, and I thought originally it was the interviewer, but later I realized it's not. It's, it's the guy on the planet who's trying to you know get them a message. You see his face. So mm. she might be referring to that. The flash might be that you you see this guy's face for a couple seconds. Oh yeah. Okay. Um but you're you're totally right. This is one of the downsides of a reconstruction. We just it's not clear what the deal is. Right. So back on Kebble, the the jungle planet, they've uh 
stop trying to transmit. And uh, Kurt is still apprehensive. He says, uh, they're out there. I know it. And they're getting closer. They talk a little bit about the Varga plants that we saw in that initial mm-hmm. episode. Uh, the yeah, ones the whole where, thing, if I fall over and get pricked, I'm going to, you know, turn into a zombie or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, these are the plants that uh, turn you into a bunch of cotton balls, basically, if you get pricked. Hmm. But they're cotton balls that walk around and kill people. They uh, they even speculate, especially Kurt, the worried one, he, he speculates that that's what happened to Corey, that he pricked himself on a Vargathorn and turned into one. So they talk a little more, and Kurt decides he's going to make a heroic last stand. And when the other guy resists and says, no, you got to come with me, I'm not going without you, Kurt says, get out of here or I'll kill you. He holds a gun on him. The other guy, whose name is Brett, he can't argue with a gun, so he he walks away, and Kurt wishes him good luck. Mm-hmm. And then we have, um, well, this being a Terry Nation episode, <laughs> which I'm, I was not knowledgeable about Terry Nation before I started this podcast, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm learning how he works. <laughs> you know, and, uh, um, we've got a scene that's uh, at least a good minute, maybe more, of Kurt just sort of looking scared and wandering around the jungle. Soon enough, he actually uh, he actually runs into two Daleks, and uh, they don't waste any time. They they zap him right away. So he's out, out of the game. And one man, says one of the Daleks, he says, one man remains. Find and destroy him. <laughs> and his partner says, I obey. His Daleks are prone to say. Mm-hmm. So the other guy, the surviving guy, Brett, he's elsewhere in the jungle now, and he sees the TARDIS materialize right near him. So he checks it out. The door opens, and the doctor and Katerina come out. So uh, Brett goes and hides. The doctor tells Katerina she wants her to stay here and look after Stephen, who is still recovering from, uh, from his injuries on Troy. If Katerina will do it, the doctor tells her, he asks her to make sure that she knows how to close the doors after he's left. Um, and he has his key to let himself in. Right. And and just to be clear, I mean, Katerina has just come from the time of Troy, right? I mean, she's she has no idea about this technology. She still believes this that the TARDIS is a temple and that they are on their way to paradise, right? That this is kind of the death process right so she's yeah, she's having she's, a very different experience than everyone she, else <laughs> she thinks of traveling through the underworld to a place of perfection and yeah. that uh that will come up in a rather poignant scene down the road there and and i appreciate because sometimes one of the challenges they always have in doctor who is sometimes they get people from ancient times and then very quickly those people just immediately know how to press buttons and open doors etc mm. and they don't do that with her she is a primitive person all the way through this story. Yeah, yeah, and the doctor actually praises her for having the having the sense to look and learn. I don't remember yeah. the exact words. But yeah, he we'll sort of criticizes Stephen at some point because he says, "Hey, she actually just listens and learns." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unlike Stephen, who likes to just kind of rush off and. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so I uh, even though Katarina hasn't done a lot of speaking, I'm favorably inclined. 
toward her so far. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our future stories with her as a companion. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I was, I, would, I am too. <laughs> we'll keep on moving here. Let's see. He lets himself out. Oh, and I wanted to mention here when he says, I have my key to let myself in. Now, soon enough, we're going to find out that the doctor has to hand the key over to someone. And and this is, I think, probably a direct contradiction of what we saw in the in the first season. You remember how the key was yeah. supposed to be this thing that had like twenty one different aspects? Yeah, to it was it like or, it, you had to go through all these levels, and if you didn't do it right, acid would be released and the lock would be destroyed. And I think I told you at the time, yeah, don't hold your breath. That's not going <laughs> to stick around. Now it's literally just like a house key, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's. Uh, a little more straightforward now. Maybe maybe he upgraded the lock or something. <laughs> so the doctor heads out. As soon as he's gone, uh, this guy, Brett, uh, one of the rescue party, the surviving member of the rescue party, he comes, comes out, checks out the TARDIS, uh, and then goes to follow the doctor. The doctor wanders through the jungle a bit, and he sees... A little ways away, there's a, what he calls a city or perhaps a town. <laughs> now, well, uh, hello, Terry Nation, you know, a city in the distance that we're going to be traveling towards. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's always good to have your comfort, uh, you know, your comfort features of yourself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to rag on Terry Nation too much, but he does have some, he does have some recurring themes that he comes back. And actually, and, and we'll get to this. I mean, what I'm most impressed by in the episodes we're talking about today is some of the episodes don't have all that, right? They actually have, you know, some new things and they don't just fall back on. Like oh, yeah. it, in the first four episodes, amazingly, nobody falls backwards into a door that rotates. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there is that. Although we do have at least one example of a, of a, Naming that's a little too on the nose, I think. Yeah, we'll, sure, of course. Well, that you know, if we didn't have that, it just wouldn't feel like a Terry Nation story. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. So the doctor sees this little little town off in the distance, and Brett sneaks up on him. He's got a gun in his hand, and he says, "Keep absolutely still." <laughs> and he wants the doctor's key to the TARDIS. So the doctor gives it to him, and uh, back at the TARDIS. Brett hasn't arrived there quite yet with his key. Katerina and Stephen are in there, and Stephen has finally woken up. Uh, he asks where we are, and Katerina tells him on our way through the underworld, because that's what she thinks. She mm -hmm. doesn't, doesn't grasp the full nature of the TARDIS. And then Stephen is starting to remember Vicky and Troy, and he remembers that Katerina helped him. Uh, back then, and she tells him he's got to rest. So Stephen, he he rests a little more. He just goes back to sl slumberland, and uh, the doors open, and it's Brett who has used his key that did not require knowing how the 21 different pins worked <laughs> on it. And uh, Brett says, the old man sent me. <laughs> And he's a very impressed by the interior of the TARDIS. I mean, it's just the sheer fact that you walk into this police box and it's a spacious, sprawling interior is impressive enough. And also, I think the technology impresses him. 
Yeah, even though he's a man of uh, the year 4000, this is still, uh, you know, yeah, advanced. Yeah. And uh, he asks Katerina, how do you work this thing? And she says, only the doctor works his temple. <laughs> he asks her if she's sure she doesn't know how to work this. And she says, no, it belongs to the doctor. And he's, he again emphasizes that he's pretty impressed by it. He says, the old man said this was no ordinary ship. And he was right. Now, meanwhile, the doctor is outside the TARDIS, and he's uh, looking at it, and he gets a cute little soliloquy here. There's a lot of hmms and hmms. <laughs> a, a lot of little amused giggling in there, which is uh, always a high point of the doctor's talking. Mm -hmm. So he, uh, he thinks that uh, Brett has been very foolish because he left the key in the door, which is pretty foolish if you think about it. Um, he says, well, now it's brain or brawn rather versus brain. So I think that might be one of those Billy flubs. I think it was yeah. supposed to be, well, now it's brawn versus brain. And he says, I've got you beaten from the start, young man. <laughs> Inside the TARDIS, we just have a very quick uh, cutaway. And, and thank goodness for the scripts, because it, to me, it wasn't clear at all what happened in this little 10-second interlude, but apparently Brett was looking at the controls of the TARDIS and Stephen attracted him with a red, or a spanner, as the British would say. And one thing uh, I should mention, because we haven't actually talked about it while talking about the episode, is that this particular reconstruction, and again, you know, I think this was done in 1977, so, um, you know, the person who did it did not have the technology that anybody on their phone or anything would, would have today. Oh, right? sure. But one of the things he attempted to do to, to liven it up is he would do these little loops where you see somebody's eyes kind of rotating around and their mouth opening and closing. <laughs> and he would just keep replaying that loop while they're talking. And I would rather have a still picture because it was just very <laughs> disturbing sort of image um, that you would see. But yeah, yeah, the um, yeah. There's there's one one of the characters. I think it's Brett. We get a few shots of his animated face, and it's he almost looks. Um, I think the term is palsied, like when one side of the face becomes kind of you know, right. semi animate. Yeah, I would also describe it like as a fish, you know, with their mm, mouth open yeah. and closed, you know. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but like I say, it was 1977. Oh, he yeah. was doing kind of state of the art. I'm not. I'm not going to complain, but uh, oh, no. but it is a little oh, weird to watch. <laughs> so Stephen Stephen attacks Brett with a wrench, and that's all there is to that scene. So we don't know what the outcome of that is yet. The Doctor uh, here's a spaceship overhead. It's coming in for a landing. And he gives another little soliloquy, which uh, it's it's very obviously a kind of exposition. You know, it's not naturally flowing speech. It's um, <laughs> it's very functional speech, but it's amusing. It's uh, him talking to himself, and he says, "I wonder if that spaceship has anything to do with that violent young man, or any connection with that city <laughs> below." Yes, there are one or two questions I must have answered. And he probably adds in a couple hmms in there. <laughs> but uh, now we see a Dalek reporting to the Supreme Dalek, who is the one in the black armor instead of silver or chrome armor. And the Dalek 
This is the space vessel's landing, and everything's ready. So this is a visitor they've been waiting for. In the TARDIS, it turns out that Brett has been successfully subdued by Stephen, and now the doctor has put him in a little invention of mine, he says. He calls it the magnetic chair. It is a force field, he says, strong enough to restrain a herd of elephants. Yeah, this is one of those little inventions which is clever in the moment. But, of course, the problem is there will be many, many times in the future where if you'd use this, it would be helpful. But, of course, it oh, will just yeah. disappear. <laughs> it's just a one-hit wonder. Yeah. <laughs> so the doctor tells Katerina that he's found a city. He says, just as I was about to ascertain its locale, that young ruffian said about me. <laughs> he said exactly what you said in terms yeah. of words, right? And I was like, wow, this is really weird dialogue. <laughs> and I think it's just kind of an example of Terry Nation. I mean, well, the doctor is an older guy and mm -hmm. everything. He's never talked like that before. So yeah. I think it's just an example of Terry Nation not really knowing the show, even though yeah, it's going to be yeah, part of it. I liked it because the doctor, the doctor, it, it, he doesn't usually talk quite, quite that old timey, but, uh, but he does, he, he, he does just generally have the, the old gentleman vibe yeah. about him. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I thought it was kind of charming, this line. So I, it works <laughs> for me. Yeah, it's fun. The doctor, uh, is going to cross examine Brett when he gets back. Uh, but in the meantime, he should be all right there. He's real confident that the chair is going to hold him. Yeah, that, you know, there's a little tell here because he tells Katarina what switch will turn off the chair thing. And then you're like, oh, okay, I know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> he really shouldn't have told her that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the doctor's out in the jungle and he finds a skeleton, which is, of course, the party that the rescue party came here to rescue. I don't remember the guy's name, but it was that. A bit of an inconsistency because, as we know, I mean, that skeleton is a guy who got fried by the Daleks. And mm -hmm. we've never before seen a person who was, you know, that kind of negative image thing shot they do. There's never been a skeleton before. <laughs> so, mm, good point. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of convenient in this case because they wanted to have a location for the body and everything. But yeah. Well, maybe maybe they had it on the setting between, yeah. uh, you <laughs> know, <true>. disable <laughs> arms and disintegrate. Yeah, just dis <laughs> yeah, dis disintegrate flesh, leave bones, right? <laughs> 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 yeah, it could be. <laughs> so the doctor finds the tape. Uh, which was, of course, the w the message they were trying to get to Earth as a warning. Right. Uh, and which I, I will credit us, because you recall, we predicted that that tape was going to get found. Yeah. Because there was this kind of extended shot of the tape after after the guy died, right? Yeah, that was kind of Chekhov's spool of tape. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and to their credit, it's like two, you know, another story later that it comes up. I mean... Oh, yeah, yeah. As a kid and all this, you had to be watching really carefully, right? I mean, there's a lot of plot elements here. Oh, that, sure. You know, yeah. Yeah. Although they, they generally do a good job in this show of keeping you up to date if you missed an episode. I, I think that's almost de rigueur for, for yeah. episodic shows is you've got to catch people up because you can't count on them getting everyone. <laughs> yeah. Especially back when... 
you know, like when we were kids, I, I remember like my family would be like, oh, it's Wednesday night or whatever. We got to watch the Cosby show. Right? Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. It, you either saw it when it aired or you didn't see it. I mean, <laughs> right, right. You didn't, uh, you didn't have your little DVR or TiVo or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. So the uh, Daleks are observing spaceship landing. And the Supreme Dalek is going to go wait for his guest. And the doctor is hiding nearby, noticing all this. And he says, Daleks. And there's a little orchestral sting. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's a really big yeah, <laughs> moment. <laughs> uh, of course, the problem is when Daleks are in the title of the show, it's not really a big surprise when they show up. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, I didn't really need that music cue to drive it home. <laughs> <laughs> so in the TARDIS, Brett is still locked up in his uh, in his herd of elephants chair. And Katerina says that Stephen is sick. The doctor says he's poisoned in the blood. And uh, she doesn't name the specific poison, but fortunately, uh, Bretta seems to have some blood poisoning tablets. <laughs> Well, blood de-poisoning. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Tablets for treating blood poisoning. Okay. Like malaria tablets. You don't want tablets that give Although, you malaria. Right. The whole thing here is, right, he's like, oh, you know, take these tablets and give them to him. But you don't know if he's trying to trick her, if he's going to try and knock her over. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it feels yeah. like he's setting up a trap here. Right. Right. He says he's got some in the pouch of his belt. and uh, yeah, give, him, give him two tablets and call me in the morning. <laughs> so they go back and forth a little bit because Katarina is uh, understandably reluctant to get too close to him or trust. And they sort of gloss over, I think, unless I missed something, they gloss over that she actually has to penetrate that force field to get the tablets out of his belt, but it doesn't right. restrain her. So maybe as long as she's just partway through, I don't know, we'll go with it. <laughs> but she does eventually go along with it brett points out to her that if Stephen recovers she'll be forgiven for her disobedience to the doctor so she takes the tablets and uh brett looking up at the scanner he sees a dalek entering the clearing the script says enter the clearing of course we don't get quite the level of detail in reconstruction but he sees it and he says no Meanwhile, in the in the Daleks building, the new ally has arrived, and it's Mavic Chen, the guardian of the solar system. So one might conclude that maybe he isn't doing a great job guarding the solar system after all. And <laughs> the Supreme Dalek welcomes him, and he, <laughs> he has a, this is about as mustache twirling a villain line as you're gonna get. <laughs> I am honored to be here and to be part of your plan to conquer Earth and all the planets in the solar system. There's <laughs> also the weird thing, like, the first time we see him, and we see this repeatedly, he's using a pencil to, like, write. You know, we see this multiple times, right? Mm-hmm. But he does this, and I assume, uh, I don't know, it was the actor or director, you know, who made this decision. He does this really weird thing where the pencil is underneath his first and last finger and over his middle two fingers, right? So he's doing this very strange 
configuration of his hand as he writes. And yeah, I, 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 yeah, it was it was interesting. I thought it was not. I could be wrong, but but I remember it as being he was mostly holding it normally, but I think it was his ring finger was like under the pencil rather than over it, or vice versa. Um, it was just it was out of step with all the other fingers in it. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely a you know definitely a weird little thing he does, and it's not important to the story, but it makes him maybe a little more alien or something. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I it actually um, struck struck me more than it might strike most people because back when I was ele- in elementary school, the way I held a pen or pencil was different from the way most people do, and it turns out there is a name for it. It's like you know, quadrupedal. I mean, there's like names for all the different ways that people mm-hmm. can hold a pencil. And and the way I do it is actually an actual categorized way of doing <laughs> it. And it's it's one of the more stable ways. I mean, there is a practical benefit to it, but the downside is that if you do it for too long, your hand gets sore. I guess that's... <laughs> that. Well, so I grew up mostly left-handed. I'm kind of ambidextrous, but, you know, mostly left-handed. And my father had been left-handed. And the difference between the time when my father was growing up and me is when my father was growing up, if you were left-handed, one of the jobs of the teacher was to find ways to kind of terrorize you out of being left-handed. Mm, right? I've, I've heard was, of that being done, yeah. Yeah, it was like a defect, and they had to switch you to be right-handed. And then, you know, I don't know how valid it is, but there were various studies that kind of showed that when you forcibly converted someone from left-handed to right-handed, it kind of had negative psychological consequences on them. Mm. Fortunately, by the time I was growing up, that wasn't a big deal. And in fact, yeah. they would have in classes, as maybe they do now, um, they would have both left-handed and right-handed scissors and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So you're, although ironically, even though I'm left-handed at writing, most things like using scissors I do with right hand. Yeah, well, that's the case with me, too. I'm <laughs> I'm left-handed with a couple things like writing, but I'm right-handed with most of the others. That's why I say I'm kind of ambidextrous, and with most things, I can kind of do it with either hand. Mm-hmm. But definitely, in terms of writing, I'm left-handed. So yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's just interesting how these things can be big social issues at some point. Like, oh, oh wow, yeah. you wouldn't want your kid to be left-handed. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What does that say about them? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Chen has arrived and talked about his, what a villain he is in his very first <laughs> line of dialogue. So the doctor is dismayed to see this. Now he knows the secret of the guardian of the solar system. So he heads back to the TARDIS. The doctor reaches the TARDIS and, uh, well, the situation doesn't look good because, uh, the TARDIS door is open and he sees two Daleks standing right outside the ship. And that is our cliffhanger for this episode. Okay, so next episode in the tradition of Terry Nation, you know, over-the-top titles, Day of Armageddon. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Armageddon doesn't come. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how much it lives up to it. <laughs> now... Especially after you just spent an episode watching a reconstruction where there were some confusing elements and sometimes a little bit hard to tell what's going on. This is a real refresher because after a bit you realize, oh, this is a fully live action episode. It's not just like 30 seconds or 10 seconds like, oh, the whole episode 
exists. Although it's, it's, it's weird and I, I don't totally know why, but the person who, who posted the version we watched, the whole video is flipped. <laughs> so yeah, the credits yeah. are reversed and everything. And I, I kind of this theory that maybe it was to avoid, you know, the automated um, copyright detection things. I don't know. Yeah. But we there's I, other stuff we see where it's not flipped later on like other episodes so i don't i don't know i think i think <laughs> you're probably exactly right i've i've seen that done with various clips from shows uh, not just mm. doctor who not that we're watching an illegitimate version of this <laughs> no no i'm sure somebody somewhere approved it yeah <laughs> now the other kind of weird thing and this might be a timing thing i didn't look into exactly when the reconstruction for this episode which is done by a different person than the last episode was done, but this one starts with the end of the last episode, you know, the as usual, the cliffhanger, and it's all live action. And for some reason, the one we watched before didn't include the live action. It was, you know, it was still just film clips. But it's quite possible, or I should say it was still kind of screenshots, right, of, of people. But it's quite possible, especially given how long ago the first episode was done as a reconstruction, that the live action hadn't been found yet. Uh. I again, I didn't look into it, but that would be my guess. Because, of course, you'd want to use, you know, 30 seconds of live action if you if you had it rather oh, than doing sure. the, the screenshot. Okay, but all that given. Um, so what we see that was a little bit unclear to me at the end of the last episode is that the Daleks have found the TARDIS and... One tells the other to inform base security that a foreign craft has been located. Now, this is a little weird to me because we're now in the year 4000. The Doctor has dealt with the Daleks many times, including their first invasion of Earth, and they don't recognize the TARDIS. Oh, good point. That's uh... Yeah, it just seems a little weird. They're just like, oh, it's a foreign craft. I'm like, okay, come on, you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, although I think... I I still I haven't looked it up, but I still think that they fiddled with the timeline between the first time we met the Daleks and the next time they showed up. Because I <laughs> I'm almost sure that like originally when we met them, their civilization had collapsed only like 500 years right, in the future. Right. Yeah, like I say, don't don't try to track these timelines. <laughs> But again, you know, literally almost 2,000 years before this, the doctor defeated them. You'd think they would have some kind of memory, you know, being sort of computer-like beings. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. They should have some uh, database they can draw on. I mean, <laughs> they got it in Star Wars. You, know, you can identify a TIE fighter or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So the Daleks are now on the hunt for the invaders, which is kind of funny that, you know, they're invading this planet, but they consider the doctor and company to be invaders. And the doctor sneaks off through the jungle. And then one of these two Daleks who are talking gets a message from the Dalek Supreme. The message is that Operation Inferno is about to be put into action. So we'll see what that means. Yeah. Um, and and don't, don't get your hopes up. We're not going to see any uh, <laughs> atomic bombs or anything like that. <laughs> and then we see Mavic Chin. And again, in that form I was talking about, he's writing in that weird way where he's kind of holding the pencil kind of threaded between his fingers yeah. and he's sitting at a large table with a bunch of majestic chairs around it. And there's a ramp coming down from a doorway with a, you know, kind of a, a light behind this doorway. And a Dalek comes down the ramp 
And then we get a really freaky shot. And I'm really glad we had this in live action because I, I don't think it would have been communicated in, you know, reconstruction screenshots because this guy in a completely black cloak uh, and hoodie over his head comes down and his arms are extended outwards, right? And he's walking down this ramp. So mm. it's a very creepy look, almost like a, you know, um, oh, bad guy in Star what Wars. Did, oh, uh, Darth Vader. I, you know, <laughs> I, I thought of that. At, at first, my first thought was Darth Vader. And then the more I saw of it, it reminded me of, now, I don't think you've played this, but in the video game Deadly Premonition, uh, there's a villain called the Raincoat Killer. And, and that's <laughs> who this reminded me of after I saw him for a moment. Well, I'm going to go with Darth Vader. I think uh, 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 more of our audience will probably have heard Oh, him. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's a really creepy shot, and I thought they did a really good job of it, and that's why I really appreciated that we have the actual film of this. I, I think it makes it, uh, you know, it's just much more effective than it would be otherwise. Mm -hmm. When he gets to kind of the bottom of the ramp, we see that his his hands are very odd, and I was confused for a bit because... I thought maybe he'd been infected, you know, by those Vargas plants mm, or whatever yeah. that, that caused you to turn. Because that's his arms are very leafy. Right. But it turns out, no, that's just who he, you know, that's just his species, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Vargas are more cotton ball, like, I think. Yeah. And this is more like wilted lettuce. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, this kind of, like you say, wilted lettuce effect. It turns out this guy, well, I say he's Zephon. I guess he's from Zephon. It's never 100% clear to mm. me, but you refer to him as Zephon. He's the master of the fifth galaxy. And I'll remind you <laughs> that, you know, Mavic Chen, and I love the name Mavic Chen, which is also such a Star Wars name, right? <laughs> but, uh, oh, yeah. Mavic Chen is the, you know, the, the guardian of a solar system. So we're talking about six, seven planets, right? This guy is the head of a galaxy, which is, you know, a thousand times, a hundred thousand times oh, a solar system. Oh, well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. but our, our solar system is special. That's true. It is. <laughs> you know, we are kind of the center of the universe, as we keep trying to say. Um, <laughs> but it is good to be the master of your galaxy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the reference to that. <laughs> Mavic tells Zephon that he's been reading up on things and the Daleks have evolved a most interesting plan. And Zephon is offended because he's like, well, we contributed to that plan. <laughs> so, uh, he, he wants to get credit. But he does admit that the Daleks have a particular genius for war. As long as Doctor Who isn't involved and they have a genius yeah. for losing war. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And then Zephon wants to know why Mavic Chen would betray his people when he's already in charge of a very influential solar system. But kind of getting to what I was saying, Mavic Chen points out, look, it's a solar system. <laughs> it's, it's pretty small change. Wouldn't you want to be in charge of everything? <laughs> and it, I have to say, I mean, it's already, this is probably just a blindingly obvious thing to say, but if if you're a powerful person and the Daleks come seeking an alliance, don't ally with the Daleks. I mean, they're just, <laughs> they're not trustworthy in any measure. Come on, they might have learned. They might have taken some classes and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Learn, learn some win-win negotiating. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Could be. Everyone seems to rely on that, right? Yeah, they've screwed everybody else in history, but me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched, uh, what was it, Cyberpunk Edge Runners uh, oh, recently. Yeah, I've heard that's good. I haven't... Yeah, yeah. Is it, and there's a, a, numerous betrayals throughout the course of it, and most of them are ones that you would expect. <laughs> to be coming sooner or later. But, but well, that's... speaking of all this, we now see some Daleks conferring with each other. And surprise, they say that once Mavic Chen has served his purpose, he and everyone else will be eliminated. <laughs> <laughs> so the usual Dalek plan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, they aren't even being creative. It's just, we're going to kill everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and back in the jungle, Steven sort of suddenly sits up. He's coolly in much better shape now. And he doesn't know what's been going on. He's sort of been totally out of it because he's been sick, right? So Katarina tells him they had to leave the doctor's temple <laughs> because the evil ones came. And the evil ones, of course, are the Daleks. And then the doctor stumbles across them. And Katarina calls him my lord, but I like he insists to be called the doctor. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> and he wants to know what they're doing there because they were supposed to be in the TARDIS with Brett, you know, being captured in the magic magnetic chair. Right. And Katarina says that, you know, the Daleks came along and Brett helped Steven by, you know, having her give him the pills. And then Brett <laughs> said they had to get out because the Daleks were there. All-purpose pills for blood poisoning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's convenient to have. But, you know, she said, oh, he, the Daleks came, so he said we had to get out, so we fled. And the doctor is actually sympathetic. He's like, oh, yeah, he wouldn't have known that the... TARDIS would have protected you against the Daleks, so, you know, it's understandable he thought you had to had to go, even though it would have been better for you to stay in the TARDIS. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, elsewhere, Brett is making his way through the jungle, and he sees a bunch of Daleks, and they are beginning Project Inferno, which means that they are equipped with flamethrower arms now, which do actually, you know, project a whole bunch of flame, and they're going through and catching things on fire. And I referenced this in some previous Doctor Who episode. I mean, you think about it. They have these tiny sets that have, you know, painted stuff and everything. Having these Daleks with actual flamethrower arms is very dangerous. And, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, everyone seemed to live. But I also suspect that the safety uh, criteria and, and policies back in those days were not what they would be now so and they might have, yeah. might have played a little more fast and loose with it back then but. yeah but it but it is impressive that they're going through with actual flames shooting out of their arms right it's not cgi it's not you know anything like that it's like yep they're just going through here with with fire coming out <laughs> and uh meanwhile the doctor and katarina are helping steven walk but he's having a tough time and then brett shows up and the doctor very uncharacteristically but it's kind of cool he thanks brett for what he's done right so he thought brett was a bad guy and he had captured him in that chair but based on what katarina told him and what he's done the doctor you now realizes that he's a good guy yeah but that doesn't mean they're not going to fight <laughs> so, <laughs> so brett tells them what the daleks are doing you know burning down the jungle and the doctor wants to head back to the tardis to safety but Stephen says, look, that's exactly what they're trying to do, right? They're using this fire to drive us back through the TARDIS. They know we're going to go there, and then they'll try and capture us. And I, I love this little bit. It's just kind of funny. The Stephen accuses the doctor of not thinking, 
And the doctor says, I never do and I never shall, meaning I will never not think. <laughs> this is kind of a weird little. And I think we might have seen a time or two where he didn't think through things a whole lot. <laughs> and now the doctor argues with Brett because Brett's focus is we've got to warn Earth about what's coming, right? The doctors, the Daleks are planning another invasion of Earth. And the doctor is like, screw that. We need to just stop them, right? So they just have a different approach, right? Yeah. And then, <laughs> uh, this is a great callback, right? The doctor tells Brett, what you should do is tell Earth to look back in history to the year 2157. So that's when the original invasion of the Daleks happened, And that was right? when we lost Susan. Yeah, 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 at the end of that one. So that's a great callback, right? Oh, yeah. And he says, look, look, you know, tell them to look back to 2157 and learn from history because the Daleks are coming back and uh, can tell them how to defeat them, which is kind of yeah. interesting. And, and Brett's reaction is really surprising to me because, you know, he's presumably an educated, I mean, he's a secret agent man from the future, <laughs> um, and yet he's completely skeptical that there can be any use in knowing anything about history. And that. I mean, I I would think that most people would at least see some value in it, but but he just mm -hmm. doesn't seem interested. The doctor tells him about 20, 2157, and Brett just blows him right off. So I was <laughs> I was surprised, but well, admittedly, it would be kind of like now if someone's like, oh, you know. Think back to the Civil War. That'll really help you with this fight. And it's like, yeah, I don't think the Civil War is going to help a whole lot, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing to learn from that or World War One or any of that stuff. Yeah. So meanwhile, the fire that the Daleks have started in the jungle is encroaching on them. And so the doctor leads them towards the Dalek city. And again, that distant city that we need to approach. So. <laughs> Good although, old Terry Nation. Although it is more of a town from what we see of it. <laughs> That's we, true. Although we, we only got to saw, actually, they, they at, at least in the first reconstruction, they were alternating two different frames. So one part of the city looked like it was animated a little bit, but uh, but it looks, you know, it, from what we see of it, it's just a little clearing in the forest with some buildings in it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, the doctor says the, the city is the last place they'll expect us to go, even though that's what we've done every other time before, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so meanwhile, Mavic Chin and this black hooded alien are debating things. You know, the alien with the kind of, you know, Weird vegetable yeah, hands the, and all that. The lettuce guy. And Mavic Chan says he, it, rather than fire as the Daleks are doing, he would have used sonic weapons to stop the doctor instead of this primitive fire. <laughs> <laughs> and the black hooded alien is on some kind of power trip. It's a little bit weird. And he says the Daleks need him. So he's not going to show up on time for the council meeting. It's like a power play, right? Mm. He wants to make everybody wait to kind of show that he's, you know, important. Yeah. Like they can't, they can't he's, start the meeting without him. He's the the alpha male. Yep. <laughs> yep. And Mavic Chan is amused by this, but he takes a more humble approach and says, "You know, I'm just handling one solar system. You've got a whole galaxy. You know." <laughs> yeah. And But there's something in here that reminds me of the plot of Barry Levinson's Avalon. Did you ever see the movie Avalon? 
I never did. I seem to remember that it takes place like maybe in the 50s or, you know. Yeah, it, it actually takes place over several decades. It's a really good movie. It might be one of my host choice at one point because mm. I really love it. But there's this key plot point in there, which is, I think, very real and very bizarre, which is that every year they have a Thanksgiving dinner and they wait for all their out-of-town relatives to show up before they start dinner, yeah. right? Well, one year, the out-of-town relatives are really, really late. It's like hours late. The kids are all grumpy and running around. Everybody's hungry, right? So mm -hmm. finally, the head of the family says, look, we're just going to eat. And then the relatives show up after they started eating. And they're so offended that they started dinner before they got there mm -hmm. that for like the next two decades, the family is split in half huh. based on, you know... <laughs> who was on which side of this oh, and how boy. offended they were by it, which is both ridiculous, but also very realistic. Yeah, and this is, very it just, plausible. <laughs> it reminded me here, because he's like, oh, no one's going to start the committee meeting until I show up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's a spoiler for Avalon, but hopefully you'll forget <laughs> if we ever get around to it. Then. Seems likely. <laughs> So meanwhile, we see other alien leaders filing into the room. And this is a total callback to Mission Unknown where, because we see basically the same kind of aliens, right? Like one of them mm -hmm. has sort of a scuba helmet on. Um, one of them has this kind of all these different little cells painted on his mm -hmm. face. You know, one has these, and if you'll come back, these bizarre things hanging off his face. Yeah, which they look is, like leeches or something. Yeah, not it wasn't the best. <laughs> Maybe he wouldn't yeah, have gone yeah. with that one. And there's, a, <laughs> and there's another guy, I think a different guy, who has a filed down teeth that we, we see in the Oh, yeah, he's later. very, well, he absolutely looks like a vampire, right? Because uh, he's got uh, kind of the pale face and the filed teeth. Yeah, yeah it's uh, totally a vampire. <laughs> so... All these aliens are entering in, and they're taking their place at the table of evil. It kind of reminds me, of, do you ever see the Sim Simpsons episode where the Republicans have their, um, you know, their power center around this table? It's oh, kind of like it rings a bell. I, yeah. I probably did. I was, uh, I was thinking of Doctor Evil's conference room for Austin oh, Powers. Okay. But yeah, that kind yeah, of yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't watched those movies, so you know more about. Them. <laughs> So as they're all taking their places, a Dalek enters and he approaches the Supreme Dalek. And this is one of those cases where I had to refer to the script because I couldn't figure out what was going on. And all that the Dalek says is Zephon. And it turns out what he's saying is Zephon is the one leader who hasn't shown up. Right. But he just says Zephon, which, well, usually I'm I'm all for kind of minimalist dialogue and everything. In this case, I think it's confusing. Mm. I, I think it would he should have just said Zephon hasn't shown up or something rather than just saying Zephon. I, I found it very confusing. Yeah. And the Supreme Dalek says, oh, this was expected, and Zephon's usefulness is over, <laughs> which yeah, is usually so a bad is, sign when the Daleks think your usefulness is over. <laughs> yes, and this is also the second one of their allies that they've uh, said something uh, ominous about in this single episode. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, the doctor and company come to a crest on a hill and they see the Dalek city, which is a complete recreation from the original Dalek story, right? Uh, uh, where they have that hill and they see the Dalek city. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's Cherry Nation. It's exactly what you would expect. Yeah. 
But they also see that these different spaceships have landed, and Brett is shocked to recognize Mavic Chen's spaceship because Mavic Chen is the guardian of the solar system. So what would he be doing here with the bad guys? Yeah. But what do- the doctor takes from this, he doesn't care about Mavic Chen. He says, oh, that means you, Brett, will know how to fly this spaceship. And Brett says, well, of course. Well, I don't understand why, just because he knows Mavic Chen, he would know how to fly the spaceship, but okay, whatever. Well, it's <laughs> I, I think it's because Mavic Chen is flying that, I don't remember what it's called now, a soar or a, I don't know. Yeah. There, there's some name for this. Yeah, it's a, I guess a popular this fancy is, ship. This is so. the spaceship that the guys were, or the one guy was praising earlier. Um, so it's probably, you know, like if you're, if you're a car buff, you might know what to expect from the, from the dashboard of, you know, Mercedes Benz or something. Yeah. I don't know. So the doctor says, this is the ship they need to head for. Since Brad can fly it, you know, they should go there and use that ship to escape. And then there's this weird jump because we just start seeing the black robed alien walking along with his, you know, vegetative feet. And then suddenly the doctor and Brett are in the same room as him. And we didn't see any traveling. I mean, they were miles away from the city. There was no traveling in between. They're just suddenly in the same room. So it's like, <laughs> okay. You know. Yeah, we saw, we saw them looking over the city. And then uh, that was the last we saw them before now. Yeah. So directorially, I just think it's a little problematic. You'd want at least a shot or two of them traveling there or moving through the jungle, but they just appear. Brett sneaks up behind the alien and chokes him out. And meanwhile, in the, you know, conference room, the Daleks see that everyone is ready except for the black-robed guy, and they start searching for him. The black-robed guy, I mean, that that was kind of uh, taking a chance because if he's a big head of lettuce, you can't guarantee that choking him is going to do anything to him. (laughs) Yeah, well, what can you do? You just got to (laughs) go take a chance. The doctor, meanwhile, decides he can find out what the Daleks are up to by dressing up as the lettuce guy. So he takes his robe, you know, which fortunately was all-encompassing and covers his face. Yeah, it's got a big hood on and everything. Yeah. And not just a hood. There's like a full face mask right under that. So Mm -hmm. you can't see his face. And meanwhile, he wants Brett and the others to go and take over Mavic Chen's spaceship. And he gives Brett a tape recording that he found in the jungle, the one next to the skeleton, in case it turns out to be useful. So that was the one we predicted all along that they would find. (laughs) (laughs) And he tells Brett that if he doesn't show up in time, they must leave in the spaceship without him, which will come to have some uh, impact here. So the doctor shows up in a hallway in these robes, and the Daleks find him and take him to the conference room. Meanwhile, Brett and company head off to Mavic Chin's. Once they leave, we see the you know previously robed alien moving his arms, so he's not dead or unconscious or anything, so maybe he's going to show up again. He's coming too, it looks like. Yeah. But the robed doctor takes this guy's place at the table in the conference room, and a Dalek announces important news. The time destructor is now ready, and it only requires the core to be completed. So we've never heard of a time destructor before. I guess the Daleks just like killing time. Yep. And the, so this is very funny, and it took me back to the prisoner, if you recall, because 
the members of the conference are really excited and they start pounding the table. Oh, and since yeah. they're mostly like in robes and everything, it was very much the prisoner that, was of that like last, last two part yeah. episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Although Mavic Chen claps, uh, the rest of them pound on the table. But he yeah, claps. that's true. He's a little more refined. <laughs> and now the Daleks ask Mavic Chen to address the meeting. As your most recent ally, I am delighted to be able to make so significant a contribution to our conquest of the universe. I now present you with the core of the Time Destructor, a full M of Terranium. Now, I don't quite know what a full M of Terranium means, but... Yeah, I don't really... Turns out, he says, you know, Terranium is the rarest mineral in the universe, and he has spent 50 years subtly getting it mined, secretly getting it mined, which also... Reminded me of Star Wars and the prequel series where they were making the clone army and all that. So he's been a patient guy. He spent 50 years, you know, setting up this con. And as you mentioned, one of the reasons that our solar system is so important is that terranium can only be found on one of the dead planets of the solar system. I think... um, Later, they say which one. I forget. Uranus. Venus. Uranus. Yeah. yeah. We, oh, that was funny because, yes, when he's like, oh, this can only be found on Uranus. <laughs> I'm like, okay, 10-year-old me is going to have a lot of fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe even 54-year-old me. I turned 54 today, by the way. So. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I'm still uh, amused by Uranus jokes. So. <laughs> oh, me too. Yeah, they never get old. <laughs> Especially if they involve Klingons. <laughs> but uh, two things I wanted to say about terranium. One, I just wanted to describe uh, for listeners this this thing that they're talking about is the core. It's uh, it's kind of a chrome cylinder about maybe uh, oh I don't know maybe four inches wide, maybe six or seven yeah, inches I'd, long. Yeah, I described it as a coffee and, can, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's it's a Modest sized metal cylinder, and it also has a hinge going down the whole length of it, like a seam, so that presumably it could be opened up like a watch case or sunglass case, you know, something like that. And the other thing I wanted to mention about terranium is this is what I was referring to earlier about a, a possible uh, archetypal Terry Nation naming example because, uh, uh, even though it's found on Uranus, I, I'm wondering if originally he meant it to be found only on Earth, which, of course, is named Terra. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so, mm-hmm. uh, could be, could be. <laughs> and now we see the original black-robed alien, even though he's been disrobed, and he's working to escape his tied hands. And it's kind of funny, even though it's the year 4000, we still just tie up our enemies with some rope and <laughs> hope they don't figure out a way to escape. Then we see some humans in a room. We don't quite know what this is, but Brett enters with a machine gun, and it turns out this is Mavic Chen's spaceship, and he's taking over. <laughs> so they tie up Mavic's men, and then they're waiting for the doctor to show up. But the evil alien triggers an alarm, and he freaks out the council and the Daleks, and everyone just starts running back and forth all over the place <laughs> in the council room. And in the confusion... The robe doctor grabs the coffee can of terranium and runs out. And Although I, I'm almost certain this was not William Hartnell because yeah. this was a pretty spry person. <laughs> I was going to say yeah. the exact same yeah. thing. Yep. 
So back in the spaceship, Brett wants to leave, but Steve, you know, and, and the doctor had told him, like, look, if I don't show up, you should leave, right? So Brett is following his instructions. Yeah. Steven refuses to let him leave. They get into a fight. Brett fights off Steven, and Katerina appeals to Brett. And again, I love this. It's a very consistent thing about her character. And she says, you know, without the doctor, we can't reach the place of perfection. So she's, you know, she's still thinking of this as a journey through the afterlife, right. and they're trying to get to this place of perfection. But Brett isn't persuaded by her, and he starts the process of taking off in the rocket. And it's the end of the episode. <laughs> Next up, Devil's Planet. Devil's Planet. Well, it starts off with the uh, the handmaiden of Cassandra, Katerina. She's pleading with Brett to wait for the doctor. And uh, he's not having any of it. But just as he's about ready to take off, Stephen says, hold the countdown. It's the doctor. So Brett obliges. He stops the countdown. The doctor gets into the ship. So fairly easily resolved cliffhanger there. Yeah, that happens a lot in Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the doctor urges him to get us away immediately, which they do. And uh, back in the Daleks' control room, they're monitoring the... Uh, the ship taking off, and one of the Daleks tells the Supreme Dalek, this is probably one of the best lines in these four, best or worst, depending on how you look at it. Mm -hmm. He says, all is ready for their space extinction. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch that, but I love that. Yeah, space extinction. That's, you know, that's much worse than just extinction. <laughs> <laughs> When the Supreme Dalek says not to destroy the ship, it must not be destroyed. Uh, that's very disappointing yeah. for a Dalek. <laughs> so instead, what they're going to do is prepare the Neutronic Randomizer, which uh, <laughs> is turns out to be a little less impressive than it sounds, but we'll get to that. You know, it has some bad effects. Oh, I mean. it's, a, it's, it's a useful tool. It just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a $10 word for a pretty... Simple thing. So, oh, the, oh, the Spar, that's the name of the, the finest of all spaceships that looks like a mm. big stupid crown. On the Spar, uh, the Doctor and Brett and everyone are, they think they're headed for Earth, and they're, they're trying to go to Earth. The Doctor is looking for his little, uh, his little cylinder, he calls it his little box, uh, which is the core of this Dalek device. Stephen helps him find it, and then the doctor says the Daleks' plans are utterly useless without this. Uh, the doctor reveals that uh, they've made an alliance, the Daleks have made an alliance with a motley crew of other galactic rulers and so forth. Yeah, it's the outer galaxies, right? Uh, so kind of on the fringes, not as well respected as, say, our solar system. <laughs> yeah, they're they're so far out there, they have names like Galaxy 5. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor reveals that Mavic Chen, this man who, uh, from what we've seen, at least some of the people of Earth uh, really admire this man. It turns out he's a complete traitor. <laughs> Too bad. Hard to believe. <laughs> and uh, Stephen's trying to look at this uh, 
cylinder, and doctor says, don't open it up, don't look at it, you'll go blind. He says, that's a full M of terranium. <laughs> I'm going to have to find out. There must be an actual term, the, the M. Maybe it's probably... Yeah. It's probably mega something or milli something, one of those metric system things. Anyway, uh, Brett points out it can only be found on the planet Uranus. A full measure would take years to mine. And the doctor notes that... And all the 10-year-olds and (laughs) 50-year-olds cracked up (laughs) at this one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A lot of people's Uranus produces every day or two. Oh, well. Anyway, the doctor says it's 50 years to be precise. And uh, he further says that Mavic Chen has given this to the Daleks to complete one of the most evil weapons ever devised, their time destructor. So he he seems to have a notion of what this time destructor will do. Which, uh, mm. I mean, he, given that he's a good scientist, he could probably, possibly at least, uh, uh, infer what it does just from knowing that it takes a core of terranium. But at this point, we don't know anything more about what it actually does. So back in this conference room with the Daleks, they're having a little uh, inter-family squabble because Zephon, the lettuce head, and Chen, the guardian of the uh, solar system, I was going to say guardian of the galaxy, it's not (laughs) <laughs> Not the same thing. So both of them are under suspicion of screwing things up, and the Daleks are giving them both a hard time. And, of course, each of them, each Chen and Zephan, they're, each of them is trying to look good compared to the other guy because apparently they may be starting to realize that uh, the Daleks are not entirely, you know, forgiving allies. <laughs> so they're arguing about who's screwed everything up. The Zephan says, had the Daleks made full security arrangements, the invaders would not have reached the city. Chen says, had the master of the fifth galaxy been less arrogant, he would have gone with me to the meeting. <laughs> so they're just, just going back and forth. Mm. Yeah, the 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 Daleks point out, or Zephan points out, that only Chen knew that this terranium was coming here. And, and Chen says, why would I arrange that we spend 50 years on this just to steal it away? And then uh, Chen says that he only, only the Daleks know how to assemble the time destructor. He only provided the ingredients. And- but this also, you would have to say, okay, so did the Daleks contact him 50 years earlier to start mining this? <laughs> That's a little mm, interesting yeah. question. Yeah, you know. it could be a real long-term plan for them. But yeah. uh, uh, but according to the current timeline, I think the Daleks have been around for uh, like millions of years, right? Or, or am I? Yeah, yeah, at least thousands, if not millions. Yeah. A long, long I mean, time anyway. Yeah. So who knows at least 2,000, because it was, what, yeah. 2157 or Yeah. Whatever. So, yeah, they've been around a while at any rate. And uh, the Supreme Dalek interrupts all the bickering finally, and he says, Silence, it is agreed that you are guilty of negligence. And he's talking about Zephan, the lettuce mm. guy. And uh, Zephan is disappointed. You know, he knows that he hasn't betrayed anybody, but he can't prove it. 
So uh, finally he says, I have nothing to say. I will leave now. And guess what the Daleks do? <laughs> the, the Supreme Daleks is execute. Poor Zephan, he's, uh, he's even more wilted now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we're going to see as we go along. This is a pretty brutal story. I mean, uh, a number of people meet cruel ends here. Yeah, now, I would. Probably he deserved it more than most. But yeah. I would guess most of the people who signed up to ally with the Daleks end up getting it just because that's yeah. the kind of thing the Daleks would probably do. But we'll find out how that goes. So the uh, one of the, the uh, sub-Daleks, the ones who aren't the Supreme Dalek, uh, one of them mentions that they're monitoring the ship. It's a, in approaching the gravitational field of the planet Desperus. And this, Which is a nice Terranation name, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a desperation and all that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a, there, there's at least a couple uh, Terranationisms. And the, uh, the Supreme Dalek says, prepare the pursuit ship, stand by, randomizer. So they're really playing up this randomizer thing. We'll see what it does pretty shortly. So back back on the uh, on the spar, the the luxury spaceship that formerly belonged to the guardian of the solar system. Everybody's looking at this this core, and they're all wearing these special visors now. Uh, you know, I guess kind of like eclipse glasses, and they're all impressed. Stephen says it makes your eyes feel strange even with the glasses on. He says it's like looking into the sun for too long. The doctor is cryptic about what this actually is for. I mean, he's already said that it uh, is a dangerous weapon or the basis of a dangerous weapon. But the doctor goes on to say now, he says, we have the terranium, so for the moment we do nothing. And by doing nothing... We do everything. Do I make myself clear? Mm-mm. Now, what he means is, as long as they have it, they, the Daleks can't make their weapon. Mm-hmm. But when Stephen asks him for clarification, uh, the doctor just gives him a hard time. He says, you ask so many questions. Look at Katerina <laughs> over there. She doesn't ask questions. She just looks and learns. Now, why don't you try <laughs> the same thing? Mm-hmm. So then the doctor asks Brett to find him a Magnetic tape player, which uh, turns out to be handy in this luxurious spaceship. The doctor says he found this tape behind us, or behind beside a skeleton, and it might be able to tell us something. So they're going to play it, and Brett realizes that the skeleton was probably Mark Corey, which was the original castaways on the planet that, that Brett was coming to rescue. Brett says, Mark Corey, you found him? Kurt and I searched that jungle, but we could find no trace. And then the the doctor gives him a little bit more of a hard time about his searching skills. (laughs) And Brett says, yes, but we were methodical, or as methodical as the Daleks. And the Mm -hmm. doctor uh, says, and this is a hard line to make out in, in the reconstruction. I didn't really get it until I saw it in the script. The doctor replies, oh, yes, no doubt you were, and I suppose I was lucky. (laughs) He seems a little sarcastic there. Mm. One of the doctor's more arrogant moments, but that's our doctor. So they play the tape, and it is indeed Mark Corey, special security agent, reporting from the planet Kemble. And the rest of it 
is a warning message, not a complete more warning message because he's cut off in mid-sentence by being killed by Daleks. But it, it gets the main point across. The Daleks are planning the complete destruction of the galaxy together with the powers of the outer galaxies. A war force is being assembled, and, and that's where the message cuts off. <clears throat> Brett says, poor Mark, he never got through. The <laughs> doctor says, but we must. The Daleks will stop at anything to prevent us, which I think is another maybe Billy flub because it should be stop at nothing to prevent it. Mm. Uh, well, that's all right. I knew what he meant. In the Dalek control room, uh, one of the subordinates reports the ship is now at the closest point to the planet Desperus, and the Supreme Dalek says, operate the randomizer. So finally we're relieved of this suspense. And uh, back on the spar, the doctor is talking with Brett and Stephen and Katerina. Well, not so much Katerina. She doesn't say a whole lot. But uh, he he's asking Brett to find someone that he trusts. Uh, and someone who's in a relatively high position who can help. Um, Brett mentions Carlton as the man of space security and will... Uh, uh, we'll see Carlton later, and he's a very, um, he reminds me of someone, and I can't think of who, but he's kind of a bald-headed, uh, very, very cleanly shaved, I mean, total, totally bald guy. I think the person he reminds me of is a guy I work with, actually. <laughs> I probably mm -hmm. can't go into detail about that, but uh, we'll see him soon enough. Suddenly, while they're talking about this Carlton uh, the randomizer kicks in. And what the randomizer does is randomize the controls on the spaceship. So mm -hmm. it just starts doing random bad things. Uh, you know, they can't control the ship at all. It's just fluttering around out there in space. And uh, they're getting closer to Desperus, closer to the point, the gravitation point the doctor mentions, which I assume is something like the... Uh, Event horizon, they, you know, mm -hmm. something like where that's good. They're going to be sucked into the planet. And uh, Brett tells everyone that Desperus is the penal planet of the solar system, and uh, mm -hmm. it's it's kind of an alien three situation. You know, there's ships that drop off criminals, but mm -hmm. you know, nobody nobody comes here for anything but dropping off criminals. And once they're dropped off, uh, they don't get picked up again. So they're they're going to be in a bad way if they crash land on there. Back in the Daleks' control room, one of the subordinates says that the vessel's instruments are now randomized. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if 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 you can use the randomizer on any ship, then I guess that'd be a good thing. But <laughs> but if it's just that they already had controls to this one ship of their allies then that's less impressive hmm. anyway they're 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 going to make an impact on the planet desperus if nobody does anything the supreme commander says reduce descent velocity the vessel must make a soft landing so they'll do that <clears throat> now chen goes uh, he's been he's been here for all this, and he says that 
His ship was the last to arrive here. He's explaining why the intruders took his vessel. And, uh, you know, it's like you show up at a party, you're the last guy in the driveway, so your car has to back out every time someone else wants to leave. <laughs> same type of thing. His spar was the last to arrive here, so it was in the best place to leave quickly. But, he says, to set your mind at rest, I'll return to Earth now, and if I find the intruders come from there, they'll be dealt with quickly without arousing any suspicion. The Supreme Dalek says a similar vessel will be put at his disposal. Mm -hmm. So back on the spar, uh, the doctor and their crew uh, are watching the instrumentation, and Brett says that they're going to be able to make a soft landing. He doesn't understand it, but they're... The doctor says he does understand it. It's a, it's a remote control, which Stephen actually uh, twigs onto. He mentions that it's some sort of remote control. So they all prepare for landing. And then we get a little digression in it. As I said earlier, we've only seen four episodes of 12 at this point. So it's entirely possible that some of this will come back into play later. In the four episodes I've seen, it's really just a little bit of filler. You know, it's it's kind of fun because it gives us a, a look at life on the planet Desperus, but uh, I don't know for sure that it's ever going to prove out to be anything relevant. But anyway, we have this little dwelling of people who are here as prisoners. There's a little, little quarrel. There's a guy named Bors, who is the current leader. There's a guy named Guard, who's trying to uh, depose him. And there's another guy, Kirkson, who, after Bors has gone to sleep, sneaks in and tries to yoink the knife away from him. But as soon as he tries, Bors wakes up and grabs him. So Bors is really... At the top of this game here, it looks like. Mm -hmm. And there's a spacecraft arriving, uh, which, of course, is uh, the Spar coming in for a Dalek-controlled gentle landing. And so they're going to all try and seek out the ship, kill the crew, and take over. Bor says, it may be a crash landing, and Kirkson says, but you can kill the crew with your knife. Bor says, shut up. <laughs> Apparently, actually using the knife uh, is, is more effort than he'd to expend. Kirkson's going to help him. He says, what about me? If you're leaving this filthy planet, so am I. So Kirkson, Bors, and Garge are on their way to do some raiding. Back on the spar... Uh, Brett is extolling the virtues of this most technically perfect craft in the history of space travel, uh, which looks like a big stupid crown. Hmm. <laughs> the doctor uh, says, oh yes, quite so. That is why we were stranded on this pimple of a planet whilst you <laughs> fuddle with that fuse box. <laughs> a very good hurtinalism there. And then Stephen... Uh, uh, ungrateful fellow that he is, he says, come on, doctor, the TARDIS isn't exactly perfect, is it? I mean, you can't even control where we're going. <laughs> doctor says, now listen to, you listen to me, young man. Don't you start to criticize my TARDIS. 
Yeah, he's always sensitive about that, even though he can never actually do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't have a lick of control over it. Well, I mean, <laughs> he he may have some. He, you know, whenever they arrive somewhere that's moderately close to where they wanted to go, he takes credit for it. So he mm. may have influence <laughs> over it, even if it's a hundred years away. Or <laughs> yeah. So. uh after the doctor has moved away, there's a cute little exchange. Brett says, what's the matter with Grandpa? <laughs> Stephen says, oh, it's nothing. We all have our obsessions, don't we? And Katerina, meanwhile, has been a dutiful uh, servant of the doctor, and she's been watching outside, and she notices there are lights out there. The doctor agrees there are. There are three lights. And he says, those men will be vicious out there. We're liable to come under attack. And then he says something that doesn't make particular sense at first, but it will soon enough. He says, that's marshy ground. Very interesting. Very interesting. Back at the Daleks' control room, the Supreme Dalek mentions that when the Terranium is recovered, the fugitives are to be eliminated. Is that understood? And the Daleks, as you might have guessed, will obey. Again, typical Dalek treachery going on here. Although, I mean, it's not its not really treacherous because they never were the friends with the fugitives. <laughs> they did at least want to keep them alive long enough to get the uh, Terranium back. Presumably yeah. they wanted, you know, if, if they needed to interrogate them, I guess, something like that. So, back with these uh, prisoners slash cavemen, one of them says, this part of the swamp is tricky. We must put out the torches. And Kirkson asks, what about the screamers? Bores, the boss, says, shut up and put out that light. They're only bats, but apparently they're very scary bats. And after they put out the lights, the bats attack, of course, and Kirkson flees. It's it's not clear in the reconstruction that he's able to flee rather than being eaten alive by bats, but he does manage to flee. Back on the spar, uh, the doctor asks where the cactic outlet they're going to draw on cactus power, I guess, which uh, would be like uh, maybe powered by those cotton ball plants we saw earlier, hmm. because they had the cactus needles. Hmm. I don't know. I'm just I'm just brainstorming. Katerina uh, wonders what he's doing, the doctor is doing, and he says, don't ask questions, my dear girl, otherwise you'll become like the other two. So he uh, hauls out some cable from the cactic outlet. He throws the end of it down into the swamp. And uh, because water can conduct electricity, that will be a possible device to repel borders. Mm -hmm. So the cavemen are prisoners. Meanwhile, they're talking amongst themselves. One says, it's a pity we lost Kirkson. And the boss, Bors, he says, he's probably frightened the screamers, the big bats. Better just the two of us. Back on the ship, Katerina says, there, doctor, something moved. The doctor says he thinks he's, she's right. And uh, he asks her to stand by a switch and wait till he gives her an order. When the time comes, the prisoners get close. The doctor says, now. 
And the two guys we see in the reconstruction, it's um, it's a white flash. It looks a lot like uh, the famous uh, Dalek negative exposure <laughs> ray. And uh, according to the script notation, they collapse. I don't think I actually saw that in the reconstruction. But, uh, and that's what happens. The, uh, the trap uh, works swimmingly, uh, and the electrified water gets them. Brits's cactic power isn't strong enough to kill anyone. It's apparently powerful enough to move a spaceship, but it's not strong enough to kill anyone. The doctor says, of course not, but it will knock them unconscious. Now, just you remember, young man, I have no desire to kill anyone. And you know, that could be a line worth remembering. <laughs> May not be the most consistent. Well, I've said before, the doctor always has this out for himself, right? It's not like he's going to point a gun at someone and shoot them. Mm -hmm. But he's totally happy to, you know, tie you to a chair, catch the building on fire, and see what happens, right? And then say, well, I didn't kill you. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's, he's, yeah, he's fairly sanguine about collateral damage. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Katerina tells the doctor, you show me so many strange mysteries. With you, I know I'm safe. And the doctor <laughs> replies, I hope so, my dear. I hope so. Um, and that's a, that's a touching little exchange. And maybe we'll get back to that. Mm -hmm. There's a noise and it's the Daleks coming in to round up the people who they made uh, gently land on this planet. So the doctor wants everybody to hurry up. They're gonna they're gonna blast off. Brett says, "Doctor, did he close the outer door?" And uh, Doctor isn't used to this kind of spaceship, so he didn't, but he will. And uh, the doctor says, "The Dalek ship made a bad landing. That gives us the time we need." So everybody's spirits are lifted, and Brett even says, "Next stop, Earth." And uh, yeah. The doctor tells Katerina to check up on that door and see that it's secure. Stephen says, do you realize? And then he's cut off by Katerina screaming. Now, mm. I'm not sure if in the live action we may have actually seen what made her scream. Mm. But in, mm. in the reconstruction, we don't get a clear view of what it is. Uh, she just screams, and that's the cliffhanger. And that's yep. the end of the episode. Okay, next up, The Traitors. Which, you know, probably a more accurate than usual description <laughs> for a Terry Nation episode. So, and this is one that, again, it was, it was confusing in the reconstruction because this is a complicated scenario, right? Kirkson, the guy who sort of showed up in the airlock, yeah. he has Katarina. And he's capturing her there. And in the reconstruction, it's just, you know, it's a little bit hard to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Kirkson is one of those three prisoners. He's the guy who ran away when the giant bats attacked. Um, yeah. And they assumed he just ran on home. But instead, he struck out for the spaceship on his own. So kind of enterprising. Yeah. So he grabs Katarina, and he's in kind of the airlock space, right? So as in a spaceship, you have the 
kind of inner airlock and the outer airlock, and he's between the two of them, and he has Katarina. And he demands that they change course from Earth to the planet Kimball. And Brett says, well, Kimball is deserted, and it's just as bad as Jesperus. And I've kind of lost track of my planets by this <laughs> point. <It's, laughs> yeah. Steven says, well, the Daleks are on Kimball. And I'm, okay, whatever. I don't know. But now Kirkson says one of the dumbest things ever, any human in history has ever said. He says, well, I don't know who they are, but the Daleks will help me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really, uh, it's like a. Oh, uh, I, I don't know about these Nazis, but uh, I'm sure I'm sure they'll be good guys. Mm-hmm. So back on the Dalek ship, they decide to tell Ma Chen that he must capture the ship and regain the Terranium. And the Supreme Dalek says, and this is pretty cool, right? To destroy the Dalek ship that was pursuing the humans as we will not tolerate mistakes. <laughs> but, you know... Tough but fair, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, it occurred to me, I've heard something, and, and I thought maybe you'd have an opinion on this, having worked <laughs> for some fairly, you know, big corporations and whatnot. Mm. Uh, I've heard, and it makes a kind of intuitive sense to me, but I don't know if it's really a strongly backed up study or not, but that Supposedly, if you if you fire people, particularly people who have worked for your organization for any length of time, it's often ends up being much more expensive to fire somebody and hire somebody new than keep the existing people on and try to fix whatever it is they're doing wrong. Yeah. Or here's the worst case scenario, and it happens in large organizations all the time. You have someone working for you who's not doing a great job. You maneuver it so they get moved into some other organization. So you don't have to deal with them anymore, Mm. but you don't have to fire them. Right. That's very common. And yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's much easier in a large org because it's kind of easy to just sort of shove somebody into a corner. Mm -hmm. You know, that no one's really paying attention to. Yeah. Yeah, No, you haven't seen Office Space, have you? No, oh, okay. we, it, 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 that's going to, well, well, okay, wait a second. The timelines here <laughs> are totally messed up. By the time our audience listens to this, oh, months and months ago, I will have seen Office Space. <laughs> uh, okay, very good, very good. Well, that. So I will leave it to our audience to sort out the timeline. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Well, that, that sort of thing happens at one point in Office mm-hmm. so you know kirkson is saying oh i'm gonna kill her if you don't change direction so brett and steven pretend to change course for the spaceship but kirkson's not fooled he's like oh i didn't actually feel let's change direction now i'm gonna say i don't know if that's realistic i don't know if in space you would actually feel yourself changing direction i think i think it would be i mean i mean they have some sort of artificial gravity but i i would think they'd also have at least some sort of inertia uh you know i mean that but then again uh if you're changing the direction of a very fast spaceship the artificial gravity might also dampen the inertia so that 
people wouldn't just go flying when it makes a direction yeah. change. I don't know. I'll buy it. What the, whatever. <laughs> In the meantime, to distract Kirkson, Brett pushes a button that makes the ship lurch, so it just kind of makes things feel like they're doing things. And then Kirkson pulls Katarina into the airlock area with him and locks the door. And the doctor threatens to send Kirkson into space if he doesn't release Katarina. But naturally, he's like, well, that threat doesn't make a lot of sense because if you do that, you're going to kill both of us, right? (laughs) The doctor then changes his mind and insists that Brett take the ship back to Kimball so they can let the Daleks deal with Kirkson. Which is another example of the doctor being willing to accept collateral damage. (laughs) Yeah. He didn't kill him. <laughs> yeah. But Stephen points out, look, the Daleks are going to deal with the rest of us as well. But the doctor blows him off. And Brett says he can't sacrifice everything for the sake of this one girl. And I got to say, this is a really intense moment. I mean, these two people are in this airlock. They're having this debate. And now we have what I think is probably one of the most shocking moments in all of Doctor Who history. At least one of the most shocking so far. Yeah, which is Katarina reaches out for the button that will eject them into space, and Kirkson tries to stop her, but she hits the button, and they are ejected into space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the nature of movies and what we're used to watching, you want to think there's going to be some saving moment here, right? Right. And there is not, and at least as presented in this reconstruction that we watch, it's very disturbing because you literally see their bodies just rotating in space. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of like that scene in Alien where they give Kane his burial and just shoot this body out into the out into the void. Yeah, or in two thousand and one, you know, where there's the. Um, astronaut who is killed and kind of floats off into space Mm -hmm. and so again i mean and you know i promised a long time ago to stop saying this is a children's show (laughs) here's a children's show where people have died and people have now you know gone into space and died i mean it's 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 pretty intense yeah and they're really they're really taking advantage you know i think i think it was just a few episodes ago where i mentioned that what they are doing with the companions where they just sort of, you know, by, by allowing the companion roster to change throughout the series, yeah. uh, it, it takes away your security of knowing, well, they won't be dead by the end of the episode. Well, especially in this case, because Katarina joined in the last story. Yeah, she's brand and new. And now, in the first third of this, she dies in a very heroic way, but, but she's dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, she's not coming back. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah. And the doctor then has a very poetic thing. He says, I hope she's reached that place of perfection. You know, she wanted to save our lives and perhaps the lives of all the other beings in the solar system. And now, this part, given this happened 10 seconds ago, I thought it was a little bit weird. But he says, I shall always remember her as one of the daughters of the gods. I'm like, I shall always remember her like, she died 10 seconds ago. <laughs> yeah, but nonetheless, I think it's a pretty poetic uh, statement. But yeah, I mean, she she wasn't around long, but she certainly, uh, well, I mean, if somebody sacrifices herself to 
save the rest of you. That's uh, something that'll probably stick in your mind. I think. Yeah. And now back in the, you know, chamber of alien representatives, one of them challenges the Daleks. I think it's the guy with all the weird stuff hanging off his oh, face. Oh, leech face, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he says, Mavic Chan has not been able to return the Terranium, and the Daleks are offended, and they say, nothing shall stop our plan to conquer the universe. And now the crew are stuck with landing back on the planet because they had started that process. But they can't land at the Dalek City since everyone will recognize Mavic Chen's ship coming in. So they need to go somewhere else. Brett says he has a friend nearby who may be able to help them. It's convenient. And now we get something where we really have no idea what it looked like originally. We can only go by the reconstruction. But Mavic Chen is watching a 3D projection of Brett's face on a screen where they're kind of rotating it and looking at his face. Now, they wouldn't have had this technology at the time, so I just have no idea what it actually looked like. Maybe they just had a lot of different photos of the person's face and were, you know, rotating between them. Yeah, yeah. If I remember right, from the reconstruction, it almost looked like they took a second or so of, you know, him moving his head slightly and just sort of played it in reverse and forward yeah. and reverse, you know, on a loop. So Mavic Chen is skeptical of whether the computer can truly represent this face. But he does agree that the face should be sent to all stations, you know, in space as a notification. Yeah. And and his assistant or somebody he's talking to, some technician, um, indicates that everybody in the solar system they've got them all on file. So yeah, she seems kind of like a digital fingerprint. They have their digital face. Yeah, yeah, and she seems to think that nothing can go wrong. It's the system's foolproof. So we'll see if it is so or not. Mavichan makes it clear that when they're found, he wants them killed on sight. Mm-hmm. So as the ship is approaching the planet with our crew, Brett worries that they might be going too fast and they might crash. <laughs> and then back in that other room, Mavic Chen is ruminating about things with his assistants. And he tells them he really wants the seat sitting next to the Daleks. He wants to get rid of everyone else so he can be sitting next to the Daleks because, you know, that's totally going Yeah, gonna work out. he wants to be the right-hand <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, running the universe, as he says. <laughs> and his assistant points out that, I mean, he's just, again, the protector of a solar system. But Trantis, the, well, I thought it was a black robe alien dude, but I think it's actually the guy with the stuff hanging off his face. <laughs> um, Trantis is going to be the first guy because his is the largest galaxy. But Mavic Chen says, well, the Daleks don't like Trantis, and he, Mavic Chen, has a plan for dealing with this, mm. and we'll see how it goes. And Mavic's assistant says he has someone who can help, and that person is, they call Kingdom. <laughs> we don't say <laughs> the word Kingdom, right? I think they're intentionally not saying the first name. Yeah. And when he says he has Kingdom, that impresses Mavic. And Mavic says, kingdom, ruthless, hard, efficient, and does exactly as ordered. And, of course, what we're going to find out is kingdom is Sarah kingdom, a woman. <laughs> so yeah. Defying our expectations here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
defying our expectations in in 1960s <laughs> and then the assistant he's this sort of bald guy he answers the phone actually it reminds me goes back to the prisoner again where he had the bald guy uh assistant right mm, yeah uh, maybe that's who he reminded me of i did also think of lobot from star wars though he doesn't have the uh little headset thing yeah well, he answers the phone and listens and says to carry out emergency plan D. And I was impressed. If you have not only a plan B, but a plan C and a plan D, you've really been working on this. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he informs Mavic Chin that the traders have arrived, but not at the expected landing area. Instead, they have crash landed at the experimental station. Usually you'd think a crash landing spaceship Odds of surviving that would not be terribly high, but uh, uh, in this case, uh, things worked out. <laughs> yeah. So Brett is leading the crew into the experimental station. Seems like no one else is around, but unbeknownst to them, they barely miss being seen. Someone was walking by earlier, and Mavic's assistant announces that Kingdom is here. <laughs> And Kingdom comes in, and as we mentioned, shockingly, it's a she. And she announces that she knows where the crew is. They can't escape, and she's going to capture them herself. And mysteriously, Mavic says, before you do that, there's something you have to know. But we cut away, and we don't find out what that is. I think he's telling her that he's always loved her. Back at the experimental station... They're waiting someone called Daxter to arrive, and the crew is getting irritated because they're just sitting around. And Brett says Daxter is the only man who will believe our story. And a strange man shows up and says, what story? <laughs> and now we switch to Mavic Chen's office. He has finished briefing Sarah Kingdom on the situation. She leaves, and Mavic and his bald assistant talks. And it turns out that Mavic did not tell her the entire story. She doesn't know about the Daleks or the whole plan. She doesn't know that he's a traitor. Yeah. And back in the experimental station, Daxter can't believe the story they're telling him. Once he does believe it, he says the planets must all be alerted and a combined task force must be sent to Kemball immediately. But then, just... Out of the blue, shockingly, the doctor accuses Daxter of being in league with Mavic Chen. And we have no idea why, but the doctor points out that Daxter knew the core of the time destructor was Terranium without being uh -huh. told. Now, I did not go back and re-listen to all this, so I don't know if we have audio proof of him saying Terranium <laughs> without being told, but I'll, I'll take the doctor's word for it. I think he didn't mention it, and, uh, <laughs> and that's, that's, of course, one of the... Very often used tropes is the uh, I caught you because because mm. I never said that <laughs> mm. comes up a lot. Well, the important thing is Brett is convinced by the doctor's argument, so he shoots Daxter and kills him. <laughs> so that ends that. <laughs> Hopefully, he was right. <laughs> but speaking of which, the doctor is pissed at Brett because he said we have other ways and means of dealing with evildoers and now we shall never know whom we can trust because basically he's gotten rid of information they could have used. And the doctor had already made it clear that he didn't want anyone killed. So Yeah. 
As we know, he never kills anybody. (laughs) (laughs) And so back with the Daleks, and a Dalek reports that Mavic Chen says they'll have the Terranium Core in two Earth days. The Daleks believe the plot has come from the 10th galaxy under the leadership of Trantis. So, you know, I think he's the guy. So, again, I have been confused through this whole thing because I keep assuming the significant person is the person in the black robe we originally saw, but Trant is actually the guy with the, the what, however you described them, the squid leech. hanging off his face <laughs> or whatever, yeah, leeches. Because he is the leadership of the largest universe, right, or galaxy. And he denies this, and the Daleks debate what to do, and they decide to hold off until they find out more, which is very, you know, prudent of well, them. Yeah. Back in the experimental station, Brett says he's going to get into the security building and send out a warning to the rest of the universe. But when they turn to leave the room, Sarah Kingdom is there with a gun. Dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) And Brett at first welcomes her like she's a friend of his, but she quickly disabuses him. She's not on his side. She wants to know who has the Terranium. And Brett pushes her over. And the crew makes for the door, and the Doctor and Stephen escape, but Brett is trapped. Sarah's insisting he give her the Terranium. You know, he doesn't have it. He reaches for his gun, and she shoots him. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we've had this previously, but what are those little self-defense tips? If someone's already holding a gun on you, you can't draw and shoot them. <laughs> They're going to shoot you. <laughs> so, so just a bad self-defense approach here but (laughs) what was he going to do i guess this is but you know this is a brutal story which i approve of but i mean we've had people shoved out the airlock and now our hero has been shot by sarah kingdom i mean everybody in this is just you know getting killed oh yeah now in i would think that brett could have said well here handcuff me and then frisk me i don't have the damn (laughs) terranium but I think Sarah's not interested in a lot of due process. Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> not her approach. So after shooting him, she runs out of the room, calls for her assistant, tells him all access are to be guarded, and all of the, you know, TARDIS crew are to be shot on sight. <laughs> Just to make it clear, she says, aim for the head. <laughs> uh, and, and oddly enough, she said, but aim for the head. Uh, yeah. So, so, I don't know. Just exception. But, you know, Another tip for people, if you're trying to shoot people, do not aim for the head. Aim for the center mass. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just, of, course, of course, they might be wearing a, a bulletproof vest because that's, that's yeah. the part that those cover. <laughs> and it's the end of our episode, so we will see what happens after this. Okay, so we're only a third of the way through this massive story, but, you know, and we've watched reconstructions, two or three of which were by different people. So how are you feeling at this point about the whole reconstruction thing? I like it. You know, it's a, I prefer live action, of course, but, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's good. We've already discussed the, you know, the sound issues and the, you know, trying to follow the action that isn't always completely clear, you know, but. But overall, it's uh, it's good. It's it it's a fun story so far. That certainly helps. 
Well, not one of my favorite stories so far, but it's entertaining, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm good, good so far. So what do you think about the actors? What do you think about Mavic Chen? Oh, he's interesting. Uh, he's, uh, you know, kind of, uh, the, the makeup, uh, can be a little distracting because even though I think he's supposed to be human, he, uh, doesn't look entirely human. It's just that, I think it's just that odd color combination. Like you said, he, he looks like an Oompa Loompa and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, a little distracting, but I think he's doing a fine job so far. Yeah. Well, overall, I would say, I, I feel like they did a good job in that between his skin color and his kind of white mustache and eyebrows and everything, they made him look odd. They made him look ethnic in some way, but not a specific way. So it's not like he's in blackface. It's not like he's in yellow face, you know, for the Chinese. I feel like he's just his own thing. Yeah. And for all we know, yeah. he, he, he could be an alien. I mean, if he's the guardian yeah. of the solar system, who knows? <laughs> How many yeah. alien races to include? Yeah. Now, the weird thing for me about Brett, I mean, I think the actor did a fine job. He looks very, very much like a future character in Doctor Who that we're not going to see for a while. Hmm. I, and I don't, I'm not going to say anything more about that because I don't, but. But it's kind of weird going back and go, oh, wow, it really, really looks like this other guy who's going to be part of Doctor Who for a long time, but it's it's not him. Um, But I thought he was fine. Um, Then Katarina, I mean, wow, again, she's literally in one and a half stories, and she dies like two episodes into this in a very heroic way. And it's a very, very unusual thing for Doctor Who, right? And wait, at least so far, I don't know if it becomes a regular thing down the road, but yeah, it's a, it was a definitely unexpected. Um, and uh, we don't, you know, this being a reconstruction, we haven't seen a lot of her live acting. Plus, she doesn't get a lot of dialogue because as the doctor pointed out, she looks and learns. She doesn't ask a lot of questions. Yeah. That said, I was really prepared to embrace her as a new member of the crew. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of optimistic about where she might go, but uh, she ain't going anywhere, apparently. (laughs) And I like those kind of surprises. And that's the kind of thing like Joss Whedon is famous for, right? And Mm -hmm. things like uh, Firefly, like your favorite character would get killed off. Oh, yeah. 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 And that that is tremendously effective because it's such such a formula, you know, like on Gilligan's yeah. Island or the Brady Bunch, you know, you know, at the end of the episode, <laughs> everybody's alive. And, uh, you know, yeah. like uh, Howard Beale said in Network, uh, nobody ever gets cancer at Archie Bunker's house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the professor never died. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, I am now appreciating that you talked me into watching the reconstructions. Uh-uh. Um We'll see. Maybe in the future there will be a point where I resent you for this. Uh, <laughs> you know? But so far, I think it's it's going pretty well. And um, we I I we may or may not have included this in a previous discussion, but I think based on what we've experienced so far, we've decided 
Before we end this final Hartnell season, we're actually going to go back and watch the reconstructions that we didn't watch for, um, oh, what's the China one? Um, oh, Marco Polo and, uh, yeah, for, and the Crusades, I think. For Marco Polo and the Crusades, and, and right. I, wasn't it the Crusades that Toby Haydock said was one of the better episodes or series? Yeah, I mean, he... Yeah, he kept both from actors and story, he kept referring to that one. So, yeah, so we've decided we're not going to leave Hartnell before covering all his stories. And going forward, we will do that as well. We'll cover all of the reconstructions. Thankfully, with the next Doctor, you know, a lot of them have been animated and then by the time we get to the third doctor, basically everything is available, right? So uh, it's really in these first couple doctors where a lot of stuff was lost. Huh? So, okay, with that, we will be back next week <laughs> with the second third of this story. So join us then. One week later, our first episode is episode number five counterplot this is a decent uh reconstruction and some of it quite a bit of it is uh is live action actually i'm not sure maybe even all of it is live action but anyway there's a lot of it so yeah i think yes this one this is one of the few surviving episodes so it is all live action okay so in this batch of four episodes, uh, five through eight, the reconstructions, episode five and episode eight, on the service we found these on, or uh, you found these on, <laughs> there's uh, tons of ads. It's They're unskippable, unmutable, and they last like they're two 30-second ads every five minutes. So that's a, that's a big pain. <laughs> but one of the ads did have some catchy um, electro swing music, so it wasn't <laughs> all bad. And uh, I want to mention that I'm going for my notes for today. I uh, just copied the scripts from Chakatea.net, and I just put boldface on the items that I want to mention and everything else I'll be leaving out or trying to. That's about all I got to say by well, way of I, I will say... I don't know what the deal with the ads on that service are because I've watched a number of things in the past and never had any ads or maybe one ad or, or something. Right. And then recently they just went crazy, which inspired me to, I won't go into detail, but I'll just say if you use a service like this, you might want to explore ways to download that content <laughs> because when you download it, you don't get the ads along with it. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, sure. That makes sense. And that's probably something I will... uh Look into myself. Although the the middle two episodes, I didn't have any trouble with. There were no mm. ads at all. So it may be a setting by the person who posts the video. That could be. That could absolutely be, right? Because yeah. I know when, for people who do YouTube videos, it's like that, right? They can specify points to put ads. Mm. That makes sense. I, I guess technically, if you're if you're allowing ads... Then maybe they're maybe they're trying to get a little bit of uh, ad money from these reconstructions of <laughs> copyrighted work. So, but not my business. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
at the end of the day, let's just say these episodes fell off the back of a truck. And- <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so this episode picks up uh, picks up with uh, uh, what's her name? Is it Holiday? The the main character? Oh, no, no, Sarah no- Kingdom. Kingdom, yeah. which I Kingdom I think is actually a great name. But so. I knew, I knew it was like a surname that was an actual word, but I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, Kingdom, uh, she's ordering to aim for the head. The doctor and Stephen are running away. They don't know where uh, Brett has gone, but uh, we'll find out what happens to Brett. I, I wanted to mention something about Brett. There's actually two characters uh, this that I wanted to mention something about. So first of all, Brett, who was this security guy who's been helping them out, right? He's like going against Mavic Chin, who's their boss, right? The the protector of the solar system, I believe. Right. He was um, in the rescue party for the first party that uh, crashed. On right. That. Well, when watching the reconstructions, I didn't mention this in our last podcast, but I kept thinking, wow, this guy looks like Nicholas Courtney, who's a guy who is going to become a very important figure in future Doctor Who. It'll be a little while before we get to him, but he's but he's very important. Hmm. And he's in it for a long, long time. Hmm. And I happened to stumble across, this is Nicholas Courtney. <laughs> this is wow. actually the first time he was ever in Doctor Who. Now, when he, when he comes back, actually, I think there's one other character he's going to play, but then the character I'm talking about is a different character. So, you know, it's com- completely different. No, okay. The other thing I recognize, and I kind of knew it from the voice, but I, I hadn't put it together until I saw a mention, is that um, Mavic Chen plays the key bad guy in a future episode that I, a story that I really like, and he and I love his performance in it. So, yeah. you know, they they liked, especially for their villains and stuff, because you know they could put them in makeup and everything. They they liked bringing back reliable good actors. Oh, and, sure. You know. If you know that somebody will work, uh, you know, that, that they'll work out and they can do it in a couple takes or one take or whatever, you just want to bring the same people back. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I remember reading that the actor for Chlotoxel came back in two other roles or something <laughs> like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's good. If they're, if they're good, reuse them. Works for me. There actually, uh, there was a show called Narrow Wolf. Right? They had... Uh, Maury Chaikin, I think his name was playing Narrow Wolf, but they, uh, it was a whole series, a couple seasons worth of different detective stories, but it was all, it was all done with this ensemble cast. And from episode to episode, they could have completely different roles, you know, like mm-hmm. the person who was the murderer in one might be the grieving widow in another one. Mm-hmm. Right. But every episode, they they reused, most of the actors were reused from previous ones. It was kind of neat. It was a good way to do it, I thought. So the Doctor and Stephen are uh, are fleeing uh, without without Brett, and they try to hide in this room that it turns out to have a table with a thing on it that looks like a, it looks like a terrarium. It also <laughs> looks like a polyhedral Dungeons and Dragons die. <laughs> and it's two levels. It's the, 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 it's all glass panes going around. It's almost like a dodecahedron, but more, more symmetrical. It's not, it's not one of those platonic solids. It's more like a diten, maybe if it's yeah. a 
Anyway, in the top portion of this, there are little white mice. In the bottom portion of this terrarium, there is a, a gadgetry. So Stephen and the doctor are looking at this. They see there's mice inside. They're wondering about what it is. Well, you know, if this were Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, this would, yeah. you know, the mice would be like controlling the universe from here. <laughs> yeah, they'd be, they'd be trying to get the answer or the, get the question from the, <laughs> from the computer that is Earth. So we cut to an experiment control room, and there's a couple scientist types in there. Uh, one of them says, all continuum readings are perfect. And the other guy tells him to wait for just a minute. A couple security guys come in looking for the doctor and Stephen. The scientists tell him to get out. And uh, he goes on to say that they're in the middle of a highly complicated experiment. So the guards leave. Sarah Kingdom comes in to the room where Stephen and the doctor are. And she is training a weapon on both of them. And... She wants the Terranium, the big, uh, the the big MacGuffin of the episode so far. It's a, uh, it's this little uh, little cylinder full of fifty years worth of metal from Uranus. And uh, <laughs> don't steal my joke. I have a big joke. <laughs> okay, you can cut that out if you want. <laughs> Sarah's demanding the Terranium, and the experiment countdown ends. And they are now part of the experiment with the mice and the glass terrarium and all that stuff. And this is a pretty entertaining scene because uh, Kingdom, she looks like she's in pain. You know, we, we get a facial mm-hmm. view of each of these. And they're, they're kind of, I don't think it's exactly the, the Daleks negative effect, like when they fire their guns. But it's, right. it's a little different. It's, but it's, like a, it's like a heightened contrast, maybe, with very bright whites. And, so on. and it's also like the thing you see on Star Trek all the time, you know, when the ship gets hit or whatever, and all the actors have to, uh, you know, jump around. and Oh, yeah, yeah, when they, uh, they, they have to do some physical acting. Yeah. Well, uh, Kingdom, she looks agonized. Stephen looks agonized, and then we get the doctor, who uh, to me just looked like he was on a really wild trip. Um, <laughs> you know, it, there was a famous clip a few years back when uh, uh, it was Hillary Clinton at some political event, and they dropped a whole bunch of balloons, and she just had this wide-eyed, goofy look on her face, and the doctor basically is doing <laughs> that same thing here. Another one of my useless asides here, though. But, um, have you ever seen? You can find this like on YouTube, where they've t- they've taken the video of you know the of the Star Trek people um, being bumped around the you know the bridge or whatever, and they've stabilized it. Oh, I've heard about that. I don't know if I've actually because of course one. while they're while they're sort of acting like the ship has been hit and they're b- bumping around, the camera's moving around, right? Mm-hmm. And that makes it all look very shaky. Well, if you stabilize. You can then just see the actors throwing themselves around. It's really funny. <laughs> well, I imagine. <laughs> so the three of uh, three of our heroes here are two two heroes and one uh, currently hostile person. Two of them look like they're in terrible pain. One of them looks like he's really uh, just having a far out freaky trip. <laughs> Back in the science room, uh, the scientists are noting that the uh, the experiment seems to be a success 
the instruments register perfect dissemination. <laughs> the security guys come back in, and uh, they they're demanding to know what's going on. You know, why were they kicked out before and all that? It turns out that uh, they're carrying out a molecular dissemination, and the scientists don't seem terribly impressed by the security guys. They must they must rank higher or something. You know, they're they're uh, they're not indulging all their nonsense. And we cut away briefly for um, our our three experiment subjects, and we see them. They're kind of bobbing up and down, goopy <laughs> <Yeah>. looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, I mean, well, I don't know what they did or how they filmed this or whatever, but you see just one of them kind of going up like they're going up in an elevator or something, and then the uh, next person will be centered in the screen, and they're going up, and, you know, maybe the, maybe the doctor had it right, and this is sort of a trip, you know? So. <laughs> Could be. I mean, in the literal sense, it is a trip, as we'll find <laughs> out true. very shortly. So uh, the security guys want them to get these people back because they're the people they've been ordered to take care of. But the scientists can't. One of the scientists says anyone or anything that was in this room at the time of the experiment is now being transmitted through space. The other scientist adds, they're many light years from Earth by now moving towards a strange planet in a strange galaxy, the nature of which (laughs) we can only guess at. And then we get a we get a view of the planet, which uh, looks looks very similar to Dagobah from uh, the Empire <laughs> Strikes Back, Yoda's home planet. Well, and we pointed out before that many of the people who worked on Doctor Who ended up working on Star Wars, so... Right. You know. Yeah. So it's all swampy and steamy and overgrown. Then we see what's going on with the Daleks on that other... Kemble, is it? Whatever mm-hmm. the other planet is. The Supreme Dalek wants to have one of his subordinates contact Mavic Chen, the guardian of the solar system, and ask him for a report, because he's supposed to be out fetching the terranium from uh, the doctor and his pals. Back in the science room, Carlton is in here. Now, he's he's Chen's main hired goon. He's bald. He, he, he bears a real resemblance to uh, Ewell Brenner, Largely because of the bald head, probably. Also a little bit to the controller guy in the prisoner. Remember, he was like the most regular employee that you would see all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's he's kind of an imposing figure. And I hadn't noticed it before, but he's got a great voice. It's just, I don't know, really, uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's good, anyway. (laughs) So he's asking the scientists why they chose such a faraway planet. Uh, to send the experiment to this, this like it would really have changed anything if they did it to a closer planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, this target planet is called Myra, and as one of the scientists says, the distance was necessary because they already know the principles of teleporting things shorter distances. Um, so they had to really give it a good test this time. Um, and they didn't stop when Carlton came in because they'd already started the experiment. They couldn't stop it, he says. They get something coming through. It's just a beep, beep sound, uh, but it means that whatever they sent, the mice and uh, the unwitting participants, they made it through to the other side. At least the transmitter did. 
because they're getting they're getting radio signals. We see the the terrarium has materialized in the swamp, and the mice are alive. We don't see the others just yet. And then uh, Carlton reports to Chen that the mice were alive and the instruments are working. Chen is uh, is worried uh, about this, but Carlton makes a makes a real good uh, argument to him for thinking. You know, he, Carlton is thinking on his feet, and he comes mm-hmm. up with a plan that's just crazy enough to work. <laughs> He says that Chen should tell the Daleks that he trapped the fugitives in the cellular projector and sent them to Myra on purpose. He goes on to say that, uh, you know, tell, tell the Daleks that uh, they were causing too much trouble here, getting too much suspicion. So uh, we figured we'd send them to Myra so the Daleks could take care of them. Now, Chen starts to come around to him finally, and by the time Carlton's made all his arguments, Chen is actually uh, really enthused. You know, first of all, he's just rebounded from being apprehensive to being hopeful, and also his uh, his megalomania is kind of kicking in. You know, he he gives a little brief monologue, <laughs> and finally he says that when he's next to the Daleks, only they stand between him and the highest position in the universe. <laughs> then will be the time for me to take complete control. And he does his uh, raised arms, super villain stance. And Carlton looks at him like he's crazy. So he, he dials it back a bit and he says, you're a fortunate man, Carlton. You'll have a high place in galactic history. After Chen leaves, Carlton has a very, very nice little uh, sinister delivery here. He says, the highest next to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, if you're the evil mastermind is going to take over the universe and you think that the guy behind you isn't thinking the same thing you are, that I don't, you know, it just seems like, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just, this is, this is, I suspect it's going to end up being one of those uh, object lessons in being nice to your underlings. You know, like, uh, <laughs> House of Cards. You haven't watched the BBC House of Cards, the, have you? With the I've watched the, no the BBC one. Not the I have watched the BBC one. I've not watched the American one. Oh, okay. You have seen the BBC one. So uh, yeah, I, th- remember- I thought I'd be showing that to you someday. Okay, that's well, cool. You've seen it. <laughs> Do you remember in the first? I think it was the first two of the three series. He had kind of a right hand man named Tim Stamper. Right. And especially yeah. in the second series, he really started just abusing him and taking him for granted. And didn't he or his wife blow the guy up at some point, like in a car or something? This one, it might, might be a different character, but I think, you know, when it came to it, it was like, well, we got to get rid of this guy. <laughs> I think, I think Stamper didn't make it. It's been a while <laughs> since I, since I saw it. So I don't remember all the details, but, uh. But it was an unforced error, you know, if he'd just treated Stamper better. he I mean, Stamper was really happy uh, to be there. But anyway, you know, it's that sort of thing. I think, uh, I don't think in this, in these four episodes, I don't think we see Carlton betray Chen, but I got to think, based on his delivery of this one line, I got to think that's in the <laughs> oh, card. And a fun thing uh, for me watching these reconstructions, since I never watched them, um, and I never really even paid attention to the stories or reading about them or anything, I have no idea, you know, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what's going to happen to Mavic Chen or what's going to, you know, and this so that's is, kind of fun. 
This is probably kind of a rare, uh, rare treat for you, uh, not knowing what's coming yeah. next. Yeah. <laughs> so on the planet Myra, Doctor Who's lying on the ground in the swamp, and he wakes up, and he says, "No, noticing that he's in a in a different different place in a misty swamp world." He says, "The mice couldn't have done that." <laughs> and, you know, actually, I didn't quite understand the line of the time, but now I do because they. The room they were in when they got teleported, they didn't see these scientists. They have no idea what happened, right? They just walked into a room with these mice in it and this device, and then right. they got teleported to another planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As soon as uh, as soon as Kingdom burst in, it was about 10, 15 seconds after she walked in. So, yeah, they're a little disoriented. <laughs> so, Kingdom is lying nearby, not too far. Not too close, but uh, her arms appear to move by themselves, as it says in the uh, script here. And uh, we'll find out that she's not just twitching from the uh, from the molecular reassembly and all that. Something's actually moving her arms, something invisible. You know, I did not catch that, but that's one of those things that's really hard to catch. I didn't read that part of the script. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem with her. Well, this isn't even reconstruction, though. This is actually live action. Yeah, this action, was so. live action, but it's still. I, mean, I just thought she was like just trying to get up or something. I, but it makes sense now what you're saying. Yeah. 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 I missed it entirely the first time I watched it. And then I read that in the script. And so I, I looked for that and was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Stephen wakes up. And he checks out Sarah. He takes her gun away, um, but she's still out. He's trying to trying to arouse her. And we see there's something leaving these vicious-looking clawed footprints in the ground. It's walking through sand, and it's it's a neat effect. I'm mm-hmm. guessing they've got some kind of sand table with, like, a, or, you know, maybe a light layer of sand and, and like, cutouts beneath it where they can sort of drop it down a quarter inch and the sand sinks into it. So it looks like something invisible is leaving footprints and it's a i I agree i noticed that too it was definitely uh, better than you often see with with that kind of effect right oh yeah Um, yeah yeah because it was was very physical because they were you're you're actually seeing the effectively the foot pushing into the sand or the dirt right and making this indentation it's not just like being drawn onto it or you know something like that yeah Oh yeah, 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 yeah. the yeah, sand it's, it's was a, actually actually sinking down. It's a good effect, although I think I think we see like four footprints, and I think the third one uh, something just didn't trigger right, and they didn't go bother. <laughs> yeah, they didn't go back and reshoot it. They just yeah. you know they've got a footprint, footprint, gap, footprint. <laughs> <laughs> but still, uh, points for trying. I want to say maybe that's when I was holding you, but I don't know if it quite works. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was the point when, when Jesus carried the monster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Stephen and the doctor talk a little bit about what the heck is going on. Kingdom catches up with them and uh, starts to talk about their traitors and all that. And the doctor tells her, quiet, do as you're told. I think we should mention here, too, is one reason the doctor and Stephen aren't scared of her is Stephen found her while she was unconscious and took her gun. Took her gun, right. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, she hasn't quite caught up to the fact that the 
roles have now changed, right? She's yeah. she's still thinking she's in charge here. <laughs> so back uh, back on Kimball, uh, one of the Daleks reports to the Supreme Dalek that the pursuit ship reports that the Doctor and the rest of them have landed on the planet Myra. Now it says they, so it could it could be the pursuit ship reporting that it itself has landed. But I don't. I don't know. Anyway, it's somebody's landed on the planet, Myra. We know the doctor's already there. Supreme Dalek says, when the fugitives are captured, report at once. <laughs> Back with Doctor and and the others. Uh, doctor doesn't know where they are right now, but he does know how they got there. He, uh, he describes the process of cellular dissemination, which, um, uh, if I understand right, is pretty similar to how the uh, Star Trek teleporter works. Mm, yeah. Stephen and Sarah, or Kingdom, are both uh, a little skeptical, but uh, the doctor says, well, fantastic it may be, my boy, but impossible? No, because that precisely is what has happened. <laughs> the doctor knows that the transmitter, the uh, terrarium thing, followed them too, and he thinks it's sending messages, which means the guardian of the solar system is going to know that they're there, and that means the Daleks are coming any time now. The Daleks are checking out the terrarium, meanwhile. They detect a nearby alien being, and it turns out to be the little white mice. <laughs> or or they, they see the little white mice, although what they're detecting may be something considerably right, right. larger. But- that's and I, I like this whole bit. There's actually an unusual amount of humor in this story overall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the Daleks can tell that this terrarium is sending out signals. The other Dalek is concerned that this is the property of uh, the Doctor, and it's going to note that they're there. So the first Dalek says, destroy it. So now the mice and the terrarium are, are gone. When they come up to this thing, they're, they're you know, reporting what they're seeing and they say there are small white creatures inside they may be hostile (laughs) (laughs) if they knew it was coming they'd be hostile all right (laughs) so now they still detect uh another being one of the daleks says fire at any movement uh there's movement they fire at it and we hear you know a screaming monster uh, in pain the Daleks realize that whatever this being was, it's invisible. Um, so they're just going to keep an eye on their detectors. Back in the science room on Earth, or maybe, I don't know, were they on Earth or in an orbital station? Or they were- One of the things that's just kind of hard to keep track of in this story is you'll have three or four locations. I don't even know what they were doing for sets and everything. And especially when you have multiple planets involved and the planets kind of look alike, you, you know, it's hard sometimes just to know where you are. Yeah, and this, uh, I haven't mentioned, mentioned this yet, but um, this is a good place to mention it. I, uh, As soon as they teleported out of that lab and they were on the swamp planet, I was just like, oh, this again. Because I flashed back to the Keys of Marinus. And you know yeah. how that's like, it's, it's a fairly long story arc and they have to go to like three different places that have nothing at all to do with the actual story and you know it's it's and guess what maybe that's going to be coming up <laughs> yeah it arguably already is here 
<laughs> well, I'm saying if you were wondering at this point, your your question will definitely be answered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The swamp planet is just basically a big filler, as far as I can tell. So uh, back on Earth or wherever this science lab is, uh, the signals have stopped. The scientists are are upset about it, and they wonder if maybe they should send some more mice. But Carlton is there, and he says, no, don't do that. <laughs> so they're just going to hang tight for the moment. Back on the swamp planet, Myra, uh, the doctor is hearing movement and noises. He uses his cane to sweep in front of him, and it hits something. He can't see what it hit, but it hits something. The invisible thing, whatever it was, uh, seems to go away finally, and the doctor says, I might have known it, Visions, the planet <laughs> Myra, which Visions, um, you know, that's another uh, Terry Nation special yeah. there, I think. It, I, so if he's the one who came up with Sarah Kingdom's name, I think Sarah Kingdom's name is great, but then <laughs> this, he was just like, oh, Terry. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> If we didn't have some of these in a Terry Nation story, it just wouldn't be a Terry Nation story. So. Yeah. <laughs> so invisible visions are the are the main residents. And, and Mira, that means look in Spanish, right? Yeah. Now yeah. the doctor pronounces it Myra, but I think maybe other people in the story pronounce it Mira. So I've I've been pronouncing it the way the the doctor does because he's probably the best traveled out of all of them. <laughs> So Stephen and Sarah, or Kingdom, are arguing. Stephen is disappointed that she killed Brett. She says he was a traitor. And she points out, from her point of view, very reasonably, they've stolen this element, which is, she says, the most valuable mineral in the universe, and it's valuable because it's rare. This is 50 years' worth of mining from Uranus. So... (laughs) <laughs> anyway, her her case is good, but she, there's a one piece of information that she hasn't accepted yet, which is that her boss, the guardian of the solar system, is the real traitor. Well, and and I don't recall this in the actual story, although we see it, you know, it's presented to us later that when the whole Turanian thing came up, apparently in order to keep people on Earth not aware of what he was doing with it, he told them that for some reason this was needed to spread peace through the solar system. Now, I don't know why, you know, a chunk of a, you know, mineral or whatever would spread peace, but uh, she bought it <laughs> anyway. But I don't I don't recall us actually seeing that talked about or happen in the story, even though it would have happened, well, I guess yeah. maybe it would have happened 50 years ago. So I just don't think they explained it very well. It just kind of pops up here and you don't really know what it means. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he was just uh, hoping people would think that he would just hand it out like foreign aid, you know, like, oh, you're our ally, have a little <laughs> sliver of terrarium. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But whatever whatever the plan was, uh, that's not really what Chen is doing with it. So it turns out the doctor and Stephen now are ganging up on her. They're both telling her, that Brett should not have been killed, that he wasn't the traitor, uh, and that what they've said about Chen being a traitor is true. And Sarah, in a rather surprising turn here, says, shut up, Brett Vian was my brother. And mm-hmm. she rushes off. And the doctor has just enough time to say, leave her, my boy, and a couple other lines, and then she runs back. <laughs> she says, Something touched me. 
So Stephen pulls out his gun, and the doctor explains that uh, on this planet, the uh, main life forms are the Visians, which are invisible. But they're very vicious, too. So that's yes, just... vicious <laughs> and invisible. Visions. <laughs> <laughs> so now from from the cave, they can hear this uh, noise outside. The Visians are getting closer, and the doctor says, it appears we're trapped. Now we see Chen's office. Carlton and Chen are there. And Chen says the Daleks have believed his story. He's going to go on ahead. He's going to send word back. Uh, and that's when Carlton is to take his group to Venus. Chen has a new plan now to outwit the Daleks and destroy Kemble, which would mean uh, destroying the Supreme Dalek that who is currently there. And Carlton says that will only mean mastery of this galaxy. Chen says, but a start, Carlton, a start. Yeah, you got to give it to these guys. I mean, when a galaxy is is small change, you know? <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> yeah, I think I think a a galaxy could keep me reasonably happy. <laughs> so back in the cave, the doctor mentions uh, just just for information that uh, the Visians are eight feet tall. So. Uh, they're probably pretty tough guys, but fortunately, some Daleks show up, and uh, they start shooting at the Visians, and it's not clear if they're killed or they run away, but uh, they're handled anyway. But now, of course, there's a bunch of Daleks here, and uh, the Daleks say, you are surrounded. You will come with us, or, well, actually, what they would say is more like, you are surrounded. <laughs> And uh, the cliffhanger for this episode is the doctor saying, I'm afraid, my friends, the Daleks have won. <laughs> and there we go. And next up is episode six, Coronas of the Sun. Actually, uh, some of these are better titles than Terry usually does. Now, I have no idea. This would be a good question if we ever get to talk to Toby about these stories. I... Because there was another writer involved who did some of the episodes, Dennis Spooner, who does a lot of writing for Doctor Who. I don't know what to, you know, when I when I like a name or I like a title, I don't know if it was Terry Nation or or them. Although, you know, usually oh Terry Nation's titles are like the end of time, the end <laughs> of the universe. You know? <laughs> as we've seen, the stories don't usually quite live up to the title. But, um, no, that what what was it? The the death of Doctor Who was that a yeah, Terry Nation? Yeah, title? that was yeah. yeah. <laughs> And technically true, you know. <laughs> so the you know the Daleks are here, and the crew is here, and the Daleks demand that the Doctor turn over the Terranium core. And and I said, you know, there's just I think there's a lot of good Dalek lines in this story. And so one of them is here is the Doctor wants to know what guarantee is there that that the Daleks won't kill them if they turn over the core. And the Dalek says, "There is no guarantee." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the Doctor points out. That the Daleks can't fire on them while he has the Tranium as it will be destroyed. And this argument doesn't seem to persuade them. They decide they're going to shoot them anyway, and they're about to do that when they get surrounded by invisible alien MacGuffins. You know, I mean, visions. <laughs> uh, the other thing about having invisible aliens, it means you don't have to have costumes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, huge, <laughs> uh, huge time and expense saver. Yeah. 
Yeah, you clearly just have some interns who are shaking some trees. You know? yeah, yeah. Although there is there is at least a threadbare plot-related excuse for it because, you know, the scientists back at Earth, they, they had already said we've scanned the planet. We didn't find any life. <laughs> Which, yeah, it was weird because what that would imply is that they visually scanned the planet. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, but okay, anyway. Yeah, just, just holes within holes. <laughs> <laughs> so, actually... There's another thing I like here that, that, you know, they wouldn't know would be a reference to something else, which is um, that the, so what happens here to save the crew is that a bunch of these invisible aliens show up and surround the Daleks and the Daleks freak out <laughs> and they just start shooting everything everywhere and they're in a jungle. So this reminded me, and I only saw this recently, uh, of this, the famous scene in Predator where they spend like... Five minutes shooting into the jungle at this invisible <laughs> enemy. <laughs> you know, in all, it's always true that Doctor Who has done it first. <laughs> uh, so while they're shooting at the enemy they can't see, um, and I hadn't thought about it, but you'd think Daleks might have heat vision, you know, but oh, yeah. the crew runs away. <laughs> and so once... I mean, they decide they've killed all the invisible beings. I don't know how they would know that. But um, so the Daleks then set out to find the crew. Back at Dalek Command, the Supreme Dalek is told that the crew escaped and that the Daleks on the planet want reinforcements. <laughs> and he's really not happy to hear this. And he's like, no, you know, they're plenty capable of doing this. And by the way, failure will not be tolerated. <laughs> he's consistent. I'll give him that. Yeah. So... Back with the crew, the doctor has devised a plan, which we're not told. So we have my, my Scooby-Doo rule. <laughs> which means, you know, if you're not told the plan, that means it's going to work. And he then leaves Sarah and Stephen to do his part of the plan. And Sarah believes that the plan is going to fail. And Stephen reassures her that this one is much simpler than most of the doctor's plans. And he thinks it'll work. And the doctor approaches the single Dalek who's been left to guard the landing ship. And, you know, the Dalek confronts him and he reminds the Dalek that he has the tranium so he can't be shot. But, you know, like five minutes earlier, he tried to say that and it didn't do anything. So, yeah, well, yeah. you know, they're they're biological organisms inside those tin suits. So uh, some of them are bound to be smarter than others. <laughs> so he now offers to give up the tranium for a guarantee that the Daleks will help the crew get away from the planet. <laughs> And, of course, you know, uh, obviously he wouldn't believe this anyway, but as the Dalek is starting to respond to give him instructions and everything, Stephen jumps out and he does the old mud on the eye stock trick <laughs> and blinds the Dalek, who now freaks out. And again, just like we saw earlier, he starts spinning around, firing wildly. <laughs> and as he's saying, you know, visuals, you know, non-functional or whatever, and he just starts <laughs> shooting. So the crew runs into the ship, and what's hilarious is then the other Daleks who are out patrolling come back, and they're, like, telling him to knock it off with the shooting like he's going to hurt the ship or them or whatever. I just thought it was pretty funny. And on the ship, the Doctor and Sarah work out how to close the doors uh, right before the Daleks can get in, and then how to fly this thing. Quite a bit of techno babble, you know, in the finest Star Trek tradition. Yeah, they're just throwing numbers around and shit, so, yeah. Back at Dalek Command, the Supreme Dalek now gives Mavic Chen a dressing down uh, about, you know, losing the Terranium and all this. And 
and the humans, you know, having been sent to this other planet. And so Mavic gives him the ridiculous story that is that is underling cooked up, you know, and says that the humans were a danger on Earth and Mavic did the Daleks a favor by sending them to a planet where the dogs can safely retrieve the Terranium, you know, without any of the risks they would have had on Earth. And uh, again, just I think it's another really good Dalek line. The Supreme Dalek says, you make your incompetence sound like an achievement. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly the strategy. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, and now the Supreme Dalek gets a report that the fugitives have escaped and stole the landing craft. <laughs> and... He orders that the stranded Daleks be retrieved, at which point he'll have them dealt with. <laughs> and meanwhile, he's going to personally handle getting the Terranium. It's an interesting tidbit that, that they're going to go to all the trouble of rescuing these Daleks just so they can punish them. <laughs> it's very Dalekian. Yeah, yeah. And one thing I like in this story as a whole, and it's often not true, especially in sort of children's kind of stuff, um, you know, a lot of times you just have the bad guys, and the bad guys all agree with each other and being bad and et cetera. Right. Um, in this story, the bad guys are all arguing with each other and insulting each other all the time, right? <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. Yeah. That's what we've seen in other story arcs. We've seen uh, nuanced stuff like that where, um, you know, the, the the villains are not a united front and or some of the people you think are villains aren't. Right. Or, you know, all kinds of, so, so Doctor Who is, has been so far pretty, pretty good with that. Uh, yeah. I mean, not always, but, but, uh, oftentimes you'll get some things you don't expect. So that's one yeah. of the things I like about the show. And so Mavic Chen is really happy to see that the Daleks have screwed up, you know, and let the, let the fugitives get away. And so he says, it's clearly the Daleks who are incompetent and it's really funny because the Supreme Dalek, who's really been on top of it through all this and everything, he just, he gets so frustrated. He's sort of stuttering, trying to put it out. And he said, this is not, this is not. And Chen is kind of talking as he does it. And anyway, he finally gets up. This is not an emergency. <laughs> the fact that we lost the training, said, it's not an emergency. It's not a problem. And Chen says, no, it's a catastrophe. <laughs> and all that the Supreme Dalek can come up with is, we, the Daleks, are still in command. <laughs> okay, that's good. So on the stolen ship, the doctor is working on creating a fake version of the Terranium. And now, you know, it was, uh, Sarah was the one who thought the doctor's plan to get in the ship wouldn't work. And now it's Steven who's worried about a plan by the doctor and Sarah is defending it. And, but <clears throat> while they're talking, suddenly the ship begins changing course. And the doctor realizes that the Daleks are remote piloting the ship back to Kemble. And uh, unfortunately, this is something we really just can't see in the re reconstruction, but Steven sees a device that is apparently allowing the Daleks to do the remote piloting. I don't know how he realizes that's what it is. Um, and he immediately smashes it. And this works, and it breaks their control. But Sarah criticizes him for immediately resorting to violence, and he's offended that he's not taken seriously because he's used to technology that's hundreds of years behind hers and the doctor's. And the doctor makes it worse. And then he's like, well, but, uh, you know, I'm still capable of doing things. And the doctor just makes it all worse by patronizing him. He's like, oh, yes, sure you are. Yes, Stephen. Yes. And then he walks off with Sarah to work on stuff. <laughs> so it's just, they're just, I mean, you know, really giving him a hard time. Yeah. And in Dalek Command, they realize that the ship is broken free. <laughs> so the Supreme Dalek orders them to use a magnetized beam 
I forget if they had said tractor beam at any point or if that started with Star Wars. You know, I'm curious um, if any, but, you know, clearly it's a tractor beam, but they call it a magnetized Mm -hmm. beam. And which they immediately put into action. So it's kind of weird. It's like, well, we just, we've had now several minutes about, oh, the Daleks are going to remote control the ship and then the remote control is broken and then they're just going to use the magnetized beam. And so nothing (laughs) changed in all of that. Yeah, which is... uh... Which is is pretty much uh, what the whole swamp planet did too. I mean, mm. I mean, there's just a yeah. These these four episodes. Well, wait till wait till we get the next episode. That's the uh, that's the big big petting episode of these four. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, there'll be some interesting things to say about that one. There, yeah. So the doctor has finished his fake terrarium, but Sarah points out that it's not charged. And again, this is one of the things I had to look at the script. You can't tell from the reconstruction, but apparently the real terrarium is sort of glowing. Although in the live action mm-hmm. one, I didn't see it glowing. But um, I, I do remember a line from the first first set of episodes we watched where somebody says, "Oh, it's like trying to look at the sun or something mm-hmm. like that." So they're they're consistent about this detail, even though it isn't very evident from the reconstructions. Right. And. You know, the doctor's a little offended because he's like, look, it's the perfect way. It looks just like it. You know, <laughs> this is all we can do. And Stephen comes in and on hearing about all this, he suggests that they use the gravity force from the ship's power center to charge it. And both Sarah and the doctor immediately reject his idea with the doctor, again, just making it all worse here by saying it's too primitive and far too dangerous. So mm-hmm. That's just what he needed to do is tell Stephen he was being primitive. <laughs> And Sarah then tells Stephen that gravity force as a source of energy was abandoned centuries ago. And Stephen is offended because his people are still using it. And Sarah points out, well, the Romans used treadmills. I, I don't really get this comparison. I don't know what she's trying to say because. Well, I think she's saying that was that was their source of energy and we don't use that anymore either. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's a pretty simple, you know, um, uh, answer because I guess you know, we're, okay. Here's the thing I was trying to, and I should have just looked it up. I was trying to think treadmills, treadmills, and then I'm thinking about like these, ex, you know, the exercise mm, treadmills, yeah. And so I wasn't thinking about it as a source of energy, uh, so I just I just missed what, what this is about, but uh, no, but you're right. right, yeah. And now Sarah notices that the ship has changed course again, you know, the the, tr- the magnetized beam has taken effect, and the doctor immediately figures out it's a magnetized beam. He actually does have a reason. Like, he looks at the controls and sees the kind of ways that they're messed up and realizes there must be magnetism involved. Hmm. So he and Sarah go off to see if they can break the beam. Meanwhile, Stephen, you know, being peeved at all this calling him primitive and, and, you know, just really refusing to listen to him, he decides to try his idea for charging the fake terranium. And he plugs it into the, you know, gravity force outlet... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we get some more negative shots, almost as if he'd been shot by a daylight gun. But, I mean, it's really serious effect on him. And he falls to the floor unconscious. And Sarah and the doctor rush in. And Sarah realizes that Stephen's idea actually worked and the fake terrarium is now charged. But the doctor is concerned for Stephen's health. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, pretty fortunate that whatever material doctor the doctor is using for this imitation stuff... Uh, it uh, it can be charged to glow in the dark. So <laughs> a lot of mm-hmm. things that wouldn't work with. Mm-hmm. And back at Dalek Command, they see that the patrol ship, the ship they stole, has been pulled into Kimball's atmosphere by the magnetic beam. And 
there's an interesting little thing here, and I think there is a bit of payoff. It's it's, it's a little confusing, though, which is Mavic Chen tries to convince them to let him take the, the fugitives back to Earth where they can be tried and executed instead of the Daleks just shooting them immediately. And the Daleks are confused by this. They, they just want to kill them. But Mavic kind of makes up another story and says, well, if Sarah Kingdom just disappears, people may look into it, and then they'll realize the Daleks killed them, and it might screw up the Daleks' plans. And it's not a very convincing argument. <laughs> the Supreme mm-hmm. Dalek is just like, no, once we had the training, it'll be too late for anyone to stop us. And Mavic finally gives in. But I believe the purpose here is what they're communicating subtly, relatively subtly in the story, is that Mavichen cares about Sarah Kingdom, and he's trying to save her. Ah, okay, sure, makes sense. And that comes into something that's going to happen a little bit later. Hmm, okay. And and the reason I say that is, there, otherwise, Mavic he doesn't care about people. He'd be happy to just have them shot, right? But, oh, sure. You know, so so he had to have a reason. He was coming up with this whole bullshit story to um, to try and save them. So back in the ship, Sarah and the Doctor realize they're going to be landing in about five minutes. And Stephen, you know, is propped up against the wall. He can't move or talk, but his eyes are open. So Sarah thinks the effects of what happened to him is wearing off. But the doctor says, no, he's just getting used to it. And what I kind of picked up, and again, I found this all a little confusing, probably part of this being a reconstruction. and But also, I think it's just confusing. But, but apparently, what Stephen did caused there to be a force field around him. Right. And one of the reasons I find this confusing is because it's not like you can't touch him, although apparently the doctor kind of pulls away, but later he gives him the training while he has his force shield around him. So it just, I, you know, I'm thinking like in Dune or something where you have these force fields around you and, you know, you can't mm, if go you through them. Slowly, if you yeah. penetrate it, but if you're hitting it fast, it will, right. it will bounce off. Right. It could be. I. It could also be that the force field is more um, not necessarily a physical restriction but it's for one thing it's what's it's what causing what is causing him to be so dazed and yeah. out of it um but also as we'll see shortly uh the force field does have another effect that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily rely uh it doesn't necessarily resist against like physical or concussive effects um but we'll see that right so the doctor now has an idea, and he asks Sarah to get the fake teranium for him, and she leaves. And then he asks Stephen to trust him, and that he has a plan. He wants Stephen to trust him, and he wants Stephen to confirm this uh, in some way. And so, again, unfortunately, this being a reconstruction, we, we don't really see it, and they actually have to put, like, a little text on the screen and tell us what happened. And what happens is, with great effort, Stephen manages finally to move his eyes to kind of show confirmation. Mm-hmm. And now Maddie Chen and the Daleks are outside waiting as the ship arrives. And inside, Stephen is now standing. He's holding the fake Terranium. He still can't talk. And and as near as I can tell from the dialogue, he can barely walk like the doctor seems to have him to be showing him where to go and stuff. Um, and now Sarah is back to saying the doctor's new plan won't work. So <laughs> at each plan the doctor comes up with, they kind of switch which person thinks it won't work. We don't know if Stephen thinks it won't work because he can't talk. But, right, right. Uh, so they go outside with Stephen leading in front with the Tranium. And Mavic wants the Tranium handed over to him. But the doctor refuses and reminds them once again that they can't be attacked while they have the Tranium, <laughs> even though this 
it's the third time he said this and it hasn't worked yet. <laughs> he insists that he'll only hand it over outside of the TARDIS and the Supreme Dalek refuses. He's not taking any of this crap. But the doctor refuses his refusal <laughs> and Mavic talks the Supreme Dalek into doing it the doctor's way. Kind of a, you know, what does it matter? You know, <laughs> um, it'll all be over in a few minutes. So when Sarah comes out, and this ties back to what I was talking about previously, Mavic calls to her by name. Yeah. And she looks at him and just spits out, traitor. <laughs> and we even see this in the reconstruction. You just get this shot of his face, and I think, and, and it confirms in the script, he's like shocked at what she says. So mm. that's why I think she, he was trying to save her. He didn't realize that she had changed her mind in the meantime. Yeah. And they reach the TARDIS, and the doctor says, Stephen, and I got to give it to the doctor in this case. He's, he's thought this out pretty well. So he says, Stephen will hand over the training once he and Sarah are inside the TARDIS. And then he tells Stephen to remember to do exactly what he told him, and he'll give him further instructions from inside the TARDIS. And then the doctor goes into the TARDIS, and over a loudspeaker, he tells Stephen to hand the training over to Mavic and then go into the TARDIS. He hands it over. Mavic, you know, delightfully confirms that this is it. Stephen heads for the TARDIS. But, of course, the Daleks all immediately open fire on Stephen. <laughs> but he still manages to walk into the TARDIS, which then immediately vanishes. And this is another kind of funny bit here because the Daleks are all upset. Like, we all shot him. All our guns shot him. And he didn't die. And Mavic Chen's like, who cares? The invasion can go ahead. The universe will be ours. <laughs> so, <laughs> In the TARDIS, Stephen can now talk, and it turns out that the force field that was around him protected him from the Dalek guns, and in the process, the force field would have destroyed, um, so he can now talk. So I guess, theoretically, somehow, that was keeping him from speaking. And Stephen is excited because he realized, wait, if this thing I did, you know, worked to save me from Dalek guns, we should experiment with this gravity force some more so we can create more of these force fields and save people from the Daleks. And the doctor is really pissed off. And he's like, you know, you almost killed yourself this time. Next time you will kill yourself. You could have blown up the entire spaceship. <laughs> and really comes down hard on him. And Stephen persists in wanting to do it. And and the doctor gets in one of his moods. You know, we saw this once with uh, Ian and Barbara, right? Where all of a sudden out of nowhere, he's like, I'm tired of, you know, people not listening to me. I'm putting you off this ship the first chance, you know, <laughs> et cetera. <laughs> And so finally with this, you know, he gets Stephen to agree that he won't do it. But um, this is actually an unusual case of the writer, whichever one it was in this case, dealing with a plot hole. Like normally you just like, oh, here's this amazing device that would change the world. You know, like in the it happened all the time in The Prisoner, right? Here's this amazing device that would completely change the world. And next episode, we'll completely forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This would uh, I mean, it would it would render the Daleks. Uh, much less effective as an ongoing enemy in the show. Right. And and actually, so, you know, they did close the plot hole, though I think the Doctor was wrong. I mean, clearly it's worth experimenting with. Obviously, oh, you got to sure. get over to the dangerous part, but the benefit is huge. And he's a good scientist. Well, mm -hmm. uh, he has his moments. He still hasn't <laughs> fixed the TARDIS. <laughs> so... Now they realize the TARDIS has landed, but the scanner is on the blink. I think the scanner goes on the blink about every other time that they land because <laughs> they don't want them to know what's outside. And this, this is going to be really confusing and weird. So Stephen's ready to go outside, but the doctor stops him. 
The atmosphere is entirely poisonous. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. End of the episode. <laughs> Next up is the Feast of Stephen. The Feast of Stephen. Uh, this one, the reconstruction we watched for this one, I, I watched it and uh, I didn't realize until I read the script that the script is very different. There's a whole lot of yeah. stuff that simply isn't in the reconstruction. So I'll, I'll mention that briefly. Uh, well, it's, it's even worse. Yeah, it's even worse than that. So first of all, I want to give some credit to the other reconstructions, not this one. And I appreciate anyone taking their time and effort to do one of these things, oh, right? Sure. You, you can't get paid for it. It's purely a labor of love. But the other reconstructions that we watched for this, which I think were probably done by the same person, it's hard to know because you just, you know, it's sort of random what's available and you just grab what you can and it's hard to know where it came from and right. and all that. But they actually did a lot of clever work that was better, like it was much more sophisticated than some of what we saw, say, in the Myth Makers. Mm -hmm. Because like they would do little things that really helped, like when the Daleks were talking, they would have the Dalek headlights well, a little um, blinking light go on. on the head, yeah. Though. And it really, because that's all you see anyway in the live action, right? The Dalek's sitting there and you're just seeing the lights blinking. That little bit really made those easier to comprehend. Mm -hmm. And they would do these clever little cutout things where they would take an image of one of the characters or one of the Daleks from one scene and they would put another one and, and kind of move it along almost like a paper cutout. Right. You know, instead of it all being static shots. And, th and all those little bits really helped um, reduce the negative impact of, of it being a reconstruction and mm -hmm. you just looking at static shots, right? Then we hit this episode. <laughs> and I was the one who found these. This might have been the only one. I'll have to see. Oh, now I got to go and look and see if there's another one. But <laughs> it really messed me up um, because not only did, at the very beginning, as I imagine you're going to talk about here, it did not include some critical dialogue which makes the whole thing extremely confusing. Right. But even worse, at the end, he sticks in 10 plus minutes of stuff from the next episode. Yeah, that was super confusing because I got to that then in the next episode and I thought, oh, they're just doing like a lame yeah. recap. Um, but actually, that was the first time or should have been the first time that we saw it yeah yeah so we'll i you know i guess we'll talk through it as it is in the script but if we didn't have the script i wouldn't i wouldn't have even been able to figure it out i didn't even know which episode that content was supposed to be in etc so so in this case the person unfortunately made some poor choices mm. now i don't now the fact that he pulled in that other stuff from the, the other episode that's totally his fault right he made or he him or her made that choice mm. i can't say i don't know maybe the dialogue doesn't exist for some of the stuff that he left out but if it does exist and he chose to leave it out that's he that's just bizarre yeah okay, so. <laughs> well I, I guess it depends on the intent of the uh, reconstruction too, because if you're just yeah. trying to get the the gist of the story across, that'd be one thing. And in this episode, there's really very little that you actually <laughs> need yeah. to get across. Although, God, I wish we had the live action of this because I'm a huge fan of film and the history of film. And there's a lot of actually fun stuff in this and it would have been great to be able to see it. But, uh, it, it, for me, Oh Yeah. The other thing I'll say is what, what what I'll say responsible people do when they're reconstructing things or even old silent films or whatever, right? And there's like, you know, like I 
there'll be a whole reel of a silent film that doesn't exist, right? So what you mm-hmm. do is you put up a card that says, you know, at this point, there was another reel of film. It no longer exists. Here's basically what happened. Right. Now we're going to continue at this point, right? You tell the person watching it what's going on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least give us a clue. Yeah. Okay, so enough trashing. Let's <laughs> let's try to get through this thing. But you know, okay. I do. I will say I did not expect this story to descend into again practically uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or or uh, you know comedy uh, you know Three's Company comedy or something. Yeah, it's just this this is I think pretty much the whole episode is just. I mean, it's arguably filler. It has some few fun things in it, but. Uh, uh, as far as actually advancing, oh yeah, the nothing Daleks happens in the story. Stadium. Absolutely and, nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really just. Uh, now, one thing that may play into that: uh, the notes in the script say it's broadcast on December twenty fifth, nineteen sixty five. Oh so. yeah, that definitely has some impact. And there's a little bit of a controversial thing at the end that we'll talk about. Yes, here. yes, something we I don't believe we've seen in any prior episode <laughs> of Doctor Who. So that is interesting. Anyway, the TARDIS appears in uh, in England. It's right outside a police station, which is, uh, you know, why would you have a police box outside a police station? <laughs> and uh, now this we don't see. This is part of the stuff that was not. This is just yeah. from the script. It's not in the reconstruction. Right. And, and it may, it's so confusing because he, the last episode ends with him saying it's completely poisonous outside. Right. And then... We all the stuff you're going to talk about is not there, so we don't get any of the context, any of the conversation surrounding that, and it it just makes no sense whatsoever. Anyway, oh, well, yeah. I'll let you uh, actually actually proceed. <laughs> <laughs> so, according to the script, these two uh, constables are singing uh, "Good King Wenceslas," uh, which is where the Feast of Stephen title of the episode would have come from. They notice this police box right outside the police station, and they. They don't know where it came from, although one of the constables says, uh, perhaps someone sent it to the inspector as a Christmas box. (laughs) And um, the sergeant says, perhaps you'll both just stay out here and watch it. And the constable replies, why, do you think it's going to fly away? (laughs) Which uh, (laughs) very well might by the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. Inside the TARDIS, and this is still not part of the reconstruction. This is just script only. The doctor's explaining uh, that it's safe for him to go outside. He's saying to Stephen and Kingdom, he says, where you come from, in both places, the air is pure. Outside, there's the worst kind of pollution I've met in years. So this is a little uh, a, a little contemporary environmental commentary on, uh, on 1960s England. Mm-hmm. Stephen says he shouldn't go out there either then. Uh, but the doctor says he's used to it. He has to go out and repair the scanner. So they argue a little bit back and forth about Stephen saying it's not safe and so on. But but the doctor is going to have his way. And, of course, we know that he lived on 1960s Earth for uh, some time. So he's used to it. He'll handle it. So now we get to a part that is in the reconstruction, although we'll get parts later than this that are cut out again Stuff that's in the script, fairly large blocks of dialogue that are just missing entirely. So, a couple constables looking outside, they are looking out, watching the uh, police box, as the sergeant told them to. 
the door opened and they got a glimpse of a bloke in there, a bloke with long white hair. And now here's more dialogue that isn't in the reconstruction. The doctor is explaining to Kingdom that these these people are police, um, and they're uh, they're back on Earth. And uh, Kingdom says, "But that's what's written outside the TARDIS." <laughs> right on it, it says "police box." <laughs> so he just says to Stephen, "Just just do as you're told. Open the doors, shut them after I'm gone." So. The doctor gets outside the TARDIS, and immediately he uh, is snatched up by the constables. And, <laughs> and, just, and just to complain more, give people an understanding, this is where the reconstruction starts. Yeah. <laughs> Everything you've said up to now is not there. <laughs> well, which part, means, part of the uh, the dialogue with uh, there was a bloke with long white hair I just saw. Y- yes, yeah, way. like like, you know, yeah, like two things, but that means we don't have an explanation for the poison. We don't have, you know, it just it just made no sense whatsoever. Anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely the, the script does add some more clarity to it. And, and fortunately, of all the episodes in this group that, that I would have wanted to get this treatment, um, I mean, like you said, there's some stuff that would have been fun to see, but it's ultimately all just irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> so in the police station... Man comes up with a complaint. People keep moving his house. They're moving. Oh, before that, though, you got to cover the it's a fair cop. That's one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a. <laughs> they, uh, when they notice the doctor poking around before they, before they haul him to the police station, uh, one, of the, one of the constables says, it wouldn't be Father Christmas, would it? <laughs> the other says, all right, lad, it's a fair cop. <laughs> So in the police station, we have the guy complaining that the rebels are moving his greenhouse. <laughs> and, uh, and then the doctor goes in. There's just a lot of uh, non sequiturs, it seems like, unless this is part of reference to an actual Doctor Who episode. Uh, he says to this guy, uh, the doctor says, yes, of course, I remember now. Yes, the marketplace at Jaffa. He's seen him somewhere before. And, uh uh, why he would have seen this man in the marketplace yeah, of Jaffa. I, I wondered if maybe this guy was a contemporary person or actor or something. I, I didn't look up the reference to the marketplace at Jaffa, so I, oh, so I don't know. It could be a reference to another project the guy was in. Yeah. It could be a little sly aside there. Because there's a lot of jokes. I mean, this this whole episode is jokes. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, the detectives are are interrogating the doctor, um, and uh, they're they said, uh, "I never knew the housing shortage was so bad. You'd have to spend Christmas in a police box." <laughs> and the doctor says, "Well, Christmas? Oh, is it? Of course. <laughs> that accounts for the holly in the hall." He says. <laughs> so then they have a little little dispute uh, about. Uh, the doctor's travel. He says, travel broadens the mind. And the inspector says, you mean you're not English? And he goes on to guess Scottish and Welsh. The doctor says, you'll have to think in a far bigger way than that. Your ideas are too narrow, too small, too <laughs> crippled. <laughs> and the inspector says, what are you then? And the doctor says, I suppose you might say that I am a citizen of the universe. And it cuts off there, but but the script has him finishing the line with, and a gentleman to boot. 
which <laughs> would have been fun to hear. It's a very, yeah. very doctorish line. Stephen, this is, again, the thing that's not shown in the Reconstruction. He spots a uniform sitting in the back seat of a police car, so he swipes it. He enters the police station, and now we're back in the Reconstruction. Um, and because he's wearing the police uniform, he's mistaken for the new bloke from G Division. Come to help mm-hmm. us out. So he's looking for an old man, he says, and the sergeant tells him, oh, he's with the detectives. Now, there's a man here who we, we talked about. He's, he thought some rebels stole his greenhouse, um, and he's still explaining about that. Uh, it's not in his garden now. So I'm guessing this never, ever comes back into play, but there's always a possibility that in the one of the last four episodes they could uh, spring it on us. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking this is just a little throwaway thing yeah. to fill up time. So again, uh, we have another section of text that's not in the reconstruction where the doctor is explaining to the inspector that uh, the police box isn't really a police box. <laughs> When he he explains the acronym of the TARDIS, time and relative dimension and space, uh, the constable talks to the other officers and says, he's a nutter. (laughs) So then there's another line that isn't in the reconstruction. One of the inspectors said, well, didn't you check? There might be a whole army of of them in there living like gypsies in one of Her Majesty's police telephone boxes. (laughs) And back to the reconstruction, Sarah is outside. Uh, She's looking for the doctor and Stephen, and she runs into a constable, and he gives some thought to taking her in, but it's Christmas. She's dressed funny, so she's probably on her way to a party somewhere. Um, So he's going to cut her some slack, but at Christmas time, he says, we have to be lenient, and we don't want to be too difficult for you. Mm -hmm. So... uh, she goes on her way, and she she says, the idiots, they've obviously got themselves into some kind of trouble. Mm-hmm. In the police station, Stephen, who's masquerading as a police officer, he says he, he knows the doctor. He says, oh, it's all right. He's a funny fellow, but I know how to handle him. We're used to him down in G Division. <laughs> so he gets, he gets to uh, take the take the doctor out with him out of the police station back out into the street the constable outside he's uh he's skeptical of what uh stephen and kingdom are up to constable has finally grabbed hold of sarah and uh he says first of all the old bloke comes out of it now i catch this last climbing about on it (laughs) stephen says it's all right i know her too Sergeant says, Hi, you seem to know all the queer people. So Sarah asks to be let go again, and uh, she gets free, and they slip into the TARDIS, which is all three of them are in there now, and it immediately starts making its, you know, pull, pull string, push mower noises, <laughs> and it vanishes. So that was a several minutes of just completely random stuff (laughs) yeah as far as i can tell unless unless there's some big payoff with some greenhouse getting stolen by rebels in the later episodes uh that's that's basically utterly inconsequential 
Yeah. But thankfully, we're now going to get to the substance. <laughs> yeah. Dream on, buddy. <laughs> this next section is amusing, but again, contributes nothing. <laughs> uh, Sarah, Sarah, back in the TARDIS, she points out that uh, she fixed the scanner with no help from either of the guys. And the doctor uh, says we might still be on Earth now that they've done their uh, transport thing with the TARDIS. And he says, the atmosphere has improved considerably. Um, He says, let's have a look at the scanner. And they see a view inside a sawmill. And there's a screaming woman and a sinister man. This is is your stock snidely whiplash scene here. You know, perils of Pauline type thing. He's got a big circular saw. And uh, the woman, he's going to do something uh, nasty to her with that saw. Mm-hmm. But then we see that it's a film set. So this is actually, you know, the silent movie era that they've been transported to, which is why the atmosphere is cleaner. Although, mm-hmm. uh, although considering the way that the atmosphere was in the Victorian era, I mean, London used to be yeah. so sooty that uh, you actually just, couldn't see ahead of you sometimes. Uh, yeah, I think that's where people's ideology sometimes blinds them a bit. Yeah, cities, um, I mean, cities were not good places to be mm-hmm. uh, back in those days. You know, they they were collections of disease and pollution and, you know, uh, horse poop and <laughs> all sorts of stuff, right? So, yeah. So it's just kind of amusing that they idealize and say, oh, no, this is the time when you know it's, it's healthy <laughs> to be out here. Yeah. And uh, one thing that I really like about about this segment, even though it's, you know, more or less useless, <laughs> is uh, they have this silent, uh, silent movie piano music uh, starts up. And in their reconstruction, and apparently this is the way it was done in the, in the script as well, while we're here in the silent movie era, um, every scene is going to end with uh, silent movie cards. Yeah, I thought that was great. And I'm, yeah. so I'm a big silent movie buff, and, and that cracked me up. And it's totally out of, you know, kilter for Doctor Who. But you know what? I mean, this is just an episode where they were just going to have fun. <laughs> so. Yeah, this is this is just the goof-off episode. <laughs> the TARDIS has landed. It's causing a, uh, causing a ruckus because it just uh, appeared out of nowhere. Uh, and Stephen uh, is still in his police outfit, uh, which looks close enough to a silent movie era police outfit that it's recognizable as one. He attacks this snidely whiplash villain guy and knocks him over. And the director saying, cut, who let those bums <laughs> in there? <laughs> and he says, it's that guy DeMille. He's trying to sabotage me. Get those bums out of here. So there's there's a lot of back and forth, and one thing, uh, even even with the sound present in the reconstruction, this whole silent movie era in particular, there's so much back and forth dialogue and so much well, chaos going on. It's really hard and this to is why I'd say even even though it doesn't advance the story, the reason I wish this was one of the live action ones that survived is because both there is a lot of fun stuff in here I would like to see, and just what you said. I mean. There's so much chaos going on and so much noise that in a reconstruction where you're just seeing still shots or whatever, you just you just can't tell what's going on. Yeah. But we get a title card that says, and so the hunt was on, <laughs> with the accompanying piano music. 
they're running around uh, through through the uh, movie studios. There's multiple multiple sound stages uh, to run between. They pass a guy who looks very much like Charlie Chaplin. He's got the little toothbrush mustache and all that. Meanwhile, on the Sheik's tent set, this is a uh, you know a Rudolph Valentino style uh, thing. They uh, <clears throat> the Sheik is saying, and then I will come to you on my camel and sweep you away across the desert. <laughs> a couple of the companions come through. I think uh, it was uh, Stephen and uh, Kingdom and. Uh, the director says, a guy and a gal, they just beat the living daylights out of my camera crew. It was great. <laughs> also, um, this director's name is Ingmar. So, you know, they're making all these jokes here, right? So Ingmar Bergman, <laughs> you know, uh, and they have more director jokes coming. <laughs> and then there's a Mr. Mr. Knopf, or Knopf, uh, uh, who is, uh, that, that's, that's Ingmar, I think. But a lot of this stuff I didn't highlight to put in the podcast because it's really just, I mean, there's some cute stuff, and I'll mention a few of the cute things, but a lot of it's right. just utterly inconsequential. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Stephen, being in his cop outfit, is mistaken by the assistant to the director. Uh, he's mistaken as a cast member of Keystone Cops-style movie that they're filming <laughs> right. on the sound stages. He says he's got nothing to do with their film, but uh, he breaks free. He's, he's running away. He's He's got other cops after him. So very much like an actual Keystone Cops movie. Yeah. And they and, even do a little bit of that in their reconstruction. We see a little yeah. still photo of a hallway, and we have a brief animation of the cops running past it. Yeah, I thought that was pretty clever. Then back in the Sheik's tent, it seems like the Sheik is rehearsing his lines. He's like, and then I will come to you, and then I will come to you, and then I will come to you. <laughs> I'm like Camel. And then I didn't really highlight any of the stuff for like a next minute or two, although uh, it seems that they're trying to get Kingdom into costume and dress her up like a harem girl. And then again, this is a f thing that was hard for me to follow in the actual... Yeah. It's uh, hard, but it all, I mean, I think what's important here, right? They get, they're trying to get her to take off her clothes, and, and at some <laughs> point, she like hides in a chest, and that's all that really matters, right? Because then the doctor ends up finding her in the chest, and yeah. Um, so, uh, so that's very true to Hollywood, trying to get the girls to take their clothes off. <laughs> and then there's the title card, but what has happened to Stephen? <laughs> Stephen finally manages to get away he takes off his police outfit he and kingdom and the doctor all meet up again doctor says we've got to get back to the tardis he says this is a madhouse it's all full of arabs come along <laughs> so that's a i guess he just wasn't expecting that in england i don't right. think that was racism of thing <laughs> you know i realize you know because interrogation always repeats himself so basically this is Basically, a remake of the chase episode. Remember when they uh, went to the um, the haunted house oh, museum? Yeah, it's you know, yeah. they ended up going to the uh, what was the Mary Celeste? So yeah, that, in the haunted house. So this is this episode is like that, right? It's just throwing it in. Yeah, they things. went to what the Empire State Building, yeah, the, yeah. the old haunted house, and the Mary Celeste, and then. For some reason, that sat a lot better with me, uh, I, even though that was similarly mostly useless. I mean, 
just the particular little twists they had in there were fun. I mean, I like I like the silent movie stuff. Granted, this would have been a lot more fun to watch in live action. Yeah, yeah, I really do think it would have been. But I think one of the things you're with what you're saying is, for example, it turned out that the reason the Mary Celeste had been abandoned was the Daleks, right? So <laughs> it, at least there was something that came out of that, right? Where where in this one, as we say, there's just absolutely nothing. There's no, you know. Yeah, there's no yeah. real big payoffs unless I keep thinking that the rebels took my greenhouse guy. I, I can't help wondering if there's some. That, that might be, yeah. you know, another it one may of those. Maybe, but I'm just, uh, I wouldn't bet a whole lot yeah. on it. <laughs> it could be. You know, you speculated about that other guy that uh, mm. that the doctor saw in Jaffa. I wonder if the rebels took my greenhouse was another like a celebrity cameo from uh, something that everybody in nineteen mid-1960s mm. would be familiar with. Who knows? So anyway, back in the sawmill set, there's uh, the director spots Stephen and and uh, Kingdom trying to sneak around, and uh, another title card: the chase was on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I actually I had to wonder if they were making our own little sly reference to um, the chase story. Oh yeah, yeah, could be it, as it is here in, in the script. Chase is capitalized, which would imply. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that definitely could be a reference. Yeah. So there's a clown leaning against the door of the TARDIS, and the doctor starts talking to him. Um, the clown says, all the time they want something new, new jokes. There aren't any. The doctor says, aren't there? Well, that's a joke in itself. The clown. And I like this whole conversation, but by the way, this is a real thing uh, at least it's my impression of people who were comedians in vaudeville i mean their feeling was everybody tells the same jokes you know there's just a set of jokes and you all tell them i mean it wasn't it wasn't until later that the idea of comedians coming up with their own jokes and you know having their own thing oh yeah was a big deal in fact i think a lot of that was because of movies and tv like well you've seen the routine right before movies and tv you hadn't seen it before. Right, right. Yeah. Unless you'd gone to the other burlesque theater down the street. That right, the right. same joke. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, I do I do like this conversation. Oh, yeah. Again, on the film set where uh, the clown says, custard pies have been done by Chaplin, so I'm not allowed to. <laughs> and uh, he goes on to say, drink of water, done by Chaplin. Banana skins, all done by Chaplin. And... You know, it's funny, earlier on in this podcast, you mentioned uh, Dr. Whatever there is to do, Dr. Who has done it already. <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah, this part, I thought of exactly the same thing, except I thought of, um, I think it was on South Park, their their line mm-hmm. was, Simpsons did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything they tried to do, they could find an episode of The Simpsons that had already been done in. Yeah, I liked, you know, another one he has is, oh, they won't even let me do the wallpaper and paste routine. You know why? And the doctor's like, done by Chaplin. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, in the Sheik's tent, there's a little digression where everybody's looking for Webster, who they think, they think doctor, or they think the doctor is this Professor Webster. And uh, so they're looking around for him. Back at the sawmill, this is where we get the wallpaper and paste remark. Finally... Kingdom and Stephen return to the TARDIS. Uh, they get in, they yank the doctor in, and it's gone. And uh, 
<laughs> the director says, what a great trick. They just disappeared. <laughs> and then a little little man comes through. He uh, introduces himself as Professor Webster. So it turns out that the person they thought was a professor was somebody completely different. And then in the script here, this isn't, I don't think, in the in the reconstruction, but in the script here, it looks like there should have been another silent movie title card that said, and so they all lived happily ever after. But do you notice, and I assume this is true, that uh, Professor Webster was, in fact, William Hartnell. Oh, um, I did not. Yeah. <laughs> oh, be darned. I didn't yeah. spot that at all. <laughs> what a cute. Now, we have this point here. I mean, this is the point I mentioned earlier where they take... 10 minutes from the next episode and insert it. And, and I was thoroughly mystified and I was complaining about it. But as we've been talking and as you've, uh, uh, you know, repeatedly mentioned your frustration that the story doesn't have any impact, I think that's what this reconstructor was trying to do. He was trying to fix that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By taking stuff from the next episode that would actually impact the story. <laughs> the problem, of course, is if you're not just watching this person's reconstructions, like, you know, if you're just taking whichever ones you can find, it just makes it incomprehensible. Right, <laughs> you know? right. right. And, and what what happened with me is I watched this reconstruction, then I watched the next one, and I thought they were, I thought this that was the way they had originally been aired, and I thought they were just being lazy and putting 10 or 15 minutes mm-hmm. of the previous episode back into this new episode um, and building on it from there. But no, all this stuff that was in this episode of the reconstruction uh, regarding the volcano planet uh, is actually not in this episode as it aired. So, and then oddly, after, after showing us several minutes out of the next episode, we get back to what happened right after they teleported away from the film studio. And uh, the doctor says, well, we so rarely get a chance to celebrate, but this time we must. Yeah, and he's brought out like a tray of champagne and such. And he says, yes, it's Christmas. And he reminds everyone that the police station said it was Christmas. So he says, here's a toast, a happy Christmas to all of us. And... uh Stephen says, same to you, Doctor, Sarah. And then the last line in the episode is a fourth wall break. I don't, I haven't noticed in any episode to date. Um, I guess it's possible Marco Polo or the Crusades could have one, but this is the first one I have noticed. The Doctor turns to the camera and says, a happy Christmas to all of you at home. So it's not a huge fourth wall break, but... uh, yeah, and I, I think, I believe it is somewhat controversial. I mean, you just have people who feel like you should never do this, you know. Yeah. Um, well, I think the whole episode is just kind of a, a taking the piss, as the British would say. You know, it, it's yeah. Just you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't advance the story at all. I don't think. No. In fact, I mean, let's soon go back to the beginning. I'm going back through the notes. No, you know what? The Daleks never show up. Hmm. I don't even think that there's nothing. I mean, you you know, Mavic Chen's not part of this. You could you could literally take this episode out, and the viewer would not notice. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's the case. They'd they would briefly wonder what's the uh, unbreathable air that he mentioned at the end of the 
Actually, it would make more sense when you take this out because they're going to, well, well eventually, because they end up at the volcano, the volcano planet. planet. But, no, no, I mean, you know, there'd have to be a slight, you know, a couple line change or whatever. But literally, this episode, you would not know it wasn't there if you took it out. Right. So there is some cute stuff in it, but um, yeah, not really germane to the other 11 or, or 12, mm-hmm. depending on how you count them, yeah, or 12 or 13, if you you know what I'm saying. But, <laughs> okay. Well, and next up is, in fact, the episode Volcano. So we have two uh, normal, you know, not Supreme Daleks talking okay. to each other, and the Time Destructor is now ready for testing, and the Supreme Dalek needs to be informed. And by the way, we know he's a Supreme Dalek because he has, like, a black helmet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, he's... Like, he's uh... He's got now. It seems like sometimes we've seen him with a whole black outfit. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that's a reconstruction thing or. Although I think it was that way in the live action, so yeah. maybe just the way they did it this time. And we see Mavit Chen and two of the other leaders of you know different races talking, and they're all throwing shade at each other for who's to blame for the things that have been going wrong. And one guy hisses like a snake, and he has like these you know, cut in half black ping pong balls. But even though that doesn't sound good, actually the, his costume doesn't look bad. I didn't like his hissing. um, Yeah. It's I thought it was a good costume too. And, and the balls, they range in sizes. So Mm -hmm. like you've got ping pong ball sized ones and then you've got, you know, they range all the way up to like, say a croquet ball. Yeah. Um, I think it's really like styrofoam, which actually is, we talked about in a, uh, early episode, Styrofoam was a relatively new invention, and it's clear that they're kind of finding ways ways to use it. Mm. So, yeah, uh, you know, it's just kind of funny. They're all arguing about about who's at fault. Oh, and the other guy, the third one. Leech face. Yeah, he has these things hanging off his face. It's just disgusting. I don't know <laughs> what they were thinking. It's not bad. So Mavic tells the two of them that, you know, because they're like, well— a couple of these traitors were human, so clearly this is your problem, Mavichan. And he's like, well, they may have been human, but one is a time and space traveler from another galaxy, so this has nothing to do with me. And then the other ones can all use that as the same reason. And, you know, they're like, oh, we don't have time travel. And, and you know, Mavic's like, well, I thought you were looking into it. Like, no, we don't have it yet. You know, only the Daleks <laughs> have that, so it's not our problem. So it's just kind of funny how they're all passing the buck. And in the TARDIS... Using that space-time analyzer thingy, which I think, did they get that in the web planet or before it was around then? It, it goes away eventually, but they've been using it for a while. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the thing with the screens on it. Yeah. And so this tells them that they're being followed. And the doctor feels like it's a priority to figure out who's following him. But Sarah disagrees. She thinks nothing should get in the way of their mission of destroying the Dalek invasion fleet. But, you know, the doctor's in charge. <laughs> so, uh, And then we're back with those leaders, and we see, t- well, we don't see it. I had to read this in the script, but two Daleks force Trantis, who is the leech face guy, uh, into an enclosed room that has the time destructor in it. So this is what they wanted that terranium for. Yeah, they think they've got it up and running now. Yeah. Yeah, this is, yeah. Having worked at Apple, this is, you know, when you're bringing your your project to Steve Jobs and showing him it. And <laughs> so, you know, the uh, the hissy uh, uh, ping pong ball guy is curious why they chose Trantis for this. And Mavic says, Trantis so wanted help with the time destructor that the dogs decided to let him help. 
with his life. <laughs> <laughs> so this, I, it, you know, I'm, makes you wonder why the Daleks even bothered gathering allies <laughs> just to <laughs> kill them off one by one. I guess. Especially the leader for the whole race, yeah. <laughs> and But now <laughs> we do get some rationalization here of, of why the other two live, which is uh, we see the Supreme Dalek and a, and a regular Dalek talking, and the regular Dalek is wondering if the others can be trusted or maybe they should be killed too. And the Supreme Dalek says the remaining two leaders can live because, and again, I just love this line, their greed for power is so great that they can be trusted. Yeah. <laughs> that is really the first thing I look for in a trustworthy yeah. person. <laughs> so they activate the machine and Trantis falls to his knees with a terrified look on his face. But after a while, they all realize nothing is happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The Daleks immediately blame Mavic Chen because nothing could be wrong with their technology. The only thing outside of their technology is the Tranium. And Mavic Chen says, I, you know, obviously I wouldn't betray you. I only benefit by helping you. <laughs> and we've, you know, we've had a bit of this, but he now says the greatest line in all of Doctor Who that must have had every British schoolboy bursting out in laughter. He says, but it came from Uranus. I know it did. <laughs> And I can't even, you know, they knew what they were doing oh, with that. You know, they, and it's just one of those things where they probably get it by by saying, hey, you know, we're just referencing a planet. Yeah. <laughs> but then Navi Chen thinks about it and he realizes the doctor has deceived him and it didn't, in fact, come from Uranus. <laughs> and the Daleks realize that they need Scar to send them a time machine so they can chase the doctor. Have we, have we heard this story before? <laughs> Although I was kind of curious, like, okay, you have time machines. Presumably you could create a production line and have a bunch of them. Why, you know, why, why are people going around in regular Daleks going around in regular spaceships and all this, but, um, <laughs> the powered. yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, just because they decide to exterminate, uh, the weech face guy <laughs> you know, for no reason. I mean, you know, but they do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'd think at least keep them around and see if you get the terrarium back you know test yeah. it on them so in the tardis they see that they're still being followed and the doctor is about to land them and this is a pretty hilarious bit i, I would say it's you know it's better integrated in the previous episode so we see this huge cricket game going on you know this huge stadium uh, i have no idea how cricket is played and I don't know if these guys were actual radio announcers, but you have these two monotonous radio announcers, and they're talking about how exciting this game is. And part of the whole joke, I realized over time, is that they keep saying, well, you know, England only has 25 minutes to make up 73 runs or something. And if you realize it's just not, what they're saying is not possible, but it's clear that the joke is that they have to keep acting like England is going to win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder if this may have influenced one of the early Hitchhiker's Guide books. I think maybe the maybe the third one, I, I, second or third one. It has a scene very much like this, where the uh, mm. the people of Cricket they they've been basically on a galaxy spanning jihad <laughs> for a long time, but they finally were imprisoned in a force field, uh, but they've gotten out. And they show up at this uh, cricket ground in England and uh, uh, just cause chaos there. And uh, it's very, like, 
within seconds of getting into <laughs> this scene. It made me think of that. So I wonder if this may have been an inspiration. Well, did you know, not at this time later, but did you know that Douglas Adams was not only a writer for Doctor Who, he was a story editor? Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I, so. knew, I knew that that was where he did the radio play for, you know, the Hitchhiker's Guide. I think that was before they became novels. It was first a radio yeah, play. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huh. So, um, so he certainly would have been familiar with this. Um, yeah. So, uh, so then the radio announcers see a police box on the field, and they, you know, they don't think about how to get there or anything. They just speculate how this is going to be bad for England because now they're going to have because this radio police box is going to have to be removed. England is now going to have a few minutes less to make up their seventy-five runs in you know thirty <laughs> minutes or whatever. Uh, and I love this part too. And it's just so clear that they're, as you said, taking the piss out of things. It's like, well, we have Ross looking through the record books to see if this has ever happened before. You know, <laughs> and, uh, I guess, you know, before you had Google, you had to look through the record books. Yeah. <laughs> and while they're trying to figure this all out, the police box makes a funny noise and disappears. So this, this again, really has no impact on the story, but I just found it really funny and I thought it was well done. <laughs> it was um, cute and it, and yeah. it didn't eat up a whole lot of time. So nah, no. Nah. And, you know, it may have been, if those guys were like real announcers, it may have been funnier, but that's why, you know, I've complained about this before. I do not like putting real news people and real announcers in movies and things. Yeah. And, you know, we're watching it 30 years later and there might be a joke there and we don't even know because we don't know who these guys are, right? But yeah. But, you know, I'd yeah. say sports announcers, it wouldn't bother me as much as like, um, you know, more news type people mm -hmm. because, because with sports announcers, you know, they're, they're just having fun in their normal jobs. Anyway, you're not relying on sports announcers to right. give you, uh, you know, the unvarnished truth. You're just looking for color commentary. Right. So back in the TARDIS, they're. Not sure what they just were. They're even debating if they if that was a sport or what. They don't know what the hell was going on. But in any case, the doctor's plan to elude whoever was following them didn't work, and they're still being followed. And we now see the Daleks telling Mavic Chan that he's going to go with their task force to catch the doctor in the time machine. And now the TARDIS has landed on what we find out is a new planet that's in the process of cooling. So it's still mostly a volcanic mess. You know? mm -hmm. uh, it's very, I mean, that's why I, said, I was referencing earlier, it would have made sense when he said it's a very poisonous atmosphere to be referring to this, but they go outside with no problem, but there's no possible way that there would be a healthy atmosphere. No, I'm sure. This, you know, it's a, you know. <laughs> Except there is. <laughs> yeah. And whoever is following them lands also. And then... We see a door open on the side of a big rock, and I truly wasn't expecting this because I knew nothing about this story. Yeah. The monk, the monk from the Time Meddler, comes out. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that was um, really, I mean, a very pleasant surprise. And uh, like, like the rock baffled me at first, and then I remembered yeah. his his disguise mechanism for the tart for his TARDIS. Yeah, the chameleon circuit. Yeah. Right? yeah, it could look well. It it was disguised as some kind of sarcophagus, I think, in the yeah, previous yeah. one. But yeah, yeah, that was definitely a neat, pleasant surprise. Now, how and I love this actor, but it's funny because before I saw this, I had noticed on Wikipedia for this story they had the whole list of actors for the story, right? And they listed Peter Butterworth, the monk, and I'm like, okay, Wikipedia is 
screwed up. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so I didn't even, even having been presented the information, I rejected it because I just was sure that there was, but yeah, he, he's great. I'm glad to see him here. Um, and he uses some binoculars to spot the TARDIS and he laughs heartily. The crew is outside and looking around, and they move away from the TARDIS. And when they do that, the monk sneaks up to the doors, and he takes out some kind of laser-like device and uses it on the lock. And then he scurries away. Now, the doctor, he hasn't seen the monk yet, but he's put it together. I mean, he's not saying it, but we can tell he knows. Because he's he's been thinking. We've been seeing him thinking, like, who could be following us? Yeah. Um, I would think it would, you would just think the Daleks is, you know, because you know they have time machines. But... He now yells out saying, can we just meet and talk? And the monk appears above them on a cliff holding a big rock. And the doctor gets him to put it down. And it turns out the monk is peeved about having been stranded in 1066. You know, for anyone new to the podcast, go back and listen to our Time Meddler episodes. Um, it's a really fun story. It's 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 one of the the best of the early Doctor Who and um, he says, well, it took him a while, but he eventually deactivated what the doctor had done to his TARDIS that, that trapped him there. And uh, although it turns out apparently this means his TARDIS has an uncomfortable ride now um, because of what he had to deactivate. Yeah, he uh, removed the shock absorbers. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. And the doctor asks if the monk has any plans, which gives me flashbacks to one of the things I loved in the Time Meddler, right, when he had this to-do list on this giant poster. <laughs> um <laughs> And the monk says, I'll carry it out. (laughs) So the doctor doesn't realize he's already done what he intended to do. And the monk, you know, says in return for the 1066 bit, he has now marooned the doctor on Tigus. So that's the name of this planet. And he runs away. And the doctor hurries back to the TARDIS to find that the lock has been screwed up and they can't get in. And now, ah, this is just an inexcusable (laughs) plot, MacGuffin. (laughs) Thank you, Squadcast. You just popped up this thing saying, are you still here? Oh, stop I got this that too. Yeah. Like, shut <laughs> up. Um, I think maybe because I don't have the that foremost one. Anyway, anyway. Okay. Okay, so this is just inexcusable. <laughs> you know, they don't have any problem at all. They just do this huge plot MacGuffin thing where the doctor looks at the sun and he looks at his ring and then he holds the ring so the sun is reflected onto the lock and it's fixed and they go in. So literally having the TARDIS unenterable blocked them for like five seconds. And he gives an explanation later, but it just comes down to, well, I've got this magic ring and that sun is kind of magic. And together they did magic. And okay, let's go. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've come a long way from the uh, 21 pin. <laughs> So the TARDIS takes off, and the monk is watching, and he yells out, of course no one can hear him, that the doctor hasn't heard the last of him. But humorously, we then switch inside, and the Stephen says, we haven't heard the last of him. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. Yeah. And back at the uh, Dalek Command Center, the Dalek Task Force enters the time machine, and Mavit Chen then joins them. And they've got their own sort of space-time analyzer, and... So they look at where the TARDIS is, and they identify their destination as Planet Earth, London, 1966. And this being a week after the Christmas episode last week, it turns out that London is celebrating New Year's Eve. (laughs) 
And in the TARDIS, though, even the doctor has no idea what this celebration is, and they're trying to guess. Uh, and the doctor says he's only seen, uh, what was, uh, I looked, uh, I'm not even going to try. I, I'll just, I'm not even going to put this in here, but when he had this line that I had to look up and it made me a few more minutes late. Um, he says it was like the relief of Malthus or something. Well, so I looked this up and it turns out that, um, there was a siege of a, of a small town or village in 1899, um, that went on for a long, long time. Um, it was a British village and they couldn't crack them. And eventually, um, and there was a whole bunch of clever stuff that went on and I'm sure all British, you know, school kids knew this story and eventually a a much larger British force came along and, uh, saved the city. So when he, and it was called the relief of whatever that was, Malthus or whatever, um, so when he's talking about everybody out partying and everything, and that's actually true when they saw the horses and stuff coming, um, they, you know, they had this huge celebration, but it's kind of too much to try and explain. And I don't know it well enough. And anyway, oh, so sure. I'm just going to leave it out, but <laughs> I'd tell you about it. Um, yeah, I was wondering what that name was. I didn't, didn't look it up. Okay. Yeah. So back at Dalek Command, the Supreme Dalek says, Our time machine is now in pursuit. Nothing can match Dalek technology. The universe shall be ours. Conquest is assured. And we get a rousing round from all the other Daleks of conquest, conquest, conquest. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the end of the episode. (laughs) Very good. Well, my worth watching... uh meter here is uh, all over the map <laughs> there are as we as we already pointed out the episode seven you could you could skip it entirely and be no whit less uh, knowledgeable about what's going on in the actual plot but it did have some fun moments the reconstruction we watched i would say you'd almost be better off not watching it than yeah trying to put together the- yeah it will it will just mess you up i mean i literally i think maybe you did too but i literally lost an hour or something trying to figure out what was going on <laughs> yeah once once i knew i mean when i went through and watched it a second time with the script side by side it it only it took me a few minutes to realize oh wait these are giant blocks of dialogue that i didn't hear the first time around you know? Once once I once I caught on to that, and then once we got all the way through it, and there wasn't anything about a volcano planet in it, you know, it all it started to fall together for me. But uh, yeah, that was a that was a puzzler. Yep, yep. Well, um, but I, and I still have no idea what I'm going to think of this story as a whole. Um, you know, and I don't know how it's going to resolve, but I, I guess we will find out next week. <laughs> yeah, if we're lucky, we'll see more of the monk. Knock on wood. Yeah, seems like we will. So now, I mean, sometimes I've I've made these declarations. You'd say, oh, does this happen? Or, you know, does this come back? And I'd say, no, nope, never comes back again. And now I realize, <laughs> well, at least through the period where we have reconstructions, I can't really say that because I don't actually know. This has now been, now yeah. been proven. Yeah. <laughs> so. This is new for both of us for a change. Okay, well, join us next week to find out how this all turns out. One week later. 
I don't know, but before we go in, guy, I don't know, and and I didn't prep you for this, so it's totally unfair. But do you, do you have any feelings going into this last part of the story here? Anything you want to tell our listeners? <laughs> um, well, I think I think when we get to the end, I think we'll. You, you mentioned a little detail about what you thought about the conclusion. You know, when we were talking before we started here, and. Uh, I think I think we may have an interesting uh, little discussion about that. Okay. We'll see. <laughs> so you're saying you're wrong about something? Is that well, what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll we'll cross okay. that bridge when we come to it. Okay. Well, we're we're heading into the last part of this story, the last four episodes. The first of which is episode nine, Golden Death. So. It starts off with uh, the Daleks uh, saying conquest, conquest, like they did at the end of the last episode. And then we see the TARDIS uh, appearing at the Great Pyramid. It's a big one in Egypt. And uh, so, you know, it's looking promising. We could be in for another great historical epic along the lines of, uh, you know, the Mayans or, or was it mm. Aztecs? Yeah, Aztecs. Aztecs, yep. Was, yeah. yeah. The, the official, uh, you know, who's yeah. worth, or who's watching uh, favorite ep- story. Yeah, yeah, favorite villain anyway with Tlatoxel. He was, uh, he was good. Although I have to say, and I'll probably say this again throughout, in these last four episodes, Mavic Chen really hit his stride in them. I think yeah. uh, he, uh, he 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 became a pretty pretty entertaining entertaining guy. But well, yeah, and yeah. I don't know if it was in our recording or not. But I mentioned that I realized after we started watching the show, I realized that he is he also plays the villain in a future story that I love, and his character is great in that. So this this actor is kind of like the guy who played to the Toxel. This mm-hmm. actor is just really good, and he's really good at playing a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, really, and as we will see, he's really over the top. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, uh, he, he has some fun, some fun stuff here. <laughs> We've seen the TARDIS land at the base of the Great Pyramid, and then we go into the Dalek ship. The, uh, the expeditionary force is coming through time to get the Terranium back from the Doctor. Hmm. We call that a MacGuffin. (laughs) (laughs) The item they got to get that doesn't really do anything. (laughs) Also, it glows, which is great, because the original concept of the MacGuffin came from one of the um, film noir films, right? Where when uh, you open the briefcase, it glows, which they also did later Mm -hmm. in Uh, Pulp Fiction. Did that Pulp Fiction, which was a takeoff on an earlier film, a black, you know, earlier, much earlier film. But yeah, you've always got to have this thing that you're chasing that glows. <laughs> <laughs> Although, of course, we don't get to see the actual glow because of the reconstruction. Of- yeah, that's a little weird, right? But the glow seems to be very important. <laughs> yeah. So this uh, high-ranking Dalek, now this isn't the supreme Dalek. Uh, it says in the script notes, uh, which uh, I got from net, by the way, it says in the script notes that the task force leader is colored red, which even mm. in the reconstruction we can't see because it's in well, black, it's and, black white. and white. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means. But I guess he's is, the sub supreme leader or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you might you might think he's going to be uh, you know, the Star Trek red shirt 
type guy, but uh, I don't think he meets that fate. But we'll see. Uh, he tells Mavic Chen, the guardian of the solar system, that the recovery of the Terranian core is his responsibility. And Chen says something that will uh, he'll refer back to it a few episodes later. He says, guile and cunning will succeed where force would fail. <laughs> guile and cunning, yeah. <laughs> That's a, he's, his motto. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's, he's very proud of himself for being so uh, guilesome and cunning, uh, <laughs> as we will see again and again. Mm. He, he thinks he's real clever. <laughs> so uh, they're going to get there shortly in four Earth minutes. I always like these like Earth minutes and Earth hours. You know, we keep referring to these around. It's kind of funny. Yeah, it's just You'd a, think that maybe the, you know, when, since we're dealing with the universe level, they would have come up with some standard that wasn't based on Earth, but okay, whatever. Well, yeah. It's sort of like saying the solar system, right? The oh, solar yeah. system. like <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, you'd think they'd do like uh, in six and a half Dalek minutes or something. You know? <laughs> I mean, they think they're, the Daleks are kind of egotistical too, so uh, mm-hmm. they, you'd think they'd use their yeah, own. Yeah, I'm sure they uh, would not base their time units on Earth, that's for sure. I mean, I I get upset at whenever I have to use the metric system, and and uh, I'm not nearly as uh, and, and let's not even get into daylight savings time. <laughs> so, uh, I if the Daleks are against daylight savings time, I might become pro Dalek. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it would be a factor in their favor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. The Dalek noticed, notices that um, the TARDIS isn't trying to get away, which we know is because the lock is broken and the doctor mm. is trying to fix it. Uh, but Although it's, wonders, there's, you know, I don't know how I feel about this. Because on the one hand, it's realistic. So the whole thing was, right, from the last thing that the monk had messed up the lock. Then the doctor fixed it. But now we discover the lock is still kind of messed up. And that's... I mean, that's realistic, right? I mean, mm-hmm. but, you know, in the last story, the doctor with his ring and the sun and everything had magically fixed the lock. Yeah. And now it's all messed up again and he has to refix it. And I'm like, hey, I don't know. I mean, come on. You had the magic ring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this. remember, yeah. The, that other planet uh, has the magic sun, too. That's true. That's true. Maybe when you got away from the magic sun, then, then there was a problem. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> So Stephen asks the doctor how long uh, it's going to take to fix the lock. Uh, and the doctor says it's hard to say, but it might be a little harder than he thought. And Stephen and Sarah, uh, Kingdom, uh, they have been tracking this other time machine that's coming for them. The doctor says that it's about time you know that wretched monk landed. So he thinks that this is the, uh, this is the monk's arrival coming here. He asks Stephen, now this is really not a plot point at all, but I, I thought it was <laughs> because it's one of the better. It is a character. It is a doctor character thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he asks Stephen for the diatrab, which, which is not a tool I've ever heard of. And when we finally see it, it doesn't look like anything I've ever. But if you want me to go on a diatribe, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the doctor could do that himself. I'm sure. But, uh, so this thing, you know, there, there's a little comedy bit where the doctor's, you know, he keeps handing the doctor the wrong tool, and the doctor says, I said the diatrab. I said the diatrab. <laughs> so, and it turns out to be this thing that looks like a Mr. Microphone kind of. 
<laughs> oh god i may have to know now go back to some previous episode where i played that mr microphone ad you remember where it's like hey good looking we're gonna be back later <laughs> yeah, that's like my favorite ad of all time <laughs> yeah it is i think the simpsons did a uh, parody of it once too yeah. okay now maybe Long i'll have to find that ago. okay hey kids why sit in front of the tv when you can be on the radio we're gonna roll this truck in convoy across the USA. Convoy. That could be Bart. Throw away your bulky transmitters and broadcasting towers. The superstar celebrity microphone lets you hear your voice through any AM radio. Hey, good looking. We'll be back to pick you up later. <laughs> He's in for some loving. It's the perfect gift for birthdays, graduations, board meetings. You're fired. Mmm, Bart's birthday's coming up. But order now, supply is limited. <gasps> limited! Do you have any of those microphones left? Yeah, a couple. So, while the doctor's fiddling around with his diatribe, uh, Stephen is going to go uh, climb up some blocks and see what he can see. He's going he's gonna to look for the monk. Because uh, what the doctor had said earlier that the, the monk had landed. I think that might just be a flub or maybe just a poor wording. But, uh, uh, cause yeah, you know what? We've had a lot of stories here where actually Hartnell has been pretty good. We haven't seen many flubs. In this story, he actually has a pretty good number of them. Hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the Daleks are now materializing in Egypt, in ancient Egypt, no less, and uh, Stephen tells the doctor that he saw it land. He thinks it's the monk's ship that he saw land, but he saw mm. it land. Yeah, it's a lot of confusion about that, right? Because they were tracking a ship. They think the monk's following them. They don't know the Daleks are following them. Yeah. Yeah. Kingdom says that whatever was following us has stopped registering. So Stephen and Sarah are in agreement. Someone's here. And the doctor uh, isn't going to go investigate because he, he doesn't want to leave the TARDIS unlocked. He's been fiddling with this lock. He had to strip the whole mechanism down, he says. So he'll be a if little we recall while from, you know, early days, that's like, you know, 12 levels of, you know, acid and, you know, whatever else. <laughs> yeah, there's And then later in this episode, or later in this story, we see it's just like a regular key, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he pulls out this metal house key like you still <laughs> use in 2022. Stephen and uh, Sarah are going to go and take a look out for the monks, see what they can see. And uh, the doctor gets back to working on the lock, but he doesn't know that he's being watched by Emo Phillips. I guess you don't know who Emo Phillips no, is. No, I don't. So oh, he's I'm a, he's a comedian. He's been around since the 80s. He had some very, um, very amusing routines. I thought he was very funny. I went to my first Walmart today. I think everyone goes to Walmart eventually. If they die without Christ. Um, but he has this long page boy haircut, and that's uh, that's what this Egyptian worker has. So, uh, so Yeah, so unfortunately I can't just go take a clip of his haircut or anything. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. what I thought was funny about this is it was, he's like, oh, I'm busy with this. You guys just go out and I'll catch up with you, which was 
you know, a, a not bad version of let's all split up, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little more subtle than the usual. So this guy with the uh, with the long hair, he goes and tells his master, uh, who according to the script is named Hyksos. Uh, he yeah, tells and him, that name will come up a lot, yeah. <laughs> he tells him that there are strangers at the tomb. So Stephen and Sarah are watching this uh, this ship that's arrived. They think it's the monk's TARDIS, but they're not sure why it isn't blending in with its surroundings, because before it was yep. a sarcophagus and... You know, it's supposed to have a working camouflage doohickey, unlike the doctor's TARDIS. And I like this because this is a a kind of continuity, right, where Mm -hmm. they don't spell it out, but it ultimately just becomes clear that, oh, the doc, most Time Lords, their TARDISes change appearance based on when they show up. Mm -hmm. The doctor's is broken, so it doesn't. Yeah. But, and they never say this, but it's just part of the story, the Daleks don't have that technology. Hmm, yeah. So their TARDIS, their equivalent of the TARDIS, they call the time machine, does not change shape. It always looks the same. But I love the fact that they never explain this, and you just have to pick up that, oh, this is what's going on. Oh, sure, yeah. Of course, the Daleks probably wouldn't use a camouflage device because they'd want to show off the beautiful time machine. (laughs) Yeah. So, oh, and another thing. um, Now, you used the term Time Lords. Now, I've heard it here and there just uh, Mm. by chance, but I haven't seen any of the episodes where we know that the Doctor is a person called a Time Lord. Uh, it hasn't yeah, been so that's where I'm, I'm totally uh, spoiling. It's way in the future that that gets introduced and then becomes a huge part of the lore. But at this time, yeah, you're right. That phrase doesn't exist. Yeah, we, we um, do know these from an alien planet, uh, yeah. but that's about all. So uh, this new ship that's arrived, the Daleks, they're coming out of it with the Guardian of the Solar System, Mavic Chen. And uh, Stephen and Sarah realize this isn't the guy they were expecting. So they got to go <laughs> warn the doctor, and they get surprised by the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. Captured and dragged away. It, hmm? Everyone gets surprised by the Egyptians. <laughs> <laughs> no one expects the Egyptians. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Inquisition. But uh, as soon as Stephen and Sarah are safely uh, whisked away, which uh, is convenient for them because of what comes next, which is the uh, Daleks attack. <laughs> yeah, and they're they're not kind about this. <laughs> yeah, they they have a slight technological advantage over the ancient Egyptians, and they they slaughter a whole bunch of them just mm. very in very short order. Uh, Hyksos manages to get away. He's got to go uh, fetch reinforcements, he says. The Daleks talk about them or talk amongst themselves, ask if they had sustained any damage. Um, <laughs> another Dalek replies, no, it was only inhabitants of this time and planet. And another Dalek <laughs> says, unimportant. <laughs> Typical mm-hmm. Dalek attitude. Mm-hmm. So the doctor finishes 
whatever he's doing with the lock, and he goes to look for Sarah and Stephen. He ends up uh, wandering through the construction site around the pyramid. It's, it's The pyramid's still under construction, and there's like a mm-hmm. storeroom where there are treasures that are due to be put in the pyramid, and they're, they're just mm-hmm. waiting to be get to their final home. So he uh, he looks around, sees typical pyramid-type treasures. Hmm. All of a sudden, he sees, or he not sees, he hears the sound of someone trying to pull start a lawnmower. And uh, hmm. that is the monk's TARDIS arriving. And mm-hmm. uh, disguised this time as just a big old rectangular stone block, the kind they had in ancient Egyptian construction sites. The doctor giggles rather maniacally. He he does that um, a few times during this episode. He's, I mean, the you know, the doctor is known for having a good giggle now and then, but for mm. some reason, it's a little more maniacal than usual this time. I think. Anyway, the monk comes out. The sunlight's very bright, it being ancient Egypt and all. So he. Uh, Gets himself a pair of cool sunglasses, and uh, <laughs> it reminded me enough. They, you know, in the reconstruction, they show these still scenes of him in his monk's hood with the sunglasses on. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, it reminded me of George Carlin's character Rufus from uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> so, and I don't think you've seen that yet, have you? Uh, uh, no, I have actually seen all of them. Oh, okay. Uh, recently, when the the last one came out, I watched all of them. Oh, okay, very um, good. So, for some reason, it reminded me of Rufus, and then I went and just Googled some images just to see, and Rufus's sunglasses look nothing like the monk's sunglasses. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it was just his uh, air of coolness that he had. They definitely are flattering to the monk. The doctor, at this point, realizes that it must have been the Daleks who landed in the first ship. And meanwhile, Stephen and Sarah, they're tied up. And they're being watched by the Egyptians. And Hyksos calls them plunderers and murderers. Hyksos says he's going to head on to the next encampment uh, so he can recruit up an army for uh, battling the fire-throwing machines. And uh, another guy, Kefren, who is the architect overseeing the whole project, uh, he's going to take his slaves into the pyramid and the treasures... uh, will be put in there so they'll be easier to guard. So Stephen and Sarah start mouthing off to their captors, and the captors say that they will be held until they answer for their crimes, which we know they haven't actually done any crimes to (laughs) these guys. But Stephen tries to persuade them that they're not interested in all these treasures, and not even the old man is interested in all these treasures. So Tuthmos asks... Then why did he examine so carefully that large blue box? Stephen says, well, probably because the large blue box was his. <laughs> and then... <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and I like... This next thing I liked because it's, um, you know, it's just one of the things you don't expect or it kind of reveals something about a culture to you, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The next line is, uh, Tuthmos replies, now I know you lie. Everything the slaves hauled here across the desert belongs to Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. So that includes a uh, 1960s blue British police box because it, <laughs> it's here. And it's as a digression, one of the things I find interesting is that what rulers of the time would do is when they came into power, they would have their 
you know, followers go around and scratch out the eyes and face of all of the statues of the previous, you know, ruler. Ah, ah, didn't want any competition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So now we have all of these statues back from that time where their eyes or whatever are scratched out because it was sort of a, a political uh, thing. Yeah, so I find that kind yeah. of amusing. Oh, well, that's neat. Because most of the statues I've seen from the time are, are, you know, intact, but then they probably weren't the ones on public display. Yeah, and the other totally tangential thing I'll say is I got to go to an amazing museum display where they took statues like this and they actually represented them as they would have been at the time. Mm -hmm. So when we look at things now, it's always, you know, there's no paint, it's gray, Mm. You know, there's no eyes, right? But at the time, that's not what it was like at all. These were all painted statues. They were very brightly painted, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had eyes, you know. Oh, yeah. And so the way we look at them now in a museum is completely different than what the people at the time were seeing. And so this, you know, this thing was, uh, that I went to was a really interesting demonstration of how it would actually be to people at the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. I uh, I remember when Assassin's Creed uh, Odyssey came out, the one that takes place in ancient Greece. Um, I watched some video about how archaeologists can actually find traces of paint still intact on yeah. this. And, and from that, <laughs> tell how the statue was painted. Um, and having referenced Assassin's Creed, all of our listeners now need to take several drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think we haven't done a video game reference in a while, so all the more appropriate that they should do three or four drinks. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I might have been lax on that lately. (laughs) I'll I'll have to find more opportunities in the future. There's always something you can relate to video game. (laughs) So the monk is snaking around. He's got his cool sunglasses on. Uh, And one of the things I'll say about the monk, I'm sorry, and it's another digression, but it's kind of funny that he's the monk and he always dresses him. Because he was only the monk because in 1066, he needed to pretend to be a monk. That was his cover (laughs) story. Right. Now we're in a totally different period. He could just change clothes, but he still remains the monk. But I love it. I love him as the monk. I love Peter Butterworth, the the actor. Oh, yeah. And I love this character. So I don't have any problem with him keeping him a monk, but it makes no sense whatsoever. You know, he would just change clothes and be something else. (laughs) Yeah. But he may travel light, too, you know, just uh, go with the clothes on your back. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, he's he's, he's entertaining. It was definitely one of the high points, I think, of this whole story arc uh when when he first showed up and i was like oh that's neat <laughs> and i remember thinking that you hadn't ever watched the reconstruction so i was eager to see uh you know yeah eager for you to see it <laughs> anyway the monk hears a sound up ahead and he says good morning my son but then he realizes that the person he's greeted is a dalek <laughs> rather horrified by that but Mavic Chen fortunately is also at hand and he orders the Daleks not to fire now they don't they don't take orders from him but uh, but he yells mm-hmm. don't fire and they at this stage I think they still give him at least some credence you know yeah. hear him yeah. out and, and I'm sure he'll continue to have that role with them yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
But when he's even even though they do stop, you know, they they don't fire, but they they do say uh, Dalek exterminations will not be questioned. <laughs> so, so Chen explains. I loved. This line. I think that's one of the best Dalek lines ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a fun yeah. one. So Chen explains that, uh, you know, he's been tasked with recovering the terranium, and this could be, uh, you know, this guy could be helpful to them. Yeah. So he starts up a whole conversation with the monk, and, uh, of course, the monk is trying to weasel his way out of it. He's just anxious to be on his way, so if you excuse me. Uh, but Chen points out that these three time machines in this one place is very unlikely. <laughs> so the monk says the odd one out belongs to a certain doctor. <laughs> and he goes on to say, I have an old score to settle with him, but I'm sure yours is the prior claim. <laughs> yeah, and the Daleks, you know, I think pretty quickly pick up on who he's talking about, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They uh, they seem to realize it right away. They say the enemy ship. So Chen uh, seems at least somewhat uh, persuaded, and he asks the monk if, if he could gain the doctor's confidence. The monk is very, very quick to agree that he could. Oh, certainly, certainly, if you wanted me yeah, to. Yeah, which is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> the doctor yeah. does, doesn't yeah, trust him the, for, for it yeah. Take a whole lot to gain the doctor's confidence from this guy. But uh, but the monk knows the Daleks. Uh, yeah. He knows the deal with the Daleks. So, uh, you know, he's going to do whatever he can to uh, save his hide. So Chen says... The doctor has a full M of Terranium. I, I still have, for, I didn't remember to look that up and see if it's an actual unit of measure, but uh, looks like about a pint. That takes them like 50 years. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Chen says, you will recover this and return it to us within one Earth hour, which, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a tight timeline there, but the monk yeah, promises yeah. that he will. And uh, <laughs> this next part's funny because, uh, Chen says, I need hardly remind you that the Daleks will reward failure on your part with elimination. The monk says, <laughs> elimination, thank you. And then he realizes what, what Chen said, elimination. Oh, you'll get it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Elimination, thank you. <laughs> so the monk goes back inside uh, his ship, and the doctor's been watching him. He, the monk comes out and he's got this little doohickey. It's a, it's an energy detector that uh, he's going to find the doctor's TARDIS with it. The doctor comes out and checks the monk's ship and gets in. The monk carelessly left the doors unlocked, mm -hmm. which uh, is kind of convenient for this story. I mean, yeah. uh, if you're showing up <laughs> where, where the your arch enemy, arch nemesis. Has also shown up. You probably want to lock your doors, but uh, oh well. Yeah. So the doctor goes in, and uh, this is a fun little scene. Uh, it's the TARDIS, the monk's TARDIS, goes through a whole series of different uh, different changes, just you know, like a, a one after the other, just seconds apart. Yep. Uh, and finally, finally, it turns into uh, a blue British telephone or police box <laughs> so it's now disguised as the doctor's TARDIS <laughs> and the doctor comes out and he's got this gadget which I thought was probably the uh, 
the unit that controls the metamorphosis or the camouflage. It'll turn out later that that's not the case. It's something completely different. The doctor has just temporarily changed the appearance. So he, he could have been a real jerk and that both permanently changed the appearance. And but, but it would make sense for him to take the shape-changing unit because that's the thing that he needs for his own ship. But as again, we'll find out later, or we, we actually found out in 1066 that the monk's unit or the monk's ship is much more advanced. I think it's called a Mark yeah. IV. Uh, so the parts aren't compatible completely, and we'll find out more about it. Yeah, I'm just going to say, I mean, we've already had opportunities like where they could have just taken, you know, in earlier stories, the Daleks time machine or whatever. And, you know, so just for, just for story purposes, they keep with the one that can't do its changing, right? Because, I mean, if he had... So, like, in that episode where he sent Ian and Barbara back to England and then they blew up the Dalek time machine, well, he could have sent them, you know, well, I guess he couldn't have sent them in his own because he couldn't control the time. But, But, you know, he's had opportunities where he could have done things to fix the situation and he chose not to. And, it, you know, yeah, it's just that's just how this story works. That's this universe. He's always going to have a police box. (laughs) Yeah, the castaways aren't allowed to get off the island. Oh, I think I, I think I skipped an important detail, but it uh, it's it's not a big detail. I'll get you caught up on it now, which is that when Sarah and uh, Stephen were tied up, and the uh, the other Egyptians that were guarding them left one by one, Sarah mentioned to Stephen that she had found a shard of pottery and she could saw mm-hmm. through bonds. So uh, I've deprived all the listeners of all that suspense while they could be <laughs> wondering whether that plot would work. Um, but I will say one part of that, and we'll see it later, is that especially for a show at this time, she has a lot of agency and she does a lot of things to move things forward. I mean, she is not the helpless female. Oh, yeah. Um, well, she's the head of space security, so she'd better be yeah. on the ball. <laughs> but, yeah, for uh, for the time, although uh, around this time, of course, we were getting – Quite a few. I mean, like in the prisoner, there was no shortage of uh, tough, tough. Yeah, here's the weird thing. So one of the things that you know, I'm hoping we will cover in the future is the Avengers, right? Which mm-hmm. is also happening around all this time. And Diana Rigg was the big breakout star of that, uh, female breakout star of that, right? Mm-hmm. And they were paying her nothing. Hmm. I mean. Literally, the cameraman on the show was getting more money than she was, even though she oh, was wow. the big star. Hmm. And that's eventually why she quit. She's like, this is a lot of work, and I'm not getting paid anything. I'm going to quit. Yeah. So, yeah, we're we're in this situation where, especially in Britain, they did have a lot of strong female characters in these shows, but they weren't necessarily paying the actresses, and they weren't necessarily falling through on that end. But right. that's another story. <laughs> oh, yeah. But anyway, uh, we had foreshadowing earlier that she was going to cut these bonds, and now mm. she has succeeded. Stephen and Sarah together, they they make a pretty good fighting team. They, uh, they've got three now, of them. I was going to say, I think she should be a companion. Let's see how that works out. <laughs> yeah. You get intimations through these episodes that there may be, I mean, it's not, I don't think there's anything overt, but you get the feeling that, 
there might be sort of a budding romance in the works for mm. it. This is, of course, a, a good example of it because they handily dispatch these three guards and they uh, they flatter each other a little. Sarah says, not bad. Remind me to teach you a few tricks sometime. Stephen yeah. says, remind me not to pick a fight with you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they're a good uh, dynamic duo, so to speak. The monk, meanwhile, is uh, looking around. He uh, can't find the doctor's TARDIS anywhere, but his little uh, energy locator gadget thing uh, shows him where to find it. It's gone into the pyramid. You know, we heard the architect before saying he was taking his slaves to guard the treasures into the pyramid. And the TARDIS has gone in there with the rest of it. The monk gets into the pyramid. He sees the TARDIS and uh, tries to get in, but it's locked, of course. Then the doctor, uh, I guess, was justified in taking the time to fiddle with that lock. <laughs> He can actually, mm -hmm. he was able to leave the TARDIS and not worry about the monk goofing around with it. And the doctor <laughs> sneaks up behind him and says, you're wasting your time. You won't get in. And he has another fit of giggling. <laughs> and uh, there's a fun little conversation between the monk and doctor that follows. Now, I'm mm -hmm. going to skip over a lot of it, but it's, it's, fun. it's fun to listen to. The, uh, the doctor alludes to the fact that he has already found the monk's machine. He says, this for your machine, well, it's probably disguised as a, what, a sort of a block of stone? <laughs> <That's> exactly <laughs> what it was. So he's uh, you know, he's just giving the monk a hard time there. And the monk claims that he has come here to warn the doctor about the Daleks. <laughs> he's yeah, he does a lot of this back and forth. It's like one of the Indiana Jones, the, I think the third Indiana Jones movie where his colleague kept, you know, turning on him and then turning back to the other people and then turning on him. <laughs> That's basically what the monk is, right? Like, every time he has a chance to betray, you know, whoever he's working with, <laughs> he does so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, he and Mavic Chen actually uh, would make a pretty good pair. It'd be fun to see Yeah, them. although, I mean, they're very different, right? Like, Mavic Chen is a powerful character, and the monk is kind of a, you know, he's a creep or he, you know, he's oh, a yeah. slimy character. He's not like exercising his power dramatically the way Mavic Chen is. He's like, oh, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to pretend to do this and then I'll pretend to do this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Although, uh, although Mavic Chen is quite a creep too. <laughs> they do have a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yes, they both do that, but they have very different personalities. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> So the monk tries to persuade the doctor that he's been playing the Daleks all this time. You know, he's, mm. he's of course, I would never have actually meant this, you know, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the doctor isn't too uh, persuaded. And he says, you know, I think before I go, I should put you safely out of the way. <laughs> Which uh, I thought was interesting because, uh, you know, it's we, we've seen many times that the doctor tries not to directly kill people whenever he can avoid it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other thing I'll say here, and, you know, this was true in the Time Muddler, and we talked about it, and I think it's true here, is that William Hartnell just really likes Peter Butterworth, and there's a level of energy in their scenes that doesn't always occur elsewhere, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they just get along. It's clear they just get along really well. Oh, yeah. And like working together as actors, <laughs> yeah. So the monk suggests that uh, 
the why don't we just give them the terranium core and we can <laughs> all just get out of here? And the doctor says, if you believe that, my friend, you will believe anything that the, the, the Daleks will let them all go once mm. they have what they yeah. want. And then the monk says, the, the doctor approaches the monk rather menacingly. Uh, and the monk says, doctor, don't do anything you might regret. Doctor. <laughs> and that's, of course, we, we have a little mini cliffhanger within the episode there. The Daleks note that the time traveler, uh, the monk, has not contacted them and his time's up. So they decide that he they've been betrayed. They're going to attack him. All the humans yep. will be exterminated. <laughs> yeah, they go over about five seconds. <laughs> well, he didn't show up. We need to kill everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sarah and Stephen realize that the uh, TARDIS uh, being gone must have been taken it in. Must have been taken into the pyramid. So they head on in there. <clears throat> And uh, we get a little live-action scene of one of, well, it's fun. They're in this chamber with a sarcophagus and the TARDIS in it. Uh, they knock on the TARDIS. It's nobody, nobody's home. Uh, but then the sarcophagus opens. And uh, <laughs> it should be scary because there's a, mm. a bandaged hand that's like, it, it it actually isn't even clear that it's a hand. It just looks more I like know. it's big... just like a piece of paper wrapped around. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so it's supposed to be a zombie moment, right? You're seeing the it, you know it's supposed to be the mummy coming out of the tomb and all that, you know. But it's more just like a you know some uh, like like some old rags flopping around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's about the least scary cliffhanger in history. You know, oh my god, there's. There's some rags. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm reminded of one of Stephen King's books. I think it might have been It. They they had a line in it. Uh, I think it was, oh, shit, the mummy's after us. Let's all walk a little faster. <laughs> I think I may have actually mentioned that before in the show. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. You know, yeah, we've been doing this for over a year. We're going to retell all of our stories. People oh, yeah. just have to get used to it. That was uh, that was one of the endearing things about Gilbert Gottfried. Is, uh, he, yeah, he, he, but but when he when he told the story again, it was still as funny as the first time I'd heard. <laughs> I may not have that level of skill. <laughs> anyway, that's the end of episode nine. The golden yeah. death was it? Yeah, I'm not uh, sure. The gold. <laughs> Let me go back into the toughness. Uh The Golden Death, yes. The gold, and I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't either. Maybe it's just yeah. a reference to all the treasures they have. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're they're about to die because there's a hand. <laughs> Next up, escape switch. And so the hand with the paper taped to it becomes <laughs> a mummy. That is mumbling something. <laughs> it's the least scary mummy ever. Yeah. And Stephen unwraps the you know the tape around the mummy's face, and it turns out that it's the meddling monk. <laughs> not hugely surprising. <laughs> yeah. So not very scary. Yeah. And then we're to the Daleks and Mavic Chen, and the Daleks say the plan has failed. And Mavichen says, we don't know what difficulties he has faced. So, you know, they'd send out the monk to do stuff, and they don't know what's going on. Yeah. 
And Mavid Chen says, will the dollars never learn that all things do not work to a pattern, but flexibility can lead to conquest? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's consistently insolent for God dealing with the most uh, murderous creatures in the universe, you know. That, <laughs> he's, I don't know. Yeah, and I think it's a pretty great motivational thing. Uh, we, you know, we should have posters that say flexibility can also lead to conquest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I love the Dalek response. All forms of life will be treated as hostile. <laughs> so basically, we're just going to kill everybody. <laughs> uh, all forms of life that know what a Dalek is are hostile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the Daleks then insist that Mavic Chen come with them. And, you know, they're having this argument all the way along through the story. And he's like, look, you guys are screwing everything up. And I can't be responsible for the consequences of how you're handling this. Well, yeah, because they, they told him earlier he was responsible to get the Terranium back. Right, right. And this is pretty amazing to me. We've never seen this in Doctor Who before. He just slaps the eye stock of one of the Daleks and smacks it around. It's like, yeah. wow, okay, you know. Yeah, that was yeah, that's uh, a, pretty neat. <laughs> yeah, usually that's a fast way to getting, you know, um, you know, negative uh, deconstruction or whatever. <laughs> then we're back to Stephen and Sarah, and Stephen unwraps the monk, and then he puts together this whole story about how the doctor had, you know, tied him up as a mummy. <laughs> yeah. You know. And he said, it's unbelievable. There I was trying to warn the doctor about the Daleks. And then here I was in the sarcophagus. You know, the, the, it's a ludicrous story. <laughs> and Sarah doesn't buy it. And so she says, I'm sure he will apologize when he hears your story. <laughs> <laughs> and she's gotten a lot more sophisticated over time, right? Mm -hmm. Because she was the kind of naive person buying everything that Mavic Chen told her. And now she's, you know saying this sort of thing. Oh, yeah. I think the doctor probably did wrap the monk up as a mummy. I'm not sure to what end, but <laughs> I don't think the monk wrapped himself up, although there may have been an actual mummy in the sarcophagus and he just got tangled up in it. <laughs> well, now there's a funny bit because we have, and, and this is, and I'm more and more sensitive to this, this is really complicated to film, right? So Sarah and Stephen are debating what to do. And at the same time, the monk is talking and is saying he's having a terrible headache and he's sure that there's some drug in the TARDIS that would help him. And so these conversations are happening at the same time and they're paying no attention to the monk. And then Stephen informs him they couldn't let him into the TARDIS even if they wanted to because the doctor is the only one with the key but don't worry, we'll find him. <laughs> and the monk, basically to the audience, pretty much yeah, breaking not, the fourth not wall. Not really says, a full fourth wall break. But. Yeah, the third and a half wall. <laughs> <laughs> he says, that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> he doesn't want the doctor to be found. He wants to get into the doctor's TARDIS without the doctor being there. Right. <laughs> so then they're wandering around, and Stephen and Sarah are calling for the doctor, and while they're doing that, the monk slips away at the first opportunity. But it wasn't a good idea because he runs right into the Daleks. <laughs> and the Daleks group the three humans together so they can all be exterminated, you know, in an efficient manner. 
And the monk says that this was his plan all along. He was delivering Stephen and Sarah to them so they could hand over the Turanian core, right? So he, at every point, the monk is, whatever angle he can do, <laughs> you know, he does, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And he'll, he'll, he'll turn on a dime, too. If one tactic doesn't work, five seconds later, he's got a completely different angle. Mm-hmm. So now it turns out Mavic Chen is here with the Daleks, and he demands that the monk give them the Turanian core. And the monk says, no, I, I don't have the core, but I brought you these hostages. <laughs> <laughs> But Mavi Chen actually likes this, and he and he tells the Daleks, "Look, in exchange for these hostages' lives, the Doctor will hand over the core of the Time Destructor." And then he says, "Look, Stephen and Sarah are saying nothing. That proves that I'm right, which you know is basically accurate, right?" Yeah. <laughs> Although you yeah. you can understand why the Daleks would be skeptical because uh, you know there aren't probably many Daleks who would. Give their lives for, you know, somebody they care about. (laughs) Yep. And so now, again, we have another funny bit with the monk. And I just so love Peter Brotherworth, who plays this character. (laughs) So as Stephen and Sarah are taken away, he's talking to the dogs. He's like, well, now that little problem has been taken care of. I'll be on my way. (laughs) (laughs) But the Daleks aren't having it. Yeah. Yeah. That was a little predictable. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, we see the Egyptians, and they realize that their prisoners have escaped, but this guy named Hyksos is supposed to be back soon, so that'll fix everything. Uh, this will, you know, we kind of go back and forth to the Egyptians, so we'll see how that comes up. In the Daleks sort of command center, they're saying that the voice audio has been adapted and has a range of seven Earth miles, which what it comes down to is they're saying we have these really big speakers and everybody in seven miles is going to be able to hear us. I'm like, oh, my God, (laughs) the definition of hell on Earth, but okay. (laughs) So they want Mavic Chen to announce an ultimatum to the doctor. So they bring him in. Meanwhile, Sarah, Stephen, and the monk are arguing, and the monk's like, look, I was just making a desperate gamble. I'm on your side. I'm not with the Daleks. I risked my life to save you. (laughs) (laughs) It was just because of quick thinking on my part that you're still alive. Okay. (laughs) And he's disappointed that they didn't see through his lies to the Daleks, and he said, (laughs) it destroys my faith in human nature. (laughs) They didn't. Realize he was lying to the Daleks all along. And back in the control room, a Dalek instructs Mavic Chen to speak the ultimatum into the voice audio. <laughs> so Mavic Chen tells the doctor over the voice audio that his friends are prisoners of the Daleks and they want the Terranium that he stole. And he is to proceed to the Dalek time machine and receive his instructions. And of course, failure will mean the death of your friends. Mm. So Sarah and Stephen debate trying to warn the doctor not to try and save them, but he shows up anyway. And he says, I'm here. What do you want me to do? And Mavic Chen and the dogs confront the doctor, but he refuses to do anything without proof of life of the hostages. So they bring out Sarah and Stephen, and the doctor says he'll hand over the Terranium core on his own terms. By the way, we've already been through all this, like in a previous episode or whatever. <laughs> And the Daleks point out they could just exterminate him now, but he points out that then they wouldn't get back the Terranium core because he's holding it, which, you know, this is about his fifth time saying, hey, I'm holding the Terranium core. You can't shoot me. (laughs) (laughs) 
And it's still a valid argument. <laughs> yeah. Then he leaves and Mavic Chen says to the Daleks, I'm surprised you accepted his term so readily. And <laughs> Dalek says, a Dalek is capable of exterminating all. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor sets up the meeting at the what he calls the West Angle of the Great Pyramid. Mm. So I looked it up on Google Maps and the west side of the Great Pyramid is actually perfectly westernly oriented i mean it's like oriented the four sides are oriented to the the compass points mm. and, and and it 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 looked flawless so i looked it up mm. and uh, that is actually a topic of some interest among historians is how did the mm. egyptians align it so perfectly with the compass points mm. and uh it it one theory is that it was based on measurements that were taken at the equinox, you know, when the sun mm. would have had done something or other. <laughs> but I, just, I thought that was interesting when I looked it up on Google Maps and it was like, you know, perfectly north-south aligned. Just a fun thing. I well, put. this is the podcast where you'll get your Egyptian science. Yeah. <laughs> So now we see the doctor leaving the TARDIS with the trinium in his hand. And Stephen tells the monk, <laughs> says, if you pull any more funny business, I'll exterminate you myself. <laughs> the thing that makes this work is the monk is like, funny business? Me? <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's all you do. Yeah. Yeah, just butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. And now the Daleks herd the humans to the location where they're going to meet with the doctor. And the doctor shows up, I guess, in that west-hand corner. And he challenges Mavic Chen because he said, look, you were our agreement was you would show up with one Dalek, and there's more than one Dalek. And Mavic Chen's like, I can't control the Daleks, you know. And the doctor is hiding behind some some columns, you know, so he's got a little bit of cover if the— Daleks decide to just start exterminating. And he insists that the hostages be released before he hands over the core, and the Daleks actually release them. And then the doctor asks Mavic Chen to join them, and he says he's about to hand over the Terranium core, and then he does so, and he runs away. And at that moment, the Egyptians attack the Daleks. Now, I don't think he knew about this, but, you know. Yeah, I didn't get the, the impression he plan. saw it coming. Yeah. But it wasn't a good plan on the Egyptians' part because the yeah. Daleks basically hunt down and kill every Egyptian. Right? Yeah, their plan was yeah. basically, well, they managed to kill off a few of us really easily, but maybe if we bring more, <laughs> they'll have a harder time. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work out so well. Yeah. Uh, so, after the carnage, the doctor meets Sarah and Stephen outside the TARDIS, and he tells them, you know, the bad news is he had to hand over the actual Terranium core to Mavic Chen, so they now have the actual core. I wanted to mention and, something about that combat that I thought was mm -hmm. cute. There's one moment where the Egyptians do get a little bit of a success. They've got one Dalek that they're setting big <laughs> rocks around his base so that he can't move anywhere. <laughs> it was just a cute little scene amidst Yeah, it's good right. they got one. <laughs> <laughs> so 
you know, the doctor meets Sarah and Stephen outside the TARDIS and admits that he had to hand over the actual core to Mavic Chen. And Sarah points out, but that means there's nothing to stop the Daleks now. They have won. But the doctor says, well, I do have the directional unit of the monk's TARDIS. And Stephen says, oh, and now we can get back to Kimball. And it's now that the doctor tells them that he changed the monk's TARDIS into a police box. So the Daleks are going to be chasing the wrong time machine because it looks like a police box. Mm. And there is a funny moment here. Stephen says, by the way, what happened to the monk? He was with us. And the doctor says, I don't care if he's in Timbuktu. So, yeah. (laughs) Here's a funny way of saying it, too. It's a Timbuktu. (laughs) So now we see the monk is running. He's run away from everything. The Daleks are after him. But he finds this TARDIS. And then this is the point where he realizes that the doctor had changed his TARDIS into a phone box. (laughs) And the Daleks shoot at him as they do, but he gets inside and the TARDIS disappears. So the monk, as usual, finds a way to get away. (laughs) And (laughs) another great Dalek line, they have escaped. We shall pursue them through eternity. (laughs) And now we have this bizarre thing where Mavic Chen is telling the Daleks that this whole operation was a complete success because he got the trainium, which is true. He got the actual trainium from the doctor. And the Daleks are like, oh, that's great. Let's return to Kimball. And back in the TARDIS, the doctor speculates that having taken the monk's directional unit, it will take him quite a while to make the necessary repairs to his ship. So we'll see the results of that. And as for the doctor's TARDIS, he's not certain his repairs will work. It'll either work or there'll be an increased energy rate, which will destroy the center column. It's a slim chance. Right. And that's because of what we mentioned earlier, that the the monk's TARDIS is a newer model. It's not, not completely compatible. And then we see the monk leaving his TARDIS, and it turns out he's in a frozen landscape that he had not programmed into the system. And he realizes what the doctor's done, and he's not happy. <laughs> he says, he's still in my directional unit. Now I'll have to wander through time and space as lost as he is. I'll get you for this doctor. I'll get you one day. <laughs> and the spoiler is, no, he won't. I don't think he ever shows up after this, even though I wish he did because he's a great character. Back in the TARDIS, the doctor has made repairs, but he says they're taking a terrible risk. And he has Stephen pull the main switch, and then the screen goes to white, and it's the end of the episode. Yeah, yeah. It it, it looks like there's some kind of explosion going off. Uh, it's not yeah. entirely clear what's happening. Next up, the abandoned planet. <laughs> so in the in the Dalek city back on uh, Kemble, uh, the time machine returns. And Chen uh, finally gets a reprise of what it what he had mentioned a couple episodes ago. He says, with guile and cunning, <laughs> I've been able to repossess <laughs> the Terranium. Guile and cunning are, you know, unrepresented values. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, you don't hear a lot of people boast about them. <laughs> Probably because that wouldn't be very cunning. But, uh, oh, well. <laughs> 
I guess Chen uh, figures he's he's among people who are cut from the same cloth. So, mm-hmm. so uh, Chen says uh, he had it examined before they came back, which was the smart move because he's already been duped once by the fake terrain. Yeah. And uh, the Supreme Dalek says that the final conference of the remaining members of the Galactic Council awaits you. And Chen says, I shall go and address them presently. So he's not eager to go in there. He's going to take his own Yeah, and- he's deferring it. But also, when the Daleks say the final conference, not that that doesn't have any ominous meaning. <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, uh, that that sort of uh, jogged a little thought in my mind when I heard that. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting that here Chen is going to make the council wait uh, for his pleasure of addressing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because... There was, in one of the earlier episodes, he he had a conversation with a guy before the meeting, uh, and then Chen went on in, and the other guy stayed outside to, I don't know, smoke a cigarette or something. <laughs> and it didn't end well for him, showing disdain for the council like that. So Chen's doing the exact same thing now. After Chen leaves the room, the, the two Daleks, the Supreme Dalek and the... Uh, the red shirt Dalek, who did not get uh, killed in the expedition, uh, <laughs> they're talking about Mavic Chen, what what his future career is going to be like. And uh, the Supreme Dalek says his arogance and greed have a further use for us. <laughs> so, yeah, gonna... they really like his arrogance and greed. It comes up multiple times. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, they've yeah they said essentially the same thing in a much earlier episode. Yep. So back in the TARDIS, in the Doctor's TARDIS, uh, I don't think we see the Monk's TARDIS uh, after this because he's, it's out of, mm. it doesn't, it's yeah. uncontrollable. <laughs> so he's off zipping all over the place just like the Doctor and his crew. Anyway, the Doctor says there's no damage done to the control panel itself, but this, their stolen directional unit, the Mark IV directional unit, uh, Doctor says, that's useless, dear boy, useless. It's burned itself out. That was the what that white flash that we saw. And uh, the doctor theorizes that this was a safety measure, kind of like a fuse. You know, the, the extra energy from the Mark IV model uh, must have forced itself back into the directional unit, he says. And that means that they can't get back to Kemble. Our plans to return to Kemble have failed. Things are looking kind of bleak. But uh, the doctor suggests maybe they could still capture the monk's machine or the Dalek's machine. So he's going to check the scanner and see what they can see outside. And it turns out that what's outside appears to be a place very much like Kemble. The doctor Hmm. says it might be Kemble. So maybe he theorizes the directional unit didn't ruin itself until after they'd already traveled. And he asks Stephen to bring him the impulse compass, which uh, we'll see later. It looks like a sort of like a 1970s desk calculator with a big <laughs> compass dial at the top of it. So uh, the doctor says, now that he knows that they're on Kemble or, or thinks that they're on Kemble, certainly looks like Kemble, uh, he says, well, now, young lady, perhaps you'll have more faith in me in the future. I thought something <laughs> would work out. And she says, but it was you who said we'd failed. <laughs> the doctor replies, <laughs> oh, nonsense, nonsense. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Stephen uh, 
points out to her that she hasn't known the doctor very long. Yeah. He has some adjusting to do. <laughs> the doctor's going to go out and take some bearings, he says. And as soon as he's gone, Sarah complains about it. <laughs> he was as much in the dark as we were. Stephen says, very good. You're getting to know him quite well. <laughs> so, back at the conference room of the Galactic Council, the Spaceballs guy, he's the guy with the white outfit with all the black half spheres pasted all over it. Uh, pretty pretty entertaining costume. We, we talked about him a little before. Uh, but this guy is, is complaining that Mavic Chen has wasted too much time through his folly. Yeah, all through this story, he is really ragging on Mavic Chen, right? <laughs> I mean, he just has it out for him. <laughs> yeah, he's just jealous. <laughs> so he's complaining and uh, he talks to another one of the alien guys a little bit. And finally, this guy, who apparently his name is Salation or Salation. Uh, I'll just call him Spaceballs guy. Um, <laughs> he calls for a censure motion, and the delegates are all doing their pounding and hissing and all the yeah, a lot of pounding, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all the stuff they do in lieu of actual clapping. But Mavic Chen returns with the big, big Dalek, the Supreme Dalek, and the the Supreme Dalek yells for silence. And he says, Mavic Chen, representative from the solar system, will address the meeting. So Chen starts uh, giving a spiel, uh, and it's very, very arrogant, as uh, you might expect from Mavic Chen. <laughs> and he uh, he borrows a line from George Orwell. So he may actually, being the guardian of the solar system, he might actually have, <laughs> have, have read Animal Farm. Uh, so. <laughs> He says, though we are all equal partners with the Daleks on this great conquest, some of us are more equal than others. <laughs> and, of mm, course, that yeah, doesn't please yeah. the council very much. And he goes on to say, my contribution of the M of Terranium is greater than all of yours put together. You have been dwarfed, <laughs> dwarfed. <laughs> and uh, Spaceballs guy uh it says that this is a violation of the agreement that organized mm -hmm. the council, which, of course, it is. Another alien calls for Chen's arrest, uh, and Chen says, You have no power to arrest anybody. You are nothing, do you hear me? Nothing. <laughs> so Chen's really... Uh, Really feeling good about himself after him. Yeah, he goes pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody else is against Chen. They, they're... Yeah, he's managed to really provoke them even more than they already were. Um, one of them uh, tries to attack him, and Chen shoots him uh, with some kind of little laser gun thing. And that shuts everybody else up real fast. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chen goes on to say that before this meeting, he spoke with the Supreme Dalek, and he says, this council, is not, this council now is under my power. I will give the orders. You will obey them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he's he's hit a high point of his career, it seems. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Stephen and uh, Kingdom are going through the jungle of Kemble, and he's got his little impulse compass or whatever the heck it is, the little desk calculator thing. And he says, be careful of the Vargas. And... Sarah says she hasn't seen any Varga plants. And then Stephen says he hasn't either. 
as far as I recall, I think that's the last mention of the Varga planes mm-hmm. we ever get in this series. So, yeah, they're, which um, was a big deal back in Mission to the Unknown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was like the whole most awful threat of Kemble was these mm. plants. I mean, I mean, they were pretty nasty because if you get jabbed mm. by one, you turn into one. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's they, they're just kind of uh, they served their purpose. Maybe the. Daleks figured, you know, they've done their job, exterminate them. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't be out of character for them. Anyway, they're wandering through the jungle. Back in the meeting, uh, the Galactic Council uh, is still arguing with the guy they're supposed to be obeying now. (laughs) He says, I, Mavic Chen, was solely responsible for the recovery of the core of the Time Destructor. Because of this, I naturally (laughs) precede anyone here. And they have a big, long argument about this, right? <laughs> like, who's, oh, yeah. who's in charge, who's allowed to be in charge, et cetera. And he's just like, oh, I did all this stuff, so screw you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, Spaceballs guy notices that uh, the screen Dalek <laughs> is missing. He was here earlier. Now he's gone. And uh, <laughs> so Chen goes to uh, check the door at the top of the exit ramp. And... It's locked. Chen says, it is clear that he knows that I can run this council without. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty good spin, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he explains, uh, much as Darth Vader once explained that the deal has been altered, uh, <laughs> he says, all of you will be allowed to oversee your own galaxies, but all of you will be responsible to the Dalek Supreme and me. <laughs> <laughs> And now some Daleks have snuck back in, and they say there will be no more discussion. Our representatives will come with us. So uh, knowing the Daleks, this could be the herding into the cattle car, so to speak. Uh, Mm. Oh, that might be too grim a reference for (laughs) a podcast. Anyway, it's not probably something good. Back in the jungle, Kingdom and Stephen are still looking for the doctor, they're talking about what he, where he might have gone. He can't have just vanished into thin air. Kingdom says, if I know anything about him, he's already reached the city. If we go there, we can stop the Daleks and find the doctor. Mm-hmm. Oh, they keep on heading through the jungle. Stephen has found a signal on bearing 242 on his impulse compass. And that's supposed to be where the Dalek city is. Sarah asks him if he would mind telling her how this compass works. And he says, this is no time for a lesson, but she says, what if something happens to you? And Stephen just dismisses her out of hand. He says, oh, you're so cheerful, aren't you? <laughs> so he's he's either just uh, wanting to keep the compass to himself, but that, would be, that wouldn't be like our Stephen. Mm. But he's probably just too intent on making progress to teach her. That's the, that's the uh, optimistic view of it. Mm. But anyway, it's kind of a uh, kind of dismissive of him. You know, he doesn't seem to be taking her entirely seriously, which considering that she's the head of space security for the solar system hmm. and he's seen her fight too. I mean, he complimented mm-hmm. her. On it. So I don't know. Mm. Now he's, now he's treating her like she's, <laughs> oh, that ditzy broad. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Little about facer. 
So uh, the Supreme Dalek, now back in the control center, he reveals what's going to happen to the representatives. He says, they will be destroyed as, at the same time as the headquarters at the start of the conquest of the planet Earth. I don't know what the point is of keeping them alive that long, but when they start the actual conquest, then they're going to blow up this building, apparently. Mm. So I think I think that's just another one of those little, you know, things that happened for the sake of the story. <laughs> mm. The Dalek ships and the representative ships are all in the big ship parking lot, and uh, <laughs> Kingdom and Stephen are looking over it, kind of like a. Uh, Looking over Moss Eisley Spaceport, you know, a hive <laughs> of scum and villainy. So they're looking at all these ships that are assembled. Stephen isn't optimistic about taking action. He says, what chance do you think we've got against the greatest war force ever assembled? <laughs> and Spurs says, oh, for heaven's sake, we'll go carefully. <laughs> Look, Stephen, just because the doctor isn't here, don't think you're the only one who can outwit the Daleks. So, uh... She's pretty optimistic because they had quite a few Daleks there. It mm-hmm. seemed like they had a vast number of Daleks, in fact. We already saw how the ancient Egyptians fared, and they were probably no slouches against uh, similarly mm-hmm. armed humans. So they sneak into the city because that's uh, what has to happen to keep the story going forward. And hmm. All the Daleks are gone. Sarah says it's like a city of the dead. Mm-hmm. And they can't believe it. Uh, there's there's all through this, they keep talking about, uh, it must be a trick. It must be a trap. It, you know, something something's not right. You know, it's, But it, we'll see. It actually is. This, this area, anyway, is completely abandoned. So they start saying maybe the doctor was here and they caught him. Uh, and he said he was alone. And they'd believe him because we, we weren't around. Uh, they... Yeah, they have all kinds of little speculation they do, but they end up finding, they find a loudspeaker system, and Kingdom makes a uh, makes a transmission on it. But this is, well, first I should say, they've found the Daleks' time machine in this room, and uh, they realize that neither of them knows how to operate it. But they have a plan that's... Um, Pretty lame, I think. (laughs) They say, Stephen says, if we could lock ourselves inside their time machine until they let the doctor come to us, he could work it. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. are they going to let the doctor come to them now that they have the Terranium? Eh. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm skeptical. Kingdom gets on the loudspeaker system and says, this is Sarah Kingdom of Space Security. Send the doctor to the control room. (laughs) <laughs> All right, why not? We'll send them right up. So they get a response from Mavic Chen. Uh, they hear him say, hello, Kingdom, where are you? And uh, back in the cell, Chen and Spaceballs guy are arguing about uh, these newcomers. Chen knows that these are the same people who stole the Terranium originally, and he wants to talk to them. Spaceballs guy says, you've betrayed us. This could be another trick. So back in the control room, the Spaceballs guy's voice comes through, and he says, through the treachery of Chen, we've been imprisoned. Hmm. And uh, he explains that they're the Galactic Council, and he asks he asks Kingdom to release them. 
So Stephen and Sarah argue about whether or not they should try and find him. It could be part of a trick. So they go looking, and uh, back in the cell, they threaten Chen with destruction if these people turn out to be coming to destroy them. But Chen, uh, he thinks he there's a ray of hope here. He says it's clear that they have lost their leader, the one they call the doctor. The girl mm. has brought the young man here to look for him, but really she has come back out of loyalty to me to ensure my mm. safety as the guardian of the solar system. <laughs> and I'll give, there's the tiniest sliver of likelihood that that could happen because, mm. uh, you know, she was kind of, a sworn guard. I imagine she took some kind of oath of service and all that. So that's, you know, that's not something you dismiss lightly. And especially if now the guy who had betrayed the solar system is now a prisoner here, you know, she, she could think, yeah, all right, well, uh, I'll, I'll take him back to earth and get him locked up, which is at least be better than being locked up by the Daleks. But still, I think he's just mostly delusional. <laughs> She's not here to ensure his safety. So to the other aliens in the room, though, to the Galactic Council, Chen says the efficiency of our security system is one of the main reasons for our natural supremacy. <laughs> and he says, once we are out of here, we can destroy the Daleks. Between us, we can muster a greater force than they. We can form our own Galactic Council. Mm. Yeah, like they're all really going to want to work with Jen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this guy, he's something else. So Sarah and Stephen finally show up, and Jen says, Kingdom, you've done well. Now let us out of here. And Stephen says, no. <laughs> what do you mean, no? Sarah says that uh, if they let the other representatives out, there's a chance that some of them could mobilize a force to defeat the Daleks. And uh, through a brief conversation, uh, Sarah is persuaded that this is the only choice. All the galaxies are in danger, says one of the aliens. Stephen grudgingly says, yeah, we could we could allow it. He, he didn't say that. He, he feels that. And uh, it's probably too late, is what he seems to be thinking. And... Uh, he says, the universe, to Chen, he says, the universe can be taken by surprise because of your greed. And Chen replies, must you moralize at us? <laughs> <laughs> so one of the aliens pledges that they're going to go to their respective galaxies and defend them and search for the Dalek invasion force. So Sarah and Stephen let all these jerks out. And Chen says, you're a sensible woman, Kingdom. I will see you are justly rewarded. Hmm. Back outside, all these uh, council members are going back to their spaceships. Sarah and Stephen are watching. Chen's ship is one of the last ones to take off. When he does, Sarah sees that something's gone wrong. And this, this spar ship, which is supposed to be the top of the line of ships made in the solar system, but which looks like a big silly crown, uh, it blows up. And apparently that's the end of Mavic Chen. Mm -hmm. uh, what an ignominious end for a uh, <laughs> yeah, great statesman. So they decide, well, they're going to go off and keep trying to find the doctor. And they hear a noise that turns out to be 
a Dalek going by. They follow him, and they see there's a tunnel going into a mountain. And uh, I don't know, for some reason, I'm having a flashback. Wasn't there a scene kind of like this in The Prisoner where, where uh, number six was following some doctor, and she went into like a tunnel in a mountain, hmm. and there was a laboratory in there? Uh, yeah, there were a couple of the uh, go into a tunnel and find a lab things. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's kind of an you know archetypal scene. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they found this tunnel that goes into the mountain, and uh, Stephen says, "With the representatives gone and the doctor disappeared, we're going to have to put them out of action ourselves." And as the roles are kind of reversed, before it was Sarah who was gung ho about this, but now she's, mm. "Can we?" <laughs> so <laughs> Stephen says, "We've got to. Earth will still be invaded." And suddenly, mm. a new challenger appears. It's Mavic mm. Chen. He says, certainly, <laughs> meaning certainly the Earth will still be invaded. And he says, thanks to you. Sarah says, Chen, but you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet my innocent one, though I'm delighted my pyrotechnical display impressed you. So, apparently, mm -hmm. he blew up his ship just for the hell of it. Or maybe, maybe to lure them out. I don't know. I, I'm... He is. He can be kind of wily when he puts his mind to it. <laughs> Still, blowing up a fancy ship like that, though, is a long way to go. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he invites Kingdom to lead the way down the tunnel into the mountain. And he says, I'm certain the Daleks will be delighted to see you. And, of course, he's holding, the, mm -hmm. holding a gun on him, so they don't have much mm -hmm. choice in the matter. And that's the end of this episode. That's your cliffhanger. He's got a gun. <laughs> Next up, Destruction of Time, the 12th episode. Okay, so episode 12 of our most epic story so far, Destruction of Time. So Stephen and Sarah are being brought into the Dalek compound by Mavic Chan. And Stephen says, don't you understand? By bringing us down here, you're doing exactly what the Daleks want. <laughs> Chen says, of course, of course, because <laughs> he wants to do what the Daleks want. And Sarah says, he's mad. And Are Chen you, says, yeah, I, you know, practical mad. I mean, you know, <laughs> potato, <laughs> potato. <laughs> And Chen says, I could forego the pleasure of giving you over to the Daleks if I could kill you myself. <laughs> okay, then. And, but he wants to know where the doctor is. That's the, the big question. And he knows that the doctor is trying to usurp his position with the Daleks. So that's what really pisses him off. Yeah, the doctor's always trying to get in tight with those guys. <laughs> yep. And Stephen points out that's absurd. The doctor has always fought the Daleks. So this is kind of a whole misinformation situation. <laughs> and Stephen tells him the Daleks never make allies. <laughs> and Chen says, the Daleks need me, and now I'll be able to show them that the doctor will betray them. So, okay. Again, we're all talking past each other. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's doing that active listening thing. <laughs> And the supreme leader of the Daleks is now told that a division of 5,000 Daleks is awaiting orders, which is kind of like Putin these days. Like, oh, we have all these tanks. We have 5,000 Daleks, you know, whatever. <laughs> okay. 
Anyway, so the supreme leader wants the prisoners brought here to central control. So the Daleks show up to take the prisoners to the supreme leader, and Navit Chen is upset because he says, look, these are my prisoners. <laughs> you can't. You can't say they're your prisoners, they're my prisoners, and I will take them to the leader, even though he's really one of the prisoners. <laughs> yeah, and they have this whole conversation like, well, communicate with the Supreme Dalek and you know, and you know, the one the Dalek doesn't want to do it. Then Chen tells him, Well, you check with the big guy, you know. <laughs> and finally it ends up yeah. that he gets to be the escort. So after Mavic Chen's rather grandiose, you know, I will take my prisoners to the leader alone. <laughs> when they arrive, Chen tells the leader once again, I, Mavi Chen, guardian of the solar system, have helped the Daleks with their conquest plans. And I'm just going to say, my experience in my career, when you talk like this, you are kind of being insecure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a little tryhard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, <laughs> I love this. This is, you know, one of the many, many lines, the last couple of stories the Daleks that I love. The Supreme Dalek says, our alliance has ended. <laughs> Mavic Chen is like, what? I will decide when our alliance is at an end. You, the Dalek Supreme, tell them that you're taking orders from me. So he just, he won't accept the situation. And then there's a bunch of yeah, silence. Yeah, you know? and this this is probably if if there can be said to be a single point where he just snaps, uh, it's probably this. You know, he just starts giving orders to the supreme Dalek. Yeah, I mean, he literally thinks he's in charge. Yeah, at this point, yeah. So he tells the supreme Dalek, "Give me the invasion reports." <laughs> it's like as if he's some minor functionary. <laughs> And the Daleks don't move. And <laughs> Chen says, failure to obey the orders of your ruler brings only one reward. And he pulls out a gun and he shoots the Dalek Supreme. <laughs> but, of course, it doesn't work. And, you know, you can't just use a normal gun on the Dalek Supreme. And his gun clatters to the floor and the Dalek Supreme says, take him away and exterminate him. But do not fire in here. You will damage us. So. <laughs> They're afraid, especially, I think, that he's going to damage the uh, the time destructor, which is just mm -hmm. sitting on a podium somewhere in the room. <laughs> and being unable to give it up, Mavic Chen says, I, Mavic Chen, first ruler of the universe, am immortal. And then he runs out <laughs> and the dollar go after him. And I guess we'll see if he's actually immortal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he appointed himself first ruler of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the doctor gives Stephen the key to the TARDIS. And again, <laughs> it's kind of funny if you've been following this show from the beginning, because in the very yeah. beginning, we heard that, like, oh, there's like 16 levels and acid and all this. And, <laughs> yeah. and now it's just like, oh, here's this key to a door. <laughs> yeah. And it's the most normal little metal key. Like, if you saw it yeah. on a key ring, you wouldn't think anything of it. <laughs> exactly. And the doctor says to Ian, when I tell you, take Sarah back to the TARDIS. And then he tells him to follow bearing 627 in the TARDIS. And then he says he's going to activate the time disponder, which is a Billy fluff, but it's a pretty good one. I like time disponder. Yeah. 
I wish we could use that going forward. <laughs> oh, we can. <laughs> <laughs> and now the Dallas confront Chen with all his failures, and surprise, they kill him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he turned out not to be immortal. I, I have to admit, I was a little yeah. surprised. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, yeah, big surprise. The the big villain uh, doesn't make it to the end. <laughs> but now the doctor activates the actual time destructor, which is this device that is a size that he can hold in his two hands. Yeah, and it's glowing. It's uh, I don't know. I'd say it's what maybe a foot across, more or less. Yeah. I think if you measure it from spike tip to spike tip, because it's got, it's like a ball with a bunch of rods sticking out of it. Yeah. Yeah, and the dollars come in now, and the doctor says, "I'm afraid you're too late. The time destructor is activated since it's glowing and everything." And. <laughs> For about the fifth time, he says, if you fire, you'll totally destroy this, you know, and <laughs> I think it's checkmate. And I'm like, okay, you've said this many more times, but okay. <laughs> One of the Daleks moves in front of the time destructor, and the doctor has Steven use a stick to suppress the Dalek's gun, you know, to push it down. And they use the Dalek as a shield so they can leave the room as the doctor carries the time destructor in his hands. And now the doctor tells Stephen and Sarah to head to the TARDIS. After a bit, Sarah pulls free from Stephen. She's worried about leaving the doctor. She won't run just to save her own life. But Stephen says, look, the doctor knows what he's doing. But she doesn't agree with him. She wants to go back and help the doctor. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the doctor shoves a Dalek who's following him into a room. And then he throws his cloak into the door mechanism to jam it shut. So he puts this Dalek into the room, put his cloak there so it couldn't get out. And he goes along and he encounters Sarah in the hallway and he's upset that she's there. And he reminds her that the time destructor that he's carrying is working. So it's having an impact on everyone around them. And throughout this whole series, we've never had an explanation of what this thing is supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So now we're about to find out. Yeah, now it gets pretty dramatic. And so as they're running along, the doctor asks Sarah if she's beginning to feel strange. And she tells him she's hearing wind, which she's never heard on Kimball before. We don't know what this means. But back in the jungle, Stephen reaches the TARDIS and he gets inside of the TARDIS. Meanwhile, the doctor is going through the jungle, but realizes that Sarah has fallen behind. And this is really disturbing. And we'll see what you think, because you've already indicated you have a different mm -hmm. opinion for me. But to me, so now we have Sarah stumbling, and she's aging mm -hmm. as the doctor watches her because of this time destructor. Yeah, yeah, they've got her made up. You know, in the reconstruction, they've got still pictures of her made up. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, she's not aging gracefully. It's, uh, yeah. And as they go along, she gets worse. Stephen is in the TARDIS. He turns on the console. He sees what's going on. He bangs the console in frustration. Meanwhile, the Daleks are after the Doctor and Sarah. And around them, thanks to the time destructor, plants are dying and turning to dust. 
And this is one of the things where I feel like we heard this from Toby, right? When he saw many of these stories, he read the books mm-hmm. ahead of time. So if you describe this to me, it is really traumatic, but it might not live up to it in the visual representation. Mm-hmm. Well, I have, I mean, the, I, I thought it was, you know, it, it was, it was well done as special effects wise. Um, you know, at least from what I can tell from the reconstruction, <laughs> but I have, I, I think it, it fell flat for me in some ways, uh, for a different reason, but we'll, we'll get into mm. that after the, you know, in the worthwhile mm. phase, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. They now see the TARDIS, but the doctor falls to his knees because he's kind of exhausted. Sarah helps him up. He falls again and drops the time destructor. Sarah falls down. She tries to get to the time destructor, but she falls and lies still. And now Stephen in the TARDIS sees what's happening on the scanners, and he leaves the TARDIS, and he makes it to them. But... He watches in horror as Sarah's skin and hair fade away, and she disperses dust on the wind. So Sarah, kingdom is dead. This brought back a, well, I was going to say pleasant memory. the the memory of The memory of watching it was pleasant and talking about it was pleasant, but Mm. the actual scene was a combination of beautiful and disturbing i'm thinking of that scene in altered states where they're like statues and the wind erodes them away down to dust Mm -hmm. right right it reminded me of that even though we just got still pictures and actually i think they might have had a little bit of live action i can't remember but but uh anyway it it reminded me of that scene that's basically what happens to sarah and of course it's also like a hundred different vampire movies where the vampire (laughs) crumbles into dust that sort of yeah. thing. So it is, it, is, it is a disturbing scene, especially with somebody like Sarah that you don't want to see that happen to. Yeah. Meanwhile, Stephen is feeling the effects of the time destructor working on him. So he attempts to smash it, and then he flips a switch on the side of it, but nothing happens. Nothing obvious happens. <laughs> yeah. Stephen is in the desert, and he finds his way to the doctor, helps him to his feet. They stumble toward the TARDIS. And as they get away from the time destructor, they feel better, and they get inside the TARDIS. And the doctor tells Stephen that Sarah came to see if he was all right. So he's very impacted by that emotionally Mm. but she's outside she died you know meanwhile the daleks approach the tardis but slowly due to the time destructor one of the daleks fires at the destructor but it isn't affected time is racing backwards there are hurricane forces the daleks start to decay Their metal cases start to split away and reveal the clawed mutants inside. And they're reduced to an embryonic state, and then they turn to dust. And I was trying to remember whether or not we had ever seen the actual Daleks inside the tin suits before. 
Um, I was trying to think mm-hmm. if during our initial, you know, the initial episodes where we first met the Daleks, I don't think mm-hmm. we ever got a glimpse of them, did we? Not, not the- well, we did mm-hmm. in the first Daleks episode, which was the second or third story. We saw the hand. Okay, yeah, we saw a yeah. little bit of something. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But here we get a full body shot, or at least a yeah, little baby doll. and then we kind of go back to the hand thing because the doctor sees something in the sand, and he scoops it up, and it's a tiny dead Dalek embryo. Yep. And it's, He's like, oh, this is what came of this. It's very octopoid. <laughs> yeah. And then he very appropriately reminisces about everyone who died in this story, which has been a pretty, you know. He runs through the names. If I remember right, I think there was, was it Brent or Brett, the first guy? Yeah, Brett. And then. Not uh, Callista, it was Katerina, something like that. And then, uh, of course, uh, Kingdom, uh, Sarah. Yeah. And now we're at the end of the story. But, you know, yeah, a lot of people died in this story. Mm-hmm. Okay, so getting to our worth watching, I mean, I said earlier I thought the ending was pretty devastating. You said you might have a disagreement with me. Well, so what I mean, what's your feeling here? <laughs> I think probably and this this is somewhat uncommon for me. Usually I'm willing to suspend disbelief, but after waiting 12 episodes to find out what the time <laughs> destructor was, and I mean, the you know, as a device, it's neat. You know, it advances time or reverses time. That's mm-hmm. cool. But you had the rarest element in the universe that took 50 years to mine this little jar of it. And you're going to use it on this showy, fancy, one-shot, limited-range weapon <laughs> when for a millionth of the price or a thousandth whatever whatever the price would be you could make enough atomic bombs to completely obliterate whatever <laughs> it is that you're trying to destroy it just it it seemed just so arbitrary to me we're finding out that this was the dalek's master plan i I was just so crushed by it that I really, you know, everything just, I saw. And, of course, since it was only in the last five, ten minutes of the episode that we see this, I'm processing all this in my mind, all this impracticality of it, rather than being emotionally affected by what's going Mm -hmm. on. And then there's (laughs) there's a little, like, like if you apparently Sarah died and decayed into dust, so reversing the time destructor can't <laughs> reverse that, but apparently it could restore the doctor to health and it could restore Stephen to health. <laughs> and Stephen hadn't been exposed to most of the time destructor, so why mm. when they reverse it, doesn't he turn into a little Stephen embryo and die? <laughs> so, I don't know, there's just there's so many holes <laughs> that just appear all at once uh, that it, it mm. diminished the impact of the emotional stuff going on uh, for me. 
And I'm not usually that way. You know, usually you can give me any old crap. And... Yeah, we're kind of reversing positions here. Yeah. Because I'm just like, oh, look, she died. That was emotional. Yeah. And I was and... sorry to see her go. She was a neat character. Yeah. And actually, I, I really wish she had continued on. And one of the, you know, debates in the Doctor Who community is who's considered a companion. So, in my opinion, Katarina, who was in the previous story, and then in this story, she's absolutely a companion because she was in multiple stories. Okay, yeah, makes sense. There are people who say that Sarah Kingdom is a companion. And even though I love Sarah Kingdom, and I wish she had continued on as a companion, I'm going to say no. She was in one story. Yeah. You cannot be a companion if you're in one story. That is my rule. <laughs> that sounds reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's, <laughs> it's I mean it's not like you get a gold medal for being a companion, so it's ultimately not that important. <laughs> but, uh, but sure, it seems like a reasonable uh reasonable rule at first hearing. I'll go with it. <laughs> yeah. But overall, I love the ending of all this. I love people disintegrating, et cetera. <laughs> and if we're ever able to get to the point where we can do reconstructions of these, I would be so proud if we can represent people, you know, disintegrating and get someone <laughs> to be sad about that. <laughs> oh, oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a, that would be a fun uh, fun little artistic challenge to tackle. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a little clue to things that we're working. On. <laughs> okay, so, but let's just you know make it clear. Do you feel this story is a worth watching Doctor Who? Story? Oh dang, that's a hard one because <laughs> you know it was great to see the monk again. It was great to see uh, you know the the guardian of the solar system. Um, <laughs> he, he, he took a little while to grow on me, but but by mm -hmm. the last say half of the series when he was just growing completely barking mad you know i i really uh <laughs> him into his own there yeah and uh boy and 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 plus the fact that we don't have the even animated reconstructions i mean well some of the you know some of those reconstructions were done pretty well but then mm -hmm. again i had to watch them with all the you know that as i said before uh some of these you'll get two minutes of ads every five minutes and then others get no ads at all. But, but that it's not, that's not against the show. That's just circumstances. Yeah. Um, but just, uh, I don't know. Uh, that's, that's a toughie. I'd, uh, I think I, I'd probably be more inclined to recommend specific episodes or scenes than the whole thing. I'd say as a whole, a lot of filler, like you know, that <laughs> trying to retrieve that terranium core is, you know, like you said earlier, it's it's a big old MacGuffin, you know. I mean, and they yeah. they just they do all kinds of random stuff with it and go all over the place with the, you know, the Keystone Cops and, and this that, which is fun. <laughs> well, again, that was uh, that was a Christmas episode, so that was yeah. deliberately. Uh, 
wacky, but, uh, um, I'd say as far as being, uh, quality television, I mean, it has great moments, but, but it's not a high point overall. I mean, if you average mm. it out, I wouldn't say it's a high point of Doctor Who for me so far. <laughs> I'd say only worth watching for the diehards, probably. Okay. I'll put it somewhat higher, but, you know, I'm very biased. I love, you know, the silent film stuff because mm -hmm. I'm a huge silent film buff. Oh, so sure. What can I say? Yeah. And... You know, and I love, and I love, love, love how dark the ending is. Yeah, yeah. I was, mean, yeah. the the dark ending was. Uh, uh, I I I would have, I would have felt a lot more interested in the dark ending or impressed by the dark ending if it wasn't simultaneous with revealing what the Daleks' stupid master plan was. <laughs> well, you always have a plan. Uh, you always have an issue with the Daleks' plans. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, look, these guys know what they're doing. They take over the whole galaxy. They do all this stuff. And you're like, no, I don't agree with this or that. And it's like, okay, but yeah, you know, they're the ones taking over the galaxies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess it's easy to easy to kibitz when you're not the guy doing not, not the man in the arena. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so next week we're on to the next Doctor Who, which were, you know, to be honest, we record these so out of order, we don't even have any idea <laughs> what the next Doctor Who is. I think, but, I don't know uh, if it was you or something I read in passing that, uh, I, I think maybe the upcoming episodes are supposed to be somewhat dark, too, but I'm not Okay, sure. then. We shall see. Okay, we'll see you next week. You can see how dark it is. <laughs> um, thank you very much for listening. Yeah, take care. you waited on that part. <laughs> <laughs> Although I still have it in my recording, so I can uh, yeah, you can if I need to. You, you can you can put together a little uh, edits reel at the end of the show. All the sneezing, yeah. <laughs> all the nose yeah. blowing. <laughs> you fool!